new year rising, a new beginning. Lift your head up, turn yourself around, the world is spinning. Feel the magic of a new day. Open your heart to a fresh start, send your fears away. You've made mistakes, you feel it. You got what it takes, believe it. Any wrong can be made right, just forgive and you need not fight. Shana Tova Umetuka, it's Rosh Hashanah. Shana Tova Umetuka, it's Rosh Hashanah. Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff. Wittellis is being broadcast live and recorded live at 9.47 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time on the first day of the year 5781. Yes, it is the Jewish New Year Rosh Hashanah tonight, which is the reason for that opening song. And I'm still doing a radio show. I hope you guys appreciate that I am not being the best Jew by doing this, but I have to speak out. I ha- I have to do this show because people have been waiting. In fact, I've had people urging me to do this show for the past few days saying that I should do an emergency show because of everything going on. And I said, no, 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 no. We're going to wait till Friday. It's not an emergency. And perhaps by Friday we will have more information on the things going on. And indeed we do. So there's a lot to talk about tonight. And I'm actually going to be putting as... Our second topic, what might actually be the big scandal that is breaking in poker, and that is 
the Fedora Cruz scandal with the uh, solver, the real-time solver that he was using to play on Poker Stars and on GG Poker. Many people are saying that's the big story now, but to me it's not, because even though the Fedora Cruz thing is something we will cover and is interesting and is newsworthy, it's also kind of boring. Like, it's, it's not... It's not that great for radio. So you can find coverage of that on this show, and you can find coverage of that elsewhere, but the real coverage we're going to do tonight is Stones, is Justin Caradas, who spoke out a ton this week on Twitter, Mike Postle, who spoke out a little bit on in the Sacramento Bee. So many major developments in the Postle and Stones case so much has happened in the past week. I mean, we covered it a little bit last week, but not much had happened. But boy, this week it exploded. This week, more happened with that than I would have ever expected. So we have so much to talk about, and I'm going to guarantee you something, that we're going to do the most coverage and the best coverage and the most detailed coverage of this topic of any show you're going to hear. I guarantee no other show that's on the Internet is going to cover this better and with more detail and with as much insight as this show. And if you find I'm wrong, let me know, but I doubt you will. We're going to cover this thing to death tonight. So if you're sick of this topic, you're not going to like tonight's show because this is going to be a lot of tonight's show. If you want to call the show, by the way, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You've, you can also call the Mount Charleston line. We have an uh, old 70s rotary phone sitting in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston, which is not on fire, by the way. California is, but Mount Charleston is not. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is that number to call the show. We also have the call to listen line. If you cannot listen to the show through one of our streaming methods or just choose not to, you can always just use any phone that can dial doesn't have to be a smartphone. doesn't have to have a data plan. It doesn't need the Internet. All you need is any phone that could ever dial and can still dial. And you just call 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736, or the alternate number 641-741-1095. That's just the number you call up to listen. You can't talk to me on that line, but you can listen. And you know what? It never freezes and it never buffers. It's actually a pretty good way to listen to the show. The only thing that isn't very good on it is music. I will concede that. Any music I play, like the opening song, that didn't sound very good on the call to listen line. But speech, yeah, it's great. And it's an easy way to listen. does not require any kind of special device. You can listen to the show live through the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com. We have fixed our radio player to where it now works with all devices, to my knowledge. Keep in mind, if we're not live or if the streaming reruns are not live, if Both of those things are true, actually. If we're just not live in any way and nothing's playing, then it will say network error. I've had people say, oh, no, it doesn't work. It's a network error. No, network error just means nothing's on. So if you see network error, just wait, and it'll come back. So, like, for an hour before the show, you're going to see network error. And once the show starts, it won't say network error anymore. But if you don't want to use the radio tab on Poker Fraud Alert to listen to the live show, you can also use the TuneIn app. We have two entries on there. One of them is live. And uh, that's another way to listen. Or you can use the call to listen line. If you want to listen in the archives, there are various ways to do so. We have iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Bullhorn, the aforementioned TuneIn app. All these are apps which can be used to listen to 
Poker Fraud Alert's already completed shows that go back now for eight and a half years, about 400 episodes. I haven't counted recently, but we're near episode number 400. Hopefully we haven't passed it. So that is a way you can always go back and listen. I try to give you as many ways to listen as possible, and I try to make it free for both you and me to provide. Because you guys, you guys know I'm a cheap Jew. You guys, I mean, I, I opened with, with the uh, Rosh Hashanah song. I think that uh, pretty much says it all as to why I don't want to pay for ways to you to listen for you to listen to the show. Well, I, I can't say I pay nothing for it, but I don't pay very much. Anything that cost me a lot, you're not worth it. I'm not going to spend that much money to give the show to you, but I will put some work into it. My time is valuable. So that at least makes some sense. Speaking of worth it, uh, we have generous people that donate money to this free roll that we have every week here on PokerFraudAlert.com during radio. The free roll is starting uh, right around now, 9.55 p.m. Pacific time. It's No Limit Hold'em on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You need a separate account on the Poker Room, separate from the forum. It needs to be validated. So if you sign up right now, it won't work until next week at the earliest. PM me Dan Space Druff on the forum or text me at the number I'll give shortly or PM Belly Buster, Belly Space Buster to get validated there. My text number, if you want to text me about this or anything else at any time before, after, or during the show is 775-372-8355. It's the same as the main number to the show, 775-372-8355. But the free roll, $50 this week, again from Online Veteran. Thank you very much. He's been so generous lately. $50, the last $50 he gave, he gave $200. We've been splitting it up over the weeks. So thank you to him. 25 for first, 15 for second, 10 for third. I cannot pay you by PayPal. PayPal has banned me, as you guys know. I'm still working on that, but I'm, I'm banned from PayPal. But I can pay you in other ways. I can pay you by uh, Cash App, by Zelle, by Bitcoin, by bank transfer, and... Also, one other payment service I won't mention out here, but still works for me. So let me know which way you'd like to be paid. Just don't say PayPal because I can't do it anymore. And thank you, Online Veteran, for that money. The free roll began or will begin actually in zero minutes at 9.55. I guess it did begin. And you have 25 minutes of late registration. Till, so till 10.20 Pacific time, you can get in there and you can play and you can win that free money. It's real cash money. You're going to be paid. So why not? Why not give it a shot? I know it's not big money, but it is money. And if you're sitting here listening, then why not give it a try? Okay. If you want to chat in the chat room, the chat room has been malfunctioning lately. I'm going to replace it before the end of the year. But you need a flash-enabled device to get in there. And make sure to go to the Flying Stupidity section of the forum and follow the instructions in the link of instructions to get into chat room because it's got some glitches and Without those instructions, you will get various problems trying to get in, most likely. If you don't, then great. But many of you will have problems getting in, like it'll be a blank screen or it'll say invalid login. That is all explained in that link where it says instructions on how to get into chat room, and you should be able to get in there. Uh, we will have a better chat room up by 2021 is my promise to you. There's only so much work I could do here. I've done work on the radio tab and the player and getting us on iTunes and we're at, actually on iTunes, on uh, Spotify and iHeartMedia is what I meant, not iTunes. We're on iTunes also, but you know, there's only so much work I could do on a site that does not make money or try to make money. We're a nonprofit site. In fact, we're a money-losing site. We're not even a nonprofit. We're a negative profit site. 
And that's by design. I don't attempt to make money here or even break even. I run this as a public service to the poker community. I really do. I run it because I want to run it. I run it because I want to put the information out there that I do. I run it because I usually enjoy it. Not all the time, but I usually enjoy it. So that's why I run this. This is not something I'm doing to make myself money or any kind of goal that will help my life any. Anyway, we're going to try to find Trader Ruski, who said he'd like to come on. And Vintage One may show up tonight, and Brandon may show up tonight. Uh, Vintage One is working again. He's working right now, as I speak, at uh, 10 o'clock at night. Very, very busy and long days there in Hollywood. Brandon, I don't know where he is. I kind of messed up again and didn't tell him early enough. But look, he showed up last time. Last time he showed up for the entire program of about eight hours. He gave us a lot of time last week. So if he's not showing up this week, I understand. We're going to try to find Trader Ruski, who is reliably here for at least some hours every week till he falls asleep. Then we'll get going with our important material here about stones. I have so much I want to say. I don't even know where to begin. Trader Ruski, hello. What's happening, Jeff? Good to have you on here. I see you on video. Oh, no, I saw you for a second on video. I saw your yeah, head. I, I saw the top of your head. I saw the top of your head. But this is this is an audio show, so it's not necessary. I don't need to see you your can. beautiful face. You can. I'm I mean, due for a haircut, as you can see. Well, I, you know what? I haven't had haircut in like uh, seven months. I, I actually was uh, smart enough to go get a haircut and bring Benjamin for a haircut as I saw the coronavirus just starting to get worse because – I wasn't sure how long that was going to be available or safe, but now it's been seven months, so I kind of need one again pretty badly. Anyway. That was a good call. It was a good call, but doesn't do me much good right now. So here's the agenda for tonight. We're going to do all of these Stones topics. We have like nine of them, or like, like a ton of Stones topics. There's so much has happened this week, and I, I won't even go into what they all are. You'll just have to wait. And listen as they all get uh, as as we go through them all. After we're done with stones, I have some news about Brad Booth. Some good news. Remember, we thought there's a good chance that he had perished because he went on a supposed camping trip and disappeared about two months ago. Well, he's alive. He's alive, and at least he's somewhat well. Don't know that much, but I will tell you what I do know. But he is living. And I don't think he's in that bad a shape. So uh, his appearance, his disappearance was voluntary, so claims his family. So I'll tell you more about that when we get to that segment. Fedor is accused of using a real-time solver to beat games on PokerStars and GG Poker and elsewhere. Not Fedor Holtz, though. Fedor Cruz. So we're going to talk about that. That is uh, a big scandal, but it's not getting... As much attention as maybe it would because of all the stuff going on with Stones and Mike Possel this week. Remember last week when we had that long segment about 21 Blitz and the lawsuit and uh, one of the two plaintiffs, Liz Nico, who shockingly was a really pretty 19-year-old girl who somehow was one of the biggest winners on there. Brandon wondered if Liz Nico was real. Well, I have some updates to that story, including... I have come to I've come to 
some information that uh, answers the question as to whether or not Liz Nico is what she says she is. And I have a lot more details about the case on both sides. So I will give that to you. I'll give you an update on the 21 Blitz story. Another update, we now kind of know who the alleged $1.5 million bad check writer is from the Cosmo. Don't have a name yet, but we have some more information about him, according to our source, Matt the Rat. So I'll give you that update. We're giving that like in bits and pieces as we find out. We're not holding anything back. We're just providing what uh, whatever Matt provides us, which he provides us as he finds out. A player on WSOP.com has been forced to change his screen name. His screen name was Trump2024, which isn't really possible, but uh, nevertheless, that's what the guy put. Trump2024 is his screen name. He was forced to change it, but maybe not for the reason you think. Doug Polk and Daniel Negranu are hammering out details for their upcoming heads-up match. Remember that? Seems like ages ago when that was last discussed. But yeah, they're actively working out the details publicly on Twitter. And it's been surprisingly uh, civil. There hasn't been any bashing of one another or anything like that. They're actually just uh, calmly and maturely discussing it. I can't believe it with those two, but they are. So I'll tell you where they are with that at the moment. It looks like this is going to happen, but they've just uh, they've got to figure it out. Some interesting terms being hammered out, and I think you'll be interested to hear some of the things they're asking for. One piece of coronavirus news. The University of Pittsburgh has some possible good news about the coronavirus that scientists have discovered a biomolecule which could neutralize the coronavirus. This could be it, folks. This could be the game changer. But, of course, there's a lot still to do, a lot still to test, and a lot to be found out. So this may fizzle and end up being nothing, but it could end up being a major game changer that puts us all back to normalcy. We will see. I'll tell you more when we get to that segment. If we have time, I will do the What with Druff Do segment. <coughs> Sorry about that. The What would Druff Do segment regarding the man and woman on their first lunch date and the woman ordering a bunch of wine and then pointing to the guy when the bill comes. Who was right? Who was wrong? We'll see if we can get to that segment, which we tabled from last week. But I didn't know we we're going to have all this stone stuff coming up. So who knows? That's it. Those are our topics this week. And we're going to get right into the Mike Postle stuff. So last week we left off with the Postle situation as kind of a minor story of last week that uh, the settlement is happening. And remember, there's 88 plaintiffs that Stones uh, were being sued by. They were suing Stones together, not as a class, but as 88 separate plaintiffs in the same lawsuit. Mac Verstandig was their attorney, which is not surprising since uh, his practice is pretty much uh, handling cases for poker players. He calls himself, uh, or he calls his practice a boutique practice that specializes in uh, cases for poker players, and that's true. So he was their attorney, and 60 or so of the plaintiffs agreed to the settlement, and uh, the rest of them, of the 88, said they did not. Now, last I heard, it was 61. I'm hearing now the number 62. Doesn't really matter. I mean, it's close enough. Something in the low 60s accepted. The rest did not accept, and the rest were dropped by Mac as clients. We reported upon that last week. And Mac dropping them as clients was not a big deal because there was a formality. And 
you know, it wasn't a huge story. It was interesting, but it wasn't a gigantic story. It was not anywhere near our lead story last week. And I didn't think that much of it other than, hey, here's an update. Well, everything blew up this week. Just absolutely blew up, especially the last few days. And if you've been watching Poker Twitter, you've seen it. If you haven't been watching Poker Twitter, don't worry, you can still find it. And if you listen to the segment, you can hear who to follow about this, or you can just look at mine at Todd Wittelis, W-I-T-T-E-L-E-S, and you'll see all the stuff that uh, I've been saying about it. You can even uh, click on just tweets and replies, and you'll see a lot of my posts about this matter. Or you can go to the Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum on Poker Fraud Alert, and you can see a lot that I've posted about it. Or you can just listen to this segment, and I'll cover pretty much everything you need to know at the moment. So the settlement became official. And I knew that was going to happen. I knew that was happening this week. I still didn't think it was a huge story. But what I did not expect was that once the settlement became official, that this was going to prompt the defendants, and also one person who wasn't a defendant, but was a defendant in a different case, Mike Possel, the main one this is surrounding, that, that this prompted them to speak out, especially Justin Caritas. He's just been going off. He's been going off big time. I mean, he's really going off. That's the only way to describe it. So the settlement was made official, and I can tell you now how much each person got. Remember, I was holding that back before. I knew, but I was holding it back out of respect for Mac Verstandig and the plaintiffs. I didn't want to disclose something that maybe they didn't want me to disclose. I didn't want to put it out there. It was just my own personal choice to do so. Well... This has been put out there. Remember I said I, I'm not going to hold this back if it is printed elsewhere or if one of the other plaintiffs uh, decides that they're just going to put it out themselves. Well, someone gave this information to Chad Holloway of Poker News who decided to publish it and some other details. So now that the cat's out of the bag, I can tell you. The amount that was settled was $40,000. Not per person. That would be great if it were per person, but it was not. 40,000 flat. The 40,000 covers everything. It covers all plaintiffs who accepted the settlement, and it covers Mac Verstandig's attorney's fees, which uh, Mac must have agreed to take a certain percentage of anything won or recovered as part of this uh, contingency lawsuit. I don't know this for certain, but I think that's uh, highly likely. And usually, Attorneys will take a contingency of something like around 35%. It can vary, but 35% is a good guess, 40%. Maybe as high as 50, maybe as low as 25, but it's almost surely between 25 and 50% based upon what I know of lawyers who take cases like this on contingency. For those of you who do not know, contingency means that you don't pay the lawyer a dime no matter what, but they take a piece of the settlement if you win. So if you lose, it's kind of a free roll for you because if you lose, you don't owe any kinds of attorney's fees. So that's why it's good to, when you're the plaintiff, it's good to have these on contingency unless you think your case is such a slam dunk that it's worth it to pay an attorney out of your own pocket because you're going to recover so much you don't want to give them a percentage. But in cases where you don't know where you're going to get or if you're going to win it all, uh, contingency is a good way to go. So anyway, uh, let's assume it's uh, 35%. I'm just making that up. It's, it's usually a third, and then if it goes to court, it would be 40 Normally, well, yeah, sure. it's 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 kind of all over the place of what the last four, but yes, it's around there. That gets that's a good guess. So we'll we'll just go with thirty five percent here. Okay, 
if it's 35% and you divide the settling plaintiffs, which I'm hearing now is 62 plaintiffs, I, I only saw 61, but maybe it's 62 now, whatever, we'll assume 62 because that's what's being said right now. If you divide 40,000 by 62, you get $645. But remember, that's before Mac takes his cut. So if you take 35% out of that, they get about 420 bucks, which I, I guess if you're a pot smoker is a, is a fun number to, to get paid. But other than that, that's not a very good payment. Like Now, l- let me stop for a second. When I say it's not a very good payment, I mean in absolute dollars, as, as far, it's not going to change anyone's life. Even if you're poor, $420 might be nice to receive, but it's not going to be life-changing money for anybody or anything that's significant, especially anyone – Showing up to play poker, this is probably not very significant, even if you're not a high-limit player. $420 is just not exciting. Now, however, I do want to say that the settlement they got exceeded the most they could have won at this point had this gone to court. You heard right. It exceeded that. And you may think, why would Stone settle for more than the best-case scenario? And also, wasn't this lawsuit for millions of dollars? What do you mean the best case? Well... In June, and I reported on this back in June, in June there was a ruling that was pretty bad for the plaintiffs, which pretty much threw out everything except for the ability to amend the complaint and basically sue for the rake. And it was calculated that approximately $30,000 of rake was paid during the alleged time of cheating over a year and a half or whatever this was. And not all of this was paid by the plaintiffs, but I'm talking about rake that was paid in total during this stream, during the time when Postle's accused of cheating, was about 30K. So Stone's paid 40K, which is more than the rake. So in that way, Mac Verstandig did a great job for his clients. He actually got them more than they would have won had this gone to court, which is unusual. How often do you see a settlement that's in excess of the, the most that was going to be won? However, this is not a simple lawsuit. This is not uh, a lawsuit that is typical because it had a lot of implications regarding what it would establish, regarding the public interest in it, regarding the uh, regarding what any settlement would mean for poker and for stones. And for Justin Kratis. Remember, Apostle's not part of this. He wasn't part of it. The suit was about him, but it was not involving him. He was not named as a defendant in this suit. So this isn't like settling a car accident. Let's say someone rear-ends you on the road, and then you sue them, or you sue their insurance company, whatever it is, and then a settlement's offered to you. Well, that's it. Like if you accept it, that's it. It's just a matter of money. There's no one's going to be analyzing your settlement. There's going to be no shame or harassment or bashing of you for taking this settlement on Twitter. Like, like no one's going to pay attention or care about this because it's between you and the other driver and or the insurance company. Like that, that's like a private matter that nobody's going to care about except for those directly involved. This one, there's a lot of public interest in it, a ton of public interest in it. So that's what makes this a lot more complicated. Now, I had told you previously that this was going to be a matter of non-disparagement, that everybody's going to have to sign to 
not disparage each other after the settlement and also sign an NDA that they weren't going to disclose the terms, which is pretty standard stuff. Usually when there's these settlements out of court, everybody agrees we're not going to talk about the settlement other than to say there was one and we're not going to disparage one another afterwards. That's, that's very standard stuff. But, again, since this isn't a typical case, as I said in our previous coverage of this, uh, maybe you don't want that if you're a plaintiff, because maybe you want to have the right to disparage stones going forward. Maybe 420 bucks is not enough to buy your silence. Maybe you'd like to bash them and bash Justin Kouradis and talk about the whole situation in years going forward on Twitter, on Facebook, in polite company, whatever. You Maybe you want to have the right to speak out about it. And you don't want to sell that right for 420 bucks. If I were one of the plaintiffs, that's the way I would have seen it. I would have said, no way am I shutting up for that. There's, there's no way. And I understand it's not really buying silence technically because it's the, they're paying uh, what you feel to be damages. But still, the bottom line is once you receive that token amount of money, you can't ever talk about it again publicly. And I said, and I wondered, Drop, if you do, could they just have the right to get the the uh, four hundred twenty bucks back? Oh, they can. They see for damages beyond. No, that? they can see you for damages beyond that. So that's why, like, you you really have to shut up at, at that point if if you agree to this. So there's no way I would have agreed to it. And this uh, this is something that made it a lot tougher. Now it is true that if you reject the settlement, it's likely you're never going to collect a penny from Stones because. Uh, once this case was basically neutered, which was not the fault of Mac, by the way. This is this is the fault of immature California law that just doesn't allow this type of thing to be won. Even if you can prove Postle cheated, it's just the, the, the way California law is written uh, between the inability to sue for gambling debts and the duty of care that the casino has as far as preventing cheating by third parties. Basically, they, they don't have much of one. They... They can't cheat you themselves, but since it was impossible to prove that Stones was in on it, that even if you could prove that Postle cheated, unless you could prove that Stones helped him, then they were not really responsible by California law. I think they should be, but by California law, they are not, because they are not required to prevent all cheating scandals from occurring in their casino. So, for example, I I once discussed on this show, like if I were to go to commerce and some guy was to mark cards there and beat me out of extra money because he marked the cards, I couldn't sue commerce because the guy managed to mark the cards. They can't be expected to watch every single table and make sure this isn't happening. I, I, I might be able to sue them if I saw him marking cards and I reported it and they did nothing about it. But um, if they failed to catch him marking cards... Then even if I was able to prove later that he did it, I could not sue them for it because they're not expected to. Like by California law, they just there's no duty of care that they have to make sure you're not being cheated. They need to take some reasonable steps for security, but they they, they don't have to make sure that no cheating scandals happen under their watch committed by third parties, basically. So that really left the case in bad standing. And no other attorney is going to take that at this point once this has been ruled and the case is basically dead in the water, and Stones knew it. So as far as uh, monetarily is concerned, the plaintiffs did great, but you are giving away 
your right to talk about them if you go along with it. And I talked about this before. So some did, some didn't. They had set a threshold of wanting 65 plaintiffs minimum to accept. Otherwise, the whole deal's off. But they apparently took a little bit less than that because they didn't get to 65. They got close, but it did not get to 65. So that was done. And still, I did not think it was going to be a huge story. But then things started to happen. For example, the Sacramento Bee did an article about it. And who commented in that article in the Sacramento Bee? None other than the chief suspect in the whole thing, one Michael Possel. Possel has not commented at all since appearing on those Matisau podcasts back in uh, October. So it's been almost a year. He's been silent. As much as I'd like to say, all I can really say right now is that I have my side of this entire fiasco to tell. It won't just shock the poker and gambling industries, but it will shock the entire world. He really said that. He really, he really said it's not going to just shock the poker and gambling industries. It's going to shock the entire world. <laughs> what a freaking clown. What a cl- I don't know what he thinks he's going to say that's going to shock the world. It's not going to shock the entire world. Even if he openly admitted that he was cheating everybody, it would not shock the entire world. The entire world does not care about this. You only care about he this. I read that he probably read that Bill Perkins tweet, so now he like thinks it's that big of a story, right? <laughs> right. Oh my God, how delusional this guy is! And he goes on to say, uh, "This goes all the way beyond just my innocence, but includes an entire incredible seventeen-plus-year story along with it, and what's happened since the allegations." <laughs> Guys, it's an incredible 17-plus-year story. Incredible. In fact, it's such a mind-blowing story that is being told to Dave Broom at 25-7 Productions, who will be producing a wild documentary for the world to see on it. That's true, by the way. We're going to talk about Dave Broom's documentary during this segment. I've been waiting for many, many months on this, and I'm, I'm anxious for it to finally come out. So to all the detractors and accusers who have asked, why hasn't he spoken or provided his evidence of innocence and explanations? Well, guess what? Now you know. So that is his statement. That's what Mike Possel has to say. Very arrogant sounding, huh? I don't know if it's delusion or if it's trolling or both or this whole thing about shocking the entire world and this uh, incredible 17 plus year story, which I'm sure is going to be similar to what he told on Mattisau's show. I'm not sure, but I think it's likely that it's going to be similar to what he told Mattisau about how he was such a winning player, the biggest winner on UB, which I don't believe, by the way, though he knew Russ Hamilton, so maybe possible. And who knows what's going to be in this. Some self-congratulatory story about all his success in poker and how he has weathered these false cheating allegations from the poker community that has framed him and that... uh, these uh, wannabe celebrities in poker have, have jumped on in order to get clicks and increase their status. Remember, the whole story is that uh, Veronica didn't come forward with this because she really believed they were cheating. She just uh, wanted people to notice her. She didn't think she was big enough in poker and thought this would uh, make her famous, which is outrageous. There's, there's no chance that's true. No chance that's true. 
So that was Postle's statement. He hasn't said anything else since. Then some people were also alarmed by the statement that Mac Verstandig gave, which I'm going to read to you. I told you that the statement from Mac was forthcoming. I told you this in previous weeks, that this was one of the requirements of Stones in order to settle. Not only was there going to be this non-disparagement, but also they wanted a statement that they're innocent. They're innocent and Caratus is innocent. Remember, Justin Caratus was the tournament director who was in charge of these streamed games. In fact, I even played in one of them, not with Postle, but I played in one of them about three years ago. In fact, I think it was this week three years ago. And my experience there was fine, by the way. I have no complaints about my experience or the way Justin treated me. He, he, was, he was nice when I was there, but that, does, that doesn't mean that uh, I think much of him now. Anyway, the statement was not a surprise in that to me in that it was made. I knew it was going to be made. I knew that was part of the settlement process. I knew that Stones was demanding that, that they were not going to settle if a statement was not made. And that part wasn't surprising because if they're going to pay more than could possibly be recovered from them in court, they want something out of it. And what they wanted was an official statement that plaintiffs would be signing that they were innocent. Now, I had heard, this part I don't have totally verified, but I had heard that they wanted Mac to put out a statement that they have determined that Stones did absolutely nothing wrong, that there was no cheating, and that uh, Justin Kouradis did nothing wrong. And supposedly, Mac said, no, I don't want to do that, and my clients are not going to want that. But we will put out a statement, if you want, saying that there was no evidence found that you guys uh, were involved in any cheating that may or may not have occurred. But that we're not going to say that there was no cheating, because we still think there was. And we're not going to say that we're sure you didn't do anything. We're just going to say we didn't find evidence that you didn't do anything. So that's what I was told. That's what I was told was going to be the statement. And I didn't have it word for word, but that's I told you guys that. That was one of the details I gave you that was not made public. I gave you various details before. I wouldn't give you the exact amount. I, I kind of alluded to in the range it might be, but I didn't give you an exact amount or anywhere near that. But I did give you that detail about the statement. However, I was surprised when I saw the statement because it went a lot further than I expected. And a lot of other people were surprised by this statement. And some people were disappointed by this statement. And I have to admit, I was disappointed by the statement. I understand why it happened the way it did. And I'm I'm going to explain a little bit later what I think about Mac making that statement and his handling of that part of the case. Because I have my opinions on that. I'm going to give you them honestly, even though I get along with Mac very well. He's not a friend of mine, but we've always gotten along. And I like him. And I like the fact that he's there to take these poker-related lawsuits. But I'm going to give you my honest opinion on where I think he did a fine job and where I feel that maybe he could have done better. But again, I I don't know everything regarding the lawsuit. There's certain things that uh, were not communicated to me by people who were giving me information and either they wouldn't tell me or didn't have this information. So there's some things I don't know. So maybe... uh, some of the things I'm going to criticize are actually not valid criticisms. But uh, nevertheless, I'm going to tell you what uh, I feel he should have done 
And maybe he did that, maybe he didn't. And this is, of course, my opinion, and I'm not an attorney, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm, I'm just going to break it all down, because there's, I've seen criticisms of Mac here from people in poker, including Sean Deeb, who's, who's you know, kind of came after him uh, in kind of a harsh way. And I think some of this criticism he's receiving is very unfair. And I think some of the criticism is uh, possibly valid. It depends. But let me get to the statement itself that was from Mac. This is a prepared statement. This is a statement that he agreed to make in order to get the settlement done. This is not something he wanted to make. This isn't something he enjoyed making. This is something that uh, he did because Stones required him to. And this is the, the negotiated statement that they eventually came to, which I'm sure went through various edits. I don't know that for sure, but I have a feeling they went back and forth. And, you know, can I say this? Can I say that? Should I say this? Should I say that? And like uh, they, and, you know, probably Stones wanted to say certain things. Then he wanted to not say certain things. They, you know, they, I know to some degree, as I told you, there was some negotiation. And this was the final statement that was made. Not really long, but I still think it could have been a bit different. Here it is. After reviewing evidence with the cooperation of Stones, my co-counsel and I have found no evidence supporting the plaintiff's claims against Stones or Stones Live Poker or Justin Caritas. My co-counsel and I have found no forensic evidence that there was cheating at Stones or that Stones, Mr. Caritas, the Stones Live team, or any dealers were involved in any cheating scheme. Okay, let me stop there before I read you the second paragraph. It's a two-paragraph thing. Okay, I don't have a problem with this. I think this is fine. This is kind of what I expected, this first paragraph. Notice he wrote no forensic evidence. That's good. No forensic evidence just means we didn't find any evidence from a forensic standpoint. There wasn't uh, evidence of someone breaking into the server, for example. There weren't uh, mysterious IP addresses accessing the stream that shouldn't have been. Things like that. Which, which by the way, they didn't have access to see very much. And if they did, it came way too late. It's not like they let Mac in the, the day this scandal broke. There's a long time in between. So any forensic evidence that may have been there could have easily been wiped. But even that aside, there didn't have to be forensic evidence. This is the type of cheating scandal which could easily be done with no forensic evidence left behind. I'll just give you an example, a hypothetical example. I'm not saying this is what happened. But hypothetically, if Stone's employee A gave signals to Mike across the room what cards people were holding by, by some code they developed, and Mike was able to look at that person and understand the signals, or if that, uh, that person was just texting him on his phone from their personal phone to his personal phone what people's cards were, then there would be zero forensic evidence because there was no breach. There was cheating, but no breach in this hypothetical example I'm giving you. So you could bring the best team in to examine all of Stone's equipment and nothing would be found if this is the way it was being done. So that's just one simple example of how there could be zero forensic evidence and yet Possible would be guilty of cheating and an employee at Stone's would be guilty of helping him. Again, I'm just making all this up. This is not something I'm saying happened there. But I'm giving you a very simple example. So when he writes no forensic evidence, there's a reason for that. Because no forensic evidence just means uh, forensically we found nothing. But of course that doesn't mean much because we don't know if this would leave behind any forensic evidence. 
Based on our investigation, we are satisfied that Stones and Mr. Caradis were not involved in any cheating that may have occurred. I do like the part where they say that cheating may have occurred. So at least Mac's not saying there was no cheating there at all. However, he said, we are satisfied that Stones and Mr. Caradis were not involved in any cheating that may have occurred. So I like the second part of that statement, but not the first part. Because I don't believe you could say that Mr. Caradis was not involved. You may not be able to say with certainty that he was involved, and I will say that I'm not certain he was involved. It's very possible he was just stupid, and he was fooled, and he was a chump who uh, just wasn't willing to believe this was happening, and just let it keep going on even after he was told about it back in March of 2019. It's very possible that he was just a moron and just didn't catch something that was obvious, even when brought to him. So I'm willing to accept that's a possibility. But you also can't say that it's obvious that he wasn't involved. I, I, it could go either way, truthfully. So I, I really didn't like that part. And then he goes on to say, while Stones has not spoken publicly regarding the details of their investigation during its, its uh, pendency, its counsel and Mr. Caritas's counsel have been immensely cooperative behind the scenes. So the problem with a statement, while it's not long, is it sounds like an exoneration. Each little part of it is kind of okay for the most part, but when you put it all together, what does it sound like? Let me just read it to you again without any stopping on my part. After reviewing evidence with the cooperation of Stones, my co-counsel and I have found no evidence supporting the plaintiff's claims against Stones, Stones Life Poker, or Justin Caritas. My co-counsel and I have found no forensic evidence that there was cheating at Stones or that Stones, Mr. Caritas, the Stones Live team, or any dealers were involved in any cheating scheme. Based on our investigation, we are satisfied that Stones and Mr. Caritas were not involved in any cheating that may have occurred. While Stones has not spoken publicly regarding the details of their investigation during its pendency, its counsel and Mr. Caritas' counsel have been immensely cooperative behind the scenes. What, what does this sound like to the average person reading it? It sounds like, number one, there wasn't cheating. It sounds like, number two, they were very cooperative. Even though they didn't make their investigation uh, public, they were very cooperative with Mac behind the scenes. And that uh, nobody there at Stones, including Justin Caritas, was involved in anything bad. That's, that's what it sounds like to the average person who reads it. Now, yes, if you really, really examine this closely, you can pick out the little details which show that it doesn't really say that, like the forensic evidence part. If you really think about it, you go, oh, wait a minute, these are forensic evidence. Oh, it's a, So wait a minute, there could have been evidence, just not forensic evidence. Ah, but the average person's not going to do that. Or you can look and, and see that... Uh, they're satisfied that Stones and Mr. Caritas were not involved in any cheating that may have occurred. You can say, oh, well, at least they're saying that cheating may have occurred, though. It's just, Mac's not saying there wasn't cheating, just that Stones and Caritas were not involved in it. But then also you would conclude from this that Stones and Caritas were not involved with this and that even the plaintiff's counsel is admitting this, which looks pretty strong for Stones, right? Looks pretty st- strong for Justin Caritas, right? So some people in poker were upset by this statement. It seemed to go too far. It didn't directly say there was no cheating at Stones, nothing to see here, Apostle didn't do it, Justin didn't do it, everything was fine, this is all misunderstanding. It didn't quite say that, but to the average reader who this is directed at, this is directed at the average person who reads the statement, who kind of wants to know they heard something about cheating at Stones, they Google it, they find this, they go, okay, Looks like this was all a misunderstanding. Looks like after a lot of investigation, there was really nothing that happened. That's what the average person would conclude from this. The average person is not going to dissect it like I am 
because the average person does not have the level of interest that I am or that probably you do. So I was not that happy with this statement. I really thought it was going to be some quick, like one sentence statement saying that we found no evidence showing that uh, Stones or, or Justin Caritas was involved in the cheating. I expected that. I would not have been bothered by that statement because I know that's how settlements work. In a perfect world, this would never be said. In a perfect world, the plaintiffs would all give a big, big fat middle finger and say, we are not signing this. And Mac wouldn't have to put this out, but it's not a perfect world. And in order to make this settlement, I understand that something like that had to be put out. But I thought it went too far. I, I thought that uh, this should not have been said, like exonerating Justin Caritas, that he was not involved and that Mac and his co-counsel are satisfied after their investigation that Justin Caritas was not involved. I'm not satisfied. I can't imagine what he could have seen that would have satisfied him. As I said, I'm not convinced he was involved. I, I, I'm thinking it's possible he could have just been stupid, like really stupid and arrogant to the point where he missed it. But I'm also not satisfied that he wasn't possibly involved. And I don't think anybody in poker is satisfied that Justin Courageous was innocent. I don't think anybody in poker, except for a few friends of his, are going to say that they're 100% certain that Justin Courageous wasn't in on it. You'll have a lot of people who can go either way or, or might be kind of leaning more towards he was stupid than, than, than evil, but, you know, it's... I don't think many people in poker are satisfied like the statement says. And it does bother me some that the statement was as strong as it is. Now, if this is true, why did Mac make a statement this strong? Well, let's think about this. Some people don't understand how the law works and how attorney-client relationships work, especially if you've never been involved in any kind of lawsuit. Then you may not really have experience with these things. But the attorney has certain duties to the client. And if the attorney, the attorney does not perform these duties, then the attorney could actually be sued for malpractice. And there could be complaints against them to the state bar. So attorneys sometimes have to do things they don't like in order to satisfy the duties of their client. So when it comes to settlements, the attorney doesn't have to like the settlement. If a settlement offer is made to the client by the uh, defendant, the attorney for the plaintiff has to take this to the plaintiff and say, what would you like to do? He can give his advice and say, I think the settlement sucks, and I advise you don't take it. But the attorney does have to present it to the plaintiff, and the attorney has to uh, handle the settlement if the plaintiff wants to take it, even if the attorney thinks the plaintiff is making a huge mistake by accepting it. So Mac couldn't just say, you know what? I don't want to make this statement. I don't want to make any statement. I'm a member of the poker community. I don't want to say such a thing. I don't want to put my name to such a thing. And and F you guys, I'm not giving this to the clients. I'm not giving this to any of the plaintiffs. Uh, come up with something better. I refuse. He can't do that. If they, if they want this presented to the plaintiffs, Mac has to present it to them. And similarly, if the plaintiffs want to accept it, Mac has to then uh, act in their interest and process this whole thing to where they can uh, accept it and, and make it happen for them. As I said, he can give his opinion, he can advise them not to do it, 
but he can't force them not to do it. So that's important to understand. However, remember, he's supposed to advise them. So, what are the implications of this? See, it wasn't just Mac making this statement. It wasn't just his name on the statement. Every single person who accepted the settlement put their name on it. They had to. They had to sign it that this is okay with them. All 62 accepting plaintiffs, not the ones that didn't accept, but the all 62 who accepted, have to put their name on this and say, yep, we agree. So since this is a public matter, since there is a lot of interest in this matter, since there's going to be a lot of discussion on social media about this matter, since there's going to be discussions on shows like this about this matter, and since all 62 plaintiffs, when they put their names on this, are basically signing off on it, this could subject them to considerable criticism on social media over this. This could even subject them to bullying or hatred over putting out such a statement when the poker world feels so strongly that cheating occurred there and that Justin Caritas was not completely innocent. He was either uh, grossly incompetent and uh, refused to follow up upon uh, properly upon uh, accusations of cheating or he was in on it. It's, it's hard to believe any other way could be true because uh, otherwise it wouldn't make sense. Maybe there's something I'm missing here, but otherwise, to me, it would not make sense. How I I can't see where both of these things would not be true. So getting back to the situation with Mac, what could he have done? If he didn't want to make this statement, what could he have done? And I don't know if he wanted to make it or not. I I know he wouldn't volunteer to make it, but like I don't know how he felt as he wrote this. Only he knows that. But if he didn't want to make it, and he thought thought it's bullshit, and he doesn't want to really say it, and he he wishes that his... Clients wouldn't accept it. Let's just say that was his attitude. I'm not saying it was. I'm just saying, say hypothetically it was. What could he do, given his duties to his client? Well, what he could do is he could advise them about the downsides of taking this. Because remember, they're not just getting free money. They're getting money, and not very much, only after after his fees, about 400 or so dollars each. They are agreeing never to talk about the situation again. They're agreeing never to disparage Stones or Justin Caritas. And they are agreeing to put their name on a statement that they probably don't believe to be true. So, and, and finally, they're, they're, they're putting their name on something that could get them hate on social media for putting their name to something that very much opposes the popular sentiment in poker. So that, that's a lot to have to do for 400 bucks, isn't it? Is that worth 400 bucks? It wouldn't be to me. Now, if I really believed it, like, I, I'm never afraid to say things I really believe, even if it's going to piss people off. And you have seen that. You've seen it on Twitter. You've heard me on this show say things which piss people off, which go against the grain. I'm willing to do it. But first of all, not everybody's like me. Some people just don't want social media hate. Some people are uh, really, really stressed out when that happens. And, and second, I definitely would never say something that would get me hate if I didn't really believe it. <laughs> That's the worst of both worlds. You're saying something you don't really believe or putting your name on something you really don't believe and people will hate you for it. That's a pretty bad thing. It's one thing to stand up for what you believe in, but when you're standing up for something you don't believe in and getting hate, that's kind of crappy, isn't it? So as their attorney, Mac could very easily advise them that they are giving up a whole lot and in his opinion too much to get the 400 or so dollars each. They can say, we disagree, Mac. 
totally fine with us. Give us our money. And then Mac has to go through with it. And maybe they did have that conversation. Maybe Mac did try to talk them out of it. And they were like, nope, we want to get paid. It's possible. And that's why I'm not going to comment upon what Mac did or didn't say to them because I don't know. Only they know. Nobody has told me what conversations they've had. And I'm not trying to be cute here and and pretend I don't know. Like, no one has had that discussion with me. No one has told me exactly what Mac told them. But I'm just saying what he should have said. Maybe he said it, maybe he didn't. But in my opinion, what he should have said was, like, really broken down for them what's happening and what's going to happen as a result of putting out such a statement. Another potential problem, which I hope they thought of, but maybe they didn't, was that once you make such a statement, it can be weaponized by Stones and Justin Caritas to for them to use over and over and over and wave in everyone's faces that this shows they were innocent. So it's not just a matter of signing your name to something and no one's ever going to read it, or they'll read it once in a press release. This could be stated over and over and over again, and there's nothing you can do about it. This can be thrown in your face over and over again, and there's nothing you can do about it once you've put your name on this. Unless there's an agreement that they won't do this, but there was not. And that's what led to this week's problems. As far as the statement from Mac, uh, I understand why he made it. I understand that this is what his clients wanted. This is what he had to do. Mac represents the interests of his clients and not the interests of the poker community and not his own interests. And if he were to represent his clients but actually act in the interests of poker or his own, then he would be committing legal malpractice. And he should not do that. And he did not do that. So in that way, I understand. And some people don't. Some people like Sean D were going off on him and didn't quite get the way this all works. But I hope he at least advised his clients about what they were really getting into. And of what this really means. Also, just from the from just the standpoint of, do you want Stones getting away with this? Is it worth it for each of you to take $420 and for Stones to be able to wave this in everybody's face forever that they were innocent? Maybe just morally you don't want to do it. So he can give them a lot to think about that would make them say no. And look, a lot of people just go along with what their attorneys say to do. A lot of people, they just assume the attorneys are the experts, and often they are. So if the attorney says, yeah, this is a good idea for you to do, people go, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And if the attorney says, no, this this sucks, there's too many ways that this is uh, this is bad for you, then the people often will go, yeah, yeah, you're right. Sometimes people will go against the advice of their attorneys, but usually they won't. Quick tangent here, but related. I have a friend who uh, was in a car accident. And got one of these attorneys to work on contingency. There's tons of them out there that handle accidents like these. And this person got an attorney to get them uh, a settlement from the other driver's insurance company. Well, the problem is that a lot of these attorneys, they take a lot of these cases at once. So you'd like to think that they're working all day and all night to get you the very best settlement, but that's not really true. They try to rush through it, and they try to get a settlement as quickly as possible and dispose of your case quickly. The ideal for the attorney, remember who's working on contingency to get a certain percentage of whatever you get, is to quickly get an offer from the insurance company 
that's generally in the ballpark of what they think is appropriate, and you say yes, and the whole thing's over, and they put in very little work, and they make thousands of dollars. That's, uh, that's what they hope will happen. What they don't want is for you to get an offer of, say, $10,000 and have you come back and go, ah, no, no, I want it to be like at least twelve. Why? You may say, well, don't they want twelve because they'll get more money if they're getting 35%? No, because it's not worth it. That extra 2000 which they'll only get 35% of, is not worth all the extra work. It could take like several times the work to extract that extra 2000 It just isn't worth it, especially because they're not only getting like a third of it. So for the attorney, the least work possible in that type of case is best. So um, I've advised friends before to not go along with what the attorney suggests. If the attorney comes back with a figure to you, don't just say, oh, the attorney must know best. Yeah, this is great. Say, no, I want more. Because the attorney has to. The attorney can't just say, no, I'm making you take the settlement. Uh, you know, The attorney does have to do what you ask them to do regarding uh, taking settlements. So uh, now they can eventually drop you if you just absolutely – like let's say you want a million dollars or something that's worth 10000 uh, they You can't demand they work forever and ever and ever to get you a million dollars. But uh, uh, you can tell them, no, I'm not accepting it. Go back. I want more. I'm not going to accept this unless I get 12. They're offering 10. I want 12. And then it'll take some negotiating, but a lot of times they'll get you 12. So I, I've told people, do not take what's offered to you first by your own attorney because they want to dispose of this quickly. You don't. You want to get the most possible. It's not you doing the work, so don't let them be lazy. And I've given this advice, and it's great advice. And if you're ever in an, in an accident in the situation where you hire an attorney on contingency to get you a settlement, that is what I suggest you do, especially like in a kind of a minor or moderate case where yeah, you, you have some injuries, but it's not life-changing. It's not where you're going to recover a million bucks. Something like 10000 is, is, is This is where you don't accept the first offer to you, even if your attorney recommends it and tells you, well, you won't get more. And yeah, if worst comes to worst, and, and, and the attorney comes back after several tries and says, nope, they're not going a, pe- a penny more than 10, then you take the 10. So that's what that's the advice I gave to my friends, and and every time I've given that advice, they've uh, ended up with some more money. So going back to this, these people could have told Mac, hey, I, you may be advising against this, but I want to take it anyway. Or th- they could have gone along with it and said, yeah, you're right, Mac. F him. Let's not take it. I don't think Mac did this out of greed. He's not getting much money out of this. He's probably getting like 15K to 20K. That's nothing. I don't know all that much about Max practice. I've seen various cases he's covered. I don't know what type of money he makes. But from what I can tell, he's a, at least a semi-successful attorney. He seems to be doing fairly well for himself. I don't think 15 to 20K is a large sum of money for Mac. Uh, furthermore... Because of the backlash he's getting because of the statement he put out, uh, believe me, it would be better for Mac's career. It'd be more lucrative for his career to give a big fat middle finger to Stones here and to take zero. I'm sure if it were up to Mac, he'd rather take zero and take a principled stand, but he can't do it. So I understand all that. You can say, oh, he should take a stand and say, no, he can't do that. So that part I understand. But... He could have advised his clients, which maybe he did, maybe he didn't, that this comes with a great cost. Not a financial cost, but it is up to him to tell his clients the monetary matters of this and the non-monetary matters of this, such as 
the the way Stones is likely going to use this statement, the way Kuratis may use the statement, and the hate on social media that people might receive who went along with this and signed it. These are all things that people should know before signing it. It's not just about money. Not in a case like this. So I hope he communicated this to his clients. And if he did not, that's where I feel valid criticism would be. Not the fact that he made this statement. I do wonder if perhaps leaving some of this out or phrased a different way could have been further negotiated. Maybe Stones would have accepted less than this. Though I know they were asking for more than this. So maybe not. Maybe this was the less. In fact, I know this was the less, but I still don't like it. What about this documentary? Well, we're going to get to that in a little bit. But first, let's talk about Justin Kuratis. Let's talk about Justin Kuratis. So Justin is going really hard at everybody on Twitter, but not before releasing a statement that he prepared. He, pre- he made a PDF out of it. He tweeted it out. He was expecting that uh, this was going to go very well. He was expecting that uh, people were going to read this and they were going to say, oh, Justin, we misjudged you, man. Ah, Justin, I'm so sorry. This is all Veronica's fault. It's all the fault of people like Joey Ingram and Doug Polk for putting this out and making it seem like that you were involved with this and that Possible was cheating when he wasn't. It's all these people's fault and not yours, Justin. We're so sorry for misjudging you. And I guess that uh, since Max put this statement out, it pretty much proves you're innocent. That, that's, that's really what this idiot thought people were going to think when they read his statement. So here's the statement. Here it is. I am happy to announce that 62 plaintiffs and their counsel, Mac Verstandig, have agreed to dismiss all claims against me in the Veronica Brill versus Mike Postle case. By the way, recall that Veronica was not one of the settling plaintiffs. They also have confirmed that they found no evidence against myself or Stones and have concluded I was not involved in any cheating at Stones. While I am gratified that they now acknowledge the truth, the pain and unfairness of their allegations and the wrath of social media mob and internet bullying lingers. So you already see where this is going. He's a victim, guys. He is a victim of the social media mob and internet bullies. How dare they? These mean, mean bullies. On the advice of counsel, I have remained silent and not commented on the parade of false accusations that have been levied against me. Now that this is over, I want to move on and not spend the next five years in the muck. There are some things I need to say before I move on because this process has been so disheartening and upsetting. Now, remember that. Remember what I just read you. He wants to move on. He doesn't want to spend the next five years in the muck. He has to say a few things and then and then go forward. He's been uh, disheartened and upset. Compare that to the way he then would behave on social media following putting the statement out. But remember, at the time he was writing it, he really thought this was going to be well-received and he was going to be seen as a victim. In the fall of 2019, I watched as the, quote, poker community and wannabe, quote, celebrity commentators on on Twitter and YouTube falsely accused me of being a knowing participant in what was allegedly the, quote, biggest poker cheating scandal in history. By the way, I wouldn't say it's the biggest one. I would say that the UB and AP scandal was the biggest one. This was the second biggest one. But let's go on. 
The allegations against me were false. However, the California Department of Justice Bureau of Gambling Control still conducted an investigation with which I was completely and voluntarily cooperated. Because of the investigation and then civil litigation, I was counseled to remain silent and let the process play out without making public comment. I did so all the while wondering if the record would ever be set straight, if the poker community would ever take me back, and if those falsely accused would ever apologize, or if they would just go on to the next effort to collect clicks and followers. So you see, folks, the reason this was all happening is because people in poker social media just wanted clicks and followers. This wasn't because they really believed that Justin did anything wrong. They they were just trying to get clicks. In the meantime, Justin was cleared by the California Department of Justice's Bureau of Gaming Control, and the civil lawsuit uh, was dropped, and it was stated by the plaintiff's attorney that he was innocent. I mean, it really sounds like on the surface that Justin was wrongly accused, and he's a great guy, and he was put through hell when he did nothing wrong. Doesn't that sound like that? He, he goes on to write, I watch in utter amazement as Joey Ingram devoted hour after hour to, quote, Postlegate. Some of the videos were entertaining, and they certainly were great for increasing Ingram's popularity, but as I watched them, it became clear that Ingram was peddling false statistics, cherry-picking hands to fit his theories, and ignoring data that did not fit his version of the story. Suddenly, facts ceased to be important anymore, and it all became about who could come up with the most outlandish story. For example, Marley Cordero fanned the flames regarding me and seemed to imply on Twitter that my car was purchased with money I obtained from the cheating scandal. In fact, I bought that car from an acquaintance on December 4th, 2017, which was more than eight months before the alleged cheating supposedly started. Doug Polk, Daniel Negreanu, Matt Berkey, Jason Somerville, and many others not worth naming also jumped at the chance to be in the spotlight with numerous false claims. But I guess I'm not worth naming. <laughs> But, but I'll get to that. I, th- I think uh, until recently they actually viewed me as kind of like a neutral party who leaned like kind of negative, but that I was – it was possible to turn me. That, that's my theory, by the way, which I'll get to later. That's why I wasn't named there. I also wasn't one of the initial people really coming hard at this, mainly because I was sick at the time when this all went down. I just had a really bad cold. It wasn't anything major, but like it was a really bad cold and I was I was mostly kind of out of it during the first two weeks of this. Uh, Regarding the car, I actually believe him. I don't know for sure, but I actually believe him. I actually think Marley was not correct there. This, however, doesn't really say anything. This doesn't prove anything. This just proves one detail may have been wrong. Let's think of a guy who cheats on his wife all the time. Okay? He cheats on his wife constantly. He's constantly banging other women. His wife suspects it, but can't prove it. And uh, so she accuses him. And among the accusations, he talks about a female friend, or she talks about a female friend of his that she thinks he's having sex with, which in reality it turns out he wasn't. This is one of the few females he was not having sex with. Why? Because that, that girl's just not attracted to him, so they don't have that kind of relationship. So he gets so outraged and offers all kinds of proof that he and this particular female friend never had sex. He offers to show every text message they had together. He offers to call her with her listening in and uh, see you know, see if anything ever is mentioned like that. And he, he gets so indignant that she could accuse him of having sex with this female friend because he knows he did not. He knows that this is the one case where he was innocent. Yet he was also banging like 10 other women, just not that female friend. 
but he focuses on the one that the situation is where he really is innocent and he's being falsely accused. So this could be something like that, where he's pointing to one inaccurate statement. And we see this a lot in politics, by the way, too, on both sides, where uh, one side says something that's verifiably untrue about the other side, and then the wrongly accused side jumps on that and says, ah, ah, look, look how much they're lying about me. Look how much they're lying. I can prove it. And they can prove it. They can't prove the other things which are being said, which are actually true. But they can prove the one thing that was said that was not true. And that's why you have to watch out in politics and in life that if there's someone you're making accusations against, you're making multiple accusations against, and you've got to be sure that there isn't something in there that you're just guessing at or that's outlandish that people can focus on and point to that you are falsely accusing them of, or otherwise it ruins your credibility on the other stuff where you may be right. And that I think that may have happened here with a car thing. The car really was just like a shot in the dark. Oh, you know, Justin got this new car. It had to have been bought with cheating money. No, it didn't. Then the new car could be totally unrelated and probably what he's probably he probably can prove that he bought this on december 4th 2017 notice the level of detail it wasn't just oh i bought this before all the alleged cheating started or i bought this in 2017 he actually gave december 4th 2017 when people give like really detailed stuff like that that usually means they're telling the truth and they know they're telling the truth and they hope they can distract you because they may not be telling the truth about other things and they're hoping you'll focus on where the one thing that they are being truthful about so that may very well be happening here. Moving along. He goes on to write, The propaganda machine that these guys created was prolific, but it was all a case of confirmation bias. Anything that fits in their narrative was trumpeted, and the many things that contradicted their story were simply ignored. Okay, let me stop again. I don't know about the rest of these guys. I can't speak for Doug Polk or Joey Ingram or Jason Somerville or Matt Berkey or Daniel Negreanu, but I know who I can speak for, and that would be myself. And I know I kept saying over and over and over again, publicly and privately to some Apostle's friends who contacted me, I said, I do not have a dog in this fight. I am not uh, associated with this whole Stones crew over there. I live far away from Sacramento. I played there once. I have nothing to do with any of this. I'm not rooting for either side here. I just want the truth to come out. If Apostle's being falsely accused, and you can show it to me, and I come to believe that, I will buck the trend and say Apostle's innocent. But I have to believe that, and at the moment I do not believe that. I believe he was guilty from everything I've seen. But I am open to this. Show me, I tell them. And they have attempted to show me. But whatever they show me is not very convincing. There's always an easy way to explain why what they're showing me does not exonerate him in any way. So I'll say things like, I want to see a hand where he just really punted off a ton of money where he put it in bad and he was likely to be called. So like bluffing into the nuts or bluffing into a super strong hand or uh, uh, you know, pumping in a ton of money pre-flop uh, ace-seven against aces or uh, it's something like that. Raising someone on the river when you know that they're going to call you and you're beat. Things like that. Uh, putting a ton of money when you're, you've, you've gotten cooler, like set over set on the flop when you're on the wrong side of it and you just can't put in enough money. <laughs> like, show me hands like that, which are inevitable to happen for any poker player 
playing no limit hold'em after enough time. You're always going to have spots where you put in a lot of money voluntarily where you're way behind when you play no limit hold'em. Unless you're like a super nit who never puts in the money unless you have the nuts, which he's not, for sure. So I said, show me those. Show me those and then show me them that are in a stream where he is accused of cheating. Because there were some streams where he lost, but it seemed like he was playing completely differently the whole time. I'm talking about ones where he was accused of the crotch staring and the cheating. I want to see in those streams where he punted off a lot of money, and I, I don't mean a $1,000. I mean like thousands of dollars where he really put in a lot of money, not where he's up 10K and he loses one back. I mean like uh, where, where he really punts a lot of money either on a bad bluff or a cooler. And and not when he calls down because he uh, he can't fold without it looking terrible. I mean, I mean where he's voluntarily putting a lot of extra money when he wouldn't necessarily have to, or where it would totally make sense to just keep raising when you, even though you're behind. So like, for some reason, I can't find one of those. And I said, if you have them and I've missed them because I haven't seen everything, then show it to me. And if there's enough of these, then I may become convinced the other way. I may be convinced that uh, possible was possibly falsely accused. I'm willing to have an open mind, I told them. And I still tell them. If they've, if they've got this, I'd like them to show me. But I, I, whenever they show me what their examples are, the examples are crap. And then when I tell them they're crap, they get really mad at me. Even very, even very polite about it and explain my reasoning, they, they, I get really nasty responses back from that crowd. So I, I've given up, but if they'd like to still show me, I'm open to see it. I have not made up my mind. I have my current opinion, but I'm willing to change my mind on this and go the other way if I can be convinced. But just no one's done a good job of convincing me. So I, I don't know what they're talking about with the other people, but I, I've put this out there a long time, and I know they would like me to say this because there's been attempts by the Apostle crew, by his female friend or maybe girlfriend, or friend with benefit or whatever the hell she is, Ku Fang, a.k.a. Uh, poker Grandma and, and uh, Poker Thug. Same with uh, the guy who goes by Dog Boy for Life, whose name is James... Uh, I'm forgetting his last name, but I know it. Same with uh, Everett Caldwell, the owner of Rounder Life magazine. These people have all contacted me and tried to convince me that Postle was innocent. So I know they'd like me to believe it. I know they'd like me as an ally... But I'm not going to be an ally and say things that are not true, in my opinion. They have to convince me, and they've done a poor job of it. So that's just not true that it's fallen on deaf ears. I've tried to listen. They don't want to give me anything convincing. Anyway, going on. He writes, I am ashamed to say that back in October 2019, after listening to so much propaganda, I even went through a period of time where I wondered if it was possible that Mike Possel had cheated. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> there was a period of time that Justin thought, hmm, maybe Mike was cheating. Amazing! Oh, my goodness, Justin. You you actually thought that possibly, possibly Mike Possel was cheating? I that That's a novel thought. But don't worry, folks. He quickly uh, got away from that. He wrote... I remember being so depressed with the thought that I could have missed something so obvious. Yeah, exactly. The news spiral out of control with poker news making ridiculous claims 
countless op-eds mindlessly parroted, and even some mainstream media attention by ESPN, Barstool Sports, and Haralobos Vulgaris. During this time, a poker media company called Rounder Life emerged from the darkness and was the only one doing actual research. (laughs) (laughs) They emerged from the darkness. It couldn't be that Mike Postle used to work for them and possibly owned or still owns a piece of them, right? It wasn't that Mike Postle actually had a at rounderlife.com email address at one point, right? <laughs> they just emerged. They just emerged from the darkness. They, they, they had no dog in the fight. Didn't matter that Postle was associated with them. They just emerged from the darkness. We're the only ones doing actual research. Eventually, the suing parties were relying on the made-up Internet sleuth data. The, quote, poker community systematically shut out and ignored Rounder Life magazine to make sure that their content did not go mainstream. I didn't. I told Rounder Life he could come on the show. I invited him on the show. He didn't want to come on. He said, oh, maybe later. I said, okay, well, then how about giving me some hands I can look at? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And then I'm sent some crap. Eventually they send something, but it's, it's nothing very convincing at all. Why wouldn't they want to go mainstream? Was it because Rounder Life was putting out factual content that did not support their narrative? Was it easier for Brill and company to claim that Rounder Life was biased than to actually address the facts presented? Well, they were biased. I mean, these are friends of Postles. This was a magazine that he worked for, may still own part of. This wasn't just some independent uh, organization that decided to take his side. And I read their articles and I reviewed them on this show, and the problem was it focused it on stupidity. It focused on minutia. Oh, they got the number, uh, they got the total amount won by Postle wrong. Who cares? That doesn't matter here. What matters is observing the hands he played and seeing if he played these in a reasonable fashion as someone who could not see whole cards. And from everything we could see, the answer was no. These were not played reasonably. He knew too much. And he won way too much. But even if the numbers were off of what he was said to have won, they weren't even claiming that these people were off by even more than a factor of two. So I I don't see why that was a big deal, but they kept pressing that over and over and over on Rounder Life, and I got tired of it. It just wasn't convincing. So they... So he went on to write, for example... Rounder Life put out an article regarding me that accurately pointed out that there were multiple instances where Postle won big when I was verifiably out of town and lost big when I am verifiably at Stone's Gambling Hall. My locations are verifiable from my social media posts. This information was completely ignored by the poker media and conspiracy theorists. Well, I'll admit I didn't study that really closely, but I did notice some of it and... From what I had observed, it did appear that Postle did much better when Justin was around. But uh, if you have information that says otherwise, that uh, verifiably shows that uh, this isn't true, I'm willing to take that back. That doesn't exonerate Postle, but that would that would uh, help Justin's case here. There's another Rounder Life article 
which points out that Postle's win rate was overly inflated by systematically leaving out losing sessions from the lawsuit. Who cares about the lawsuit? We're, t- we're talking about what the truth is here. If you intentionally exclude losing sessions, guess that how that affects win rate. The irony is that multiple losing sessions were unknowingly included in the lawsuit, too, because the plaintiffs had bad data that said that those sessions were wins when, in fact, they were losing sessions. The videos are right there on YouTube, and anyone that wants to spend the time to go through them can confirm the objective proof published by Rounder Life. Okay. This is one of these situations where, in order to figure out who's right or who's wrong, you have to do a ton of video watching, and like very few people are going to do that. Very few people are going to watch like 30 hours of video or more to figure out, is Rounder Life accurate with their numbers, or is it Joey Ingram? Like... That's way too much time for by a very large factor for the average person to do. So that he's hoping you're just going to take his word for it. But again, that's not important. What's what's important here is that in all that play that we have of Postle on video, someone should be able to find where he puts in a ton of money unnecessarily or a ton of money bad, which would indicate he can't see the whole cards. And so far, I haven't seen that. There should be a lot of these instances with all the time he spent playing and with his aggressive play style, and somehow we're not finding it. Especially ones that seem to coincide with alleged cheating sessions, and especially ones that coincide with that weird behavior, like looking down at his crotch. Like, how come I don't see any hands where he's looking at his crotch or putting his hand on his hat and pressing his hat towards his head? How come I don't see that and him pushing all in against top set? How come I'm not, I'm not seeing that? How come I'm not seeing uh, him doing that and making a horrible bluff against the nuts? How come that just isn't happening? He goes on to write, How would you accurately determine how much Postle won or lost? You would watch the YouTube and evaluate the amount of money Postle bet, then deducted from the pots he won. This would provide his actual win-loss rate, other than rounder life, not one internet outlet took the time to evaluate and complete and compute the real possible win rates. Again, this is unimportant. In the middle of all this, the poker community celebrates Veronica Brill for being the whistleblower and the hero of the story. Well, yes, because she is. For the record, this story was entirely built on half-truths. Veronica did approach me in March 2019, and she did claim that Mike Possel was cheating. When I asked her if she had any basis for her claim or anything to support it, Veronica had nothing but her suspicion. Still, she demanded that I pull Postle from the game right away. To be clear, Brill provided me with no numbers, no video of suspected hands, no charts, and no evidence or facts whatsoever. She has since apparently claimed that she provided me with a collection of videos showing weird plays, but that is false as well. Brill only presented to me her, quote, belief that Postle was cheating. Okay, let's stop right here. Okay, let's say that's, let's say that's correct. I, I don't know if she really gave you video or not, but... Let's let's say for argument's sake, Justin, you're correct here, and all that happened was Veronica went to you in March 2019 and said, I think Postle's cheating in the game. You are the director of the game, Justin, not her. You're the director. What should you do? You knew Veronica. As far as I know, you liked Veronica. As far as I know, you respected Veronica. You, I, As far as I know, you didn't believe she was an idiot. As far as I know, nobody that you know believed she was an idiot. Like... A, if she comes to you with that, I'm not saying you automatically believe her, 
But you should have been concerned. So at that point, you should have said, okay, Veronica, I am going to investigate. And you should have outlined very specific steps as to what you were going to do to investigate the situation. And you should not have told people that you were investigating. You should have watched everything and everyone. You should have watched Postle like a freaking hawk. Because remember, the stream was continuing. Postle continued to play on the stream for six more months. So what did you do, Justin, during those six months after Veronica came to you? I don't care if she brought you a video. She brought you an accusation. I'm not saying kick Postle out of the game then. I'm saying watch Postle. Take a look at him. He didn't need a video. He's watching you live, right, Trev? Yeah. All that stuff happened after she told him all the, the stuff they were showing the Joe Ingram was going through, right? Well, yeah, she told him in March. And, and yeah, Postle played many times after that. So all he had to do was be there in person and watch him for the next six months. I mean, that's uh, it doesn't matter what had happened up till then. He had other – he could have just watched if Postle was doing it, he could have caught him red-handed. So you watch Postle. If he's staring down at his crotch every time he's got a big decision to make. If uh, you, you also should be watching the control room of people who have access to the whole cards in the stream. See if any of them are typing on their phone. See if any of them are giving signals. Watch everyone and don't have them realize you're watching them. And then pounce when you find evidence that something's wrong. Maybe have security come up behind Postle and swipe his phone and see what's on there. Maybe watch people who are working on the stream, and if any of them are acting funny, grab their phone or have security grab their phone. If you really wanted to catch people cheating, you could have, because nobody knew you were onto them. And you could have watched them with the knowledge that was given to you without them knowing that you're watching them. Or, maybe you could have watched them and found nothing. But, in order to find nothing, there really has to be nothing. So if Postle's staring at his crotch constantly, or holding onto his hat whenever he's making a big decision, you don't go, hmm, well, Postle must just like his crotch, he must just like staring at his own penis, he must just like touching his hat a lot. You go, wait a minute, most players don't do that. Most players, when they've got a tough decision, they're not staring down at their crotch. They're looking at the other player. They're maybe just kind of looking at their chips and shuffling chips. They're not usually looking straight down at their crotch or touching their hat every time they have a tough decision. Like If you're seeing that a lot, that's not proof that they're cheating, but there's something very suspicious, and you need to figure out what's going on there. So that's, that's when you need security to approach Postle and grab the phone. Or, or have security uh, get behind him and see what he's doing. Or maybe try to install a camera without his knowledge that's right on him and can see what he's doing. There's a lot of ways you can do it and catch him red-handed. But that requires taking the allegation seriously if you're not in on it. If you're not in on it, then you need to do a good investigation. And the perfect thing is that you have cameras, that everyone's aware there's cameras, that uh, that's not alarming to anybody that there would be cameras, it's not alarming to anyone that you'd be there, be walking around or looking at things. You could easily do this without being detected. And you have many games going forward to where you can watch him. You don't have to count on looking at things that already happened. You can set everything up going forward. As far as I know, he did not do this. He likes to say he investigated then, but he will not tell anyone what he did to investigate or 
what he did to watch Possel for the next six months going forward. Because the cheating allegations did not end in March 2019. They went all the way through September 2019. So what was going on with Justin that this was alleged, which he admits in his own statement, it was alleged that Mike was cheating in March. But he does not explain what he did to make sure that Mike wasn't cheating. I don't care if you know for sure if Veronica was correct or not. That doesn't matter. An allegation was made by someone who seems like they're at least uh, somewhat credible and someone who you know and someone who seems reasonable. So they don't have to be right 100% of the time. You say, okay, I'm going to be watching. That's all you have to say. That's what a responsible manager, tournament director, or cash game director would say. And it appears you didn't say that. And if you did, you're not telling us you said that. You're not explaining this to us, and it doesn't make any sense. And in this long-ass statement I'm reading, you don't mention that at all, do you? There's nothing in there about the investigation you did when this was brought to you in March 2019, which, by the way, you said on Twitter through the Stones account that you did an investigation back in March. So I'm not just guessing you did an investigation. You claimed a year ago that you did an investigation, and yet you will not describe even today what that investigation was or what you did to monitor Postle going forward. How come that is if you did everything correctly? And that's a question we still don't have an answer to. Going on. There's more to this. Like he, he, he rants all this crap here, but doesn't really focus on the main thing of when this was brought to you, what did you do? All he does is bash Veronica for not giving him video. <laughs> Insane. Why does she have to bring you video? She's bringing you a suspicion. Act on it. I told Veronica that I thought she was wrong, but I also told her she really thought Mike was doing something underhanded. She should stop inviting him to her Veronica and Friends game. Oh, I see. So it's on her now. It's your game. You're, you're the employee of the room. You're the one who organized this whole thing. It's on you to keep the game secure. But somehow this is on Veronica that she doesn't invite him to her game that runs on that stream. We'll talk about that because this is the only reasonable part of this Whole idiotic essay. That was her game, he writes. She decided she decides who to invite or not invite, not me, not anyone at Stones. So what did Veronica do? The very next month, Veronica texted her player list to me for her game, and Mike Postle was on it. In fact, Veronica continued to invite Postle to, uh, on every list that she sent me after that conversation. If Veronica thought that Postle was cheating, why did she invite him to all of her games? Well, I think I can answer that. I'm not Veronica, and I don't know what's in her head, or what, what was in her head last year. But I can answer that because she has answered it before, and the answer to me seems reasonable. She said that when she brought the cheating allegations to you, that you dismissed them with such certainty that she actually thought maybe she was crazy. That she thought, okay, maybe she doesn't get it. Maybe she doesn't understand. Maybe Mike is playing at a level she just doesn't get. You seem so certain and you told her that there's nothing to see here, and you convinced her it's all fine. So it looks like the only thing Veronica was probably guilty of was being too trusting, was just believing that you had it under control and that you, under, you understood something she did not, which now she knows not to be the case, but back then she was fooled by it. Okay, she was fooled by it, great. But what says that you fooled her? I mean, you convinced her? I mean, whether there's a re- if she thought he was cheating, she's only inviting him to her game after that if someone convinced her he wasn't cheating. Who do you think that someone was, Justin? And whose fault is that? 
In any event, the fact that Veronica invited Postle to her game shortly after she made her comments to me seemed to confirm that this was just Veronica being Veronica. I don't even know what that means. You see, Veronica has the penchant for making outrageous statements and frivolous claims about people. Uh, no, I've, I've never seen that. <laughs> when she came out with this last year, the first thing I thought is I've never seen this from her. I've never seen her creating drama like this. She, she's, she seemed intelligent and reasonable to me. I've, she did not seem like drama. So that's not even true. I don't know her super well from my observations of her on social media. That definitely was not a description of her. The irony is that she has done this in the past to some of her co-plaintiffs in this lawsuit who now publicly claim to be her friends. She would often make these claims to me after a while. It would be a lot like the boy who cried wolf. Oh, I see. So supposedly Veronica is accusing everyone of cheating. And it's the boy who cried wolf. Yeah. See, he says that she did this to others but doesn't name who they are. That, that doesn't hold very much water, obviously. For those of you who think Veronica is a hero, do you think she told the other people she invited to the games if she thought Possible was cheating? What kind of hero invites other friends to a game with someone she suspected of cheating? Okay, that's that's a good question. But why are you doing this? What's the point of this? Why is this about Veronica? Why, what's what's with the Veronica bashing? I thought this is about you and how you were uh, wrongly accused and how you did nothing wrong. What's with this Veronica bashing here? Bottom line, it's still your game. It was still a game that you were running there. I don't care if Veronica decided who to invite to the ones that's... Uh, were labeled Veronica and friends. But you convinced her that there was no problem, right? I know you don't say that here, but isn't that what happened? And regarding inviting Postle, yeah, that was a mistake. Even without hindsight, if she suspected that, she probably should not have invited him. But as I said, she was fooled. She thought it. She came to you with it. She clearly didn't come to you with it because she wanted some kind of poker fame because she came to you privately in March of 2019. She didn't just hit social media with this. She came to you privately and said, let's not make a big deal out of this publicly, but I think Postle's cheating. So can you get him out of the game? And then somehow after that, you convinced her that he wasn't cheating and then she was satisfied with it and invited him to the game again. But obviously when she came to you, it was not with some sort of motive to become famous. Because she came to you privately. She did not go public for six more months. In the last year, he writes, I have seen a community that I consider family turn against me. Oh, I'm so sorry. I feel so bad for you. The community you considered family turned against you. I'm Justin, I know. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts when a community that you trust turns their back on you. After everything you've given them, they give you nothing back but pain. But pain! And I can understand, Justin. I mean, I I would be very upset too what the poker community did to you. They were your family. You considered them family and they just considered you expendable. Yeah, clicks. Just for clicks. You were expendable for clicks. And I know I know it's very hard to accept and I, I know it was hard for you to write this statement. So as I said, he wrote In the last year I've seen a community that I considered family turn against me. Those close to me know that I would never stand for or be involved in anything close to what I am accused of. 
Many of the people that joined the lawsuit and spoke out against me were people that I once called friends. Some of them I even considered family. (laughs) I cared about these people. I put a lot of effort into creating events and programs for them, and I cared deeply about my work and my integrity. I took it all very seriously. I put everything I had into it. I I loved making my poker people happy. I loved making you happy. And look what you did. Look what you did. (laughs) It turns out this community did not care about right or wrong or fairness or a critical review of the actual facts. It was a rush to judgment with a Twitter mob interested in saying outrageous things and jumping to unwarranted conclusions, all in an effort to get followers, clicks, and likes. It was all ego-driven. Even the ones that could have spoken out and knew this whole thing was bullshit were silenced by their sponsors. Wait, hang on a second. Silenced by their sponsors? Some sponsors actually told people who knew that you were innocent that they had to... Go silent? They couldn't tell the truth? Who are these sponsors? I want to know. Which sponsors forced people to be anti-Justin Kouradis? I don't have any sponsors. It wasn't me. I have no sponsors. The this, uh, this site is 100% owned by me and has no sponsors. I, I know I play the Eric Benzamokin ad and call him a sponsor, but he's just a, he was a one-time sponsor who's just generous to the free roll now, which I appreciate very much, but he's not an official sponsor anymore. There's no, there's no sponsors here anymore. And there usually have not been sponsors to this show. There are currently zero sponsors. So, I have no sponsors. But I realize others have sponsors. So, these sponsors, who are the sponsors? I want to know. I really do. I'm not being sarcastic here, Justin. Tell me, who are the sponsors? Because if, if sponsors were telling people, don't say such and such, I don't approve of that. I really don't. Even if, if the people are full of crap, I don't think sponsors should tell people... Uh, that they can't give their true opinions. I don't think sponsors should tell people that if you think Justin Kouradis is innocent, that you're not allowed to say it. I want to know who these sponsors are. Anyway, going on. On another note, I'm just so sad that many of you soiled Kevin Rack's name to further the hate and incite the Twitter mob. Remember, Kevin Racks was uh, the guy who died of cancer who uh, played in the main event when he was uh, very close to death to raise awareness about sarcoma, which is what he was dying of. I'm still holding $500 he was scammed out of that was subsequently sent to me by the scammer when I called out the scammer. And we're still looking what to do with that $500. As I said last week, I'm not going to keep the 500 It is going to be disseminated in some way. I've just had a hard time reaching his relatives and all that, but uh, it will be disseminated in an appropriate fashion. Anyway, uh, Kevin Rax played on that stream with Possel. And Possel took a lot of heat that, uh, you know, how can you cheat a dead guy? Or not, he wasn't dead then, but how can you cheat a guy who was dying of cancer and was terminal? So he, he's citing that situation here. He says, Kevin was an incredible person. I had the privilege of knowing him and becoming friends with him at the end of his life. Kevin should be remembered for all the goodness within him and as a bright light in the poker community. Well, he is. <laughs> what do you mean he should be? He is. What's he saying here? 
the fact that he has been tied to the situation in such a manipulative and cynical way makes his loss that much more painful. What? He's not tied to the cheating. He's being cast as a victim of the cheating because he was in games with Possel. No one has suggested at any point that Kevin Rax cheated or was involved in the cheating in any way. So what are you talking about here? It's not like people are uh, trying to kick him after he's dead by saying, oh, I wonder if Kevin Rax was in on this. Like, Not a single person has said that. So this is totally a straw man. I want to address those who are bringing Kevin Rax into this. Nobody's bringing Kevin Rax into this. They're saying they feel bad for him that he, he may have been cheated as part of the scandal, which is very reasonable to say because he played in those games. And he goes on to write, Lastly, I want to publicly thank Rudy Robledo, Kirk Rexford, and the countless local Sacramento poker players who had my back and circulated a petition to bring me back to Stones. This, of course, was never tweeted about or reported by Poker News, but by the time it happens, I was used to anything positive about me being ignored. That's not really positive that you're brought back to Stones. You shouldn't have been brought back. It is in times like these that you found out who your real friends are and their characters revealed. I found out that I don't have nearly as many friends as I thought I did, but the ones that I do have are really incredible. Well, look, if you do things that really disappoint your friends and make them re-examine their friendship with you and what they believed about you and what turns out to be uh, likely true about you, then yeah, you can lose friends over it. Now, that's not their fault. That's your fault for not living up to what they thought you were. And that can especially happen when the friends aren't super close, when they're kind of like peripheral friends who, who like you and like hanging out with you and think highly of you, but uh, they're not super close and super attached to you. Like a, a really, really close friend is probably going to stick by you even with something like this. It's a lot easier said than done to just walk away from a friend you really care about when they've made a mistake. But uh, friends you don't care about all that much, you just kind of like, it's much easier to walk away from them. I had a friend many years ago who, unfortunately, I brought into poker, not knowing what they were. It was a kind of a newer friend, and this person ended up being a scammer. And when I found out about it, I walked away from them. And you know, there, there were first some initial accusations. I wasn't sure what to think. And then when, I, when it became clear that this person was just like scamming a lot of people and doing so in a very nasty way, I, I walked away from this person. It's no one anyone here knows, but uh, this is many years ago. This is like before anyone knew who I was. But yeah, I, I walked away from someone when I learned things about them that I didn't like, even though they did not harm me at all. And I told them that. I told them I, I, I don't want to talk to you anymore. This is just too, uh, too bothersome, everything that's happened here. like, And they admitted some of these things eventually to me. So... I don't know why he's blaming them here. The Twitter mob is real, it is ugly, and it has real-life consequences. I have never before experienced so much hatred, ignorance, and even threats of violence. All of this just because one person on Twitter, he's referring to Veronica, and the mob of people who are willing to believe her without facts. It is pretty surreal to think about that in retrospect. The social media influencers need to be held accountable for what they say against people, especially if they are accusing someone of illegal activity without evidence. Social media provided them with a platform to hide behind a computer while hurling false accusations at me. Right or wrong doesn't seem to matter to them. It is the person with the loudest platform and the most followers that will get heard and ultimately believed, 
And that is a dark commentary in the poker community that must be reconciled for the good of its own future. Sincerely, Justin Caritas. Well, you see, it's, it's all the fault of the social media influencers for believing one person saying bad things. But that's not how it went. The, the social media community of poker went through all those hands, went through those videos and couldn't believe what they saw. They didn't just take Veronica's word for it. They, they went through it and like, oh, my God, look at this. <laughs> how do we miss this for so long? They weren't cherry picking anything. There's like, like Joy was just like letting it run on a stream like all day and all night. And they kept running into hand after hand after hand. That was crazy. And so many times possible was either staring out at his crotch or touching his hat. So these were very suspicious. Very, very suspicious. This was not just, oh, well, Veronica said it, so this must be true. That's not how it went. That's not the way I would ever operate. If you guys recall, there are sometimes accusations made where I look into them and say, no, the popular opinion is that the, that uh, such and such happened. No, I think the opposite happened. I think this didn't occur the way people are saying it did. For example, when certain people have claimed that their room in the Rio was broken into and their safe was compromised and they had their bankroll stolen during the World Series. Those are very sensational stories. They get a lot of clicks, a lot of play, and... People love reporting them because it has an enemy that's easy to attack, and that is the Rio. People hate the Rio. A lot of people resent Caesars. A lot of people just like to attack them. And I just want the truth. So when I see some of these stories, I immediately go into skeptic mode, and I start trying to deduce the truth, not what will make the most interesting story for this show or for my forum. And many times I've come forward and said, you know what? This looks suspicious to me. I have a feeling this didn't really happen. I have a feeling the person just... You know, shot off the money in the pits, or the roommate stole it from them, or they, they got mugged in the parking lot uh, because they were doing a drug deal and not because they happened to just be walking through and attacked by criminals or roved the parking lots. Like the, There's a lot more to the story than it appears. There's been many times I've come to the defense of the World Series, not because I kissed their ass, and you know, I have plenty of criticism for them often, but because I believe that what is being accused is not accurate. And other times there will be accusations that I think are accurate, and I will report on those. If you've followed me at all, if you've watched the way I behave, I never follow the Twitter mob or the social media mob. Now, I was not mentioned in this essay. Notice my name was not mentioned. Poker Fraud Alert was not mentioned. So I know this wasn't directly uh, for me in any way. But in subsequent conversations, uh, Justin did talk about how I've been bashing him relentlessly for the last year and things like that. So it was kind of about me, and it also kind of wasn't. My name wasn't mentioned. I wasn't one of the main people he was going after, but I'm part of that mob. And the point is, I'm not. The point is, he could have approached me, or anybody, at any point, and said, here's my side, and it would have been reported on, believe me. And there were plenty of people who would have. Even if he thinks that uh, Polk or Caritas would have covered this up, not Caritas, Polk or, or Ingram would have covered this up, which I don't think they would have. That there's plenty of others, like myself, that he could have come to, and he knows he could have come to, and did not. There's a reason for that. But uh, remember back in September 29th, 2019, one day after Veronica made those accusations public on September 28th, Stones Live Poker, the Twitter account at Stones Live Poker, tweeted, earlier this year, referring to March, an accusation was made that a player was cheating in our game. We conducted a full investigation and found no evidence that any cheating had occurred. Stones Live Stream remains a secure poker streaming platform 
the recent allegations are completely fabricated. This is September 29th, 2019, almost a year ago. So what did Justin do? What was that investigation they talked about? It's right there. It's still up there. Go take a look on at Stone's Live Poker on September 29th, 2019. You will see that's right up there. So what did they do in this investigation? They would never answer that. They still won't answer that. Justin won't answer that. And that's the most important question here. Well, Justin did not get a good reaction to this whole thing. He got a very poor reaction. I think he was expecting a good reaction. I think he typed this whole thing up and really thought that this uh, heart-wrenching story about false accusations that people are going to feel bad for him. People are going to feel like the Twitter mob victimized him, that he was victimized by uh, Doug Polk and Joey Ingram, that he was victimized by Veronica, and that everyone was going to invite him back with open arms with a sincere apology. Because after all, it looked like Mac had cleared him, right? So he thought. He didn't realize the poker community is not that stupid or gullible. And that people read this statement and thought it was a big load. (laughs) So he did not get a good response. He got a horrible response. He just got killed in the responses on Twitter. A guy named uh, Spencer Heckwolf. Don't know who he is, but he responded to Justin. Yeah, man, who amongst us doesn't win 9 billion standard deviations above the mean? So Justin responds, except Joey Ingram and Doug Polk used false made-up data that inflated Mike Postle's winnings by over 100K and the lawsuit left off multiple losing sessions. So here's our defending Postle. Then someone named Google No Agenda tweeted, I was actually interested in reading this, ready to give you a chance. I'm not a fan of cancel culture. You continue to perpetuate outright lies. The real-life analysis were wholly incomplete. Uh, not real-life, the, the rounder-life analysis were wholly incomplete. The rounder-life... Cherry picked the analysis Joey referred included data based on every session. Justin says back the data was made up, real numbers inflated by over 100k. You've been sold a lie. So notice he doesn't address what this guy said. The guy says back to him, "Sorry, you're correct. The numbers were inflated. I noticed that. So his win rate was probably closer to 500 big blinds per 100 hands, not uh, not 1100 big blinds per 100 hands." <laughs> Good point. Like I've made that point too. If the win rate is so gigantic, cutting it in half is not going to change the story. So Justin writes back, cool to use big blinds as your metric in a 1-3 game with 80K on the table and normal opening bets of $100 plus. Even Alicia544, that was that friend of Veronica's, won 18K plus in a single 1-3 session. Okay, but how did Possible win so consistently and never make a mistake that was significant? That's the big question here. A guy named Kanish at 4-Bet Bluff said, LMAO, are you kidding me? You are a joke. Nobody believes this garbage. Justin says back, verifiable numbers with hand-by-hand breakdowns for everyone to, to verify at rounder life. Not one person to date has proved them wrong. You up for the challenge? What is he talking about? Marley says, when people reach the point of irrational explanations and zero self-awareness, they're not worth hearing out. You've been there for a long time. Justin says back, speaking of irrational explanations, let's talk about my stolen car, Marley. Am I a time traveler? And then he puts happy, uh, like laughing faces. And he's back obsessing over that car again. Uh, seriously serious. Tweeted, the website, referring to Rounder Life, you keep quoting, has zero credibility and appears to be even part owned by Postle himself. The cherry-picked data, on the other hand, he put cherry-picked in quotes, was gathered by multiple people independent of each other with no dog in the fight. This weird statement makes you look worse, to be honest. 
That's, that's all true. A good point by Sirius. Sirius. Kareda says back, you could totally compile the numbers for yourself and prove rounder life numbers wrong. Well, I'm waiting. <laughs> so the, the problem is he thinks that like any crackpot thing that rounder life puts out that everybody owes a rebuttal. I mean, it, it looked like it was laid out pretty clearly to me. Like all rounder life did was obsess with over the the win rate, saying it's half of what it was. Well, okay, that that doesn't say much. That doesn't change anything. A person named uh, Akar B-Ball wrote, can you show one big hand where Apostle makes an incorrect river decision? Just one hand through all his sessions, not the one where he made like a $30 river call either. Like one big river miss and I'll take another look at Apostle. Justin says there's a ton that have been ignored, but you want only one? Here's a $1,000 call on the river that Mike Apostle made with the worst hand. Now what's interesting is this was sent to me privately by uh, this Poker Heroes account. Remember this Poker Heroes account that's... Uh, only used to back Postle. It's an account that was made as like someone's second account that just uh, maybe a shared account to just back Postle and troll people who've criticized him. I suspected it was Postle, but Haley hints when she communicated with that account that it didn't seem like Postle. So I think there's a good chance that Poker Heroes is at least sometimes Justin Kouradis because, boy, it's it's very similar to some of the stuff that Poker Heroes was saying to me privately and Justin Kouradis is saying here including this particular hand. Now, this particular hand with a $1,000 call on the river is a tough spot for Postle because he had two pair that was losing against a straight in a spot that wasn't, like, super obvious. So he just didn't want to fold. And also, Postle was way up in that game. So he I figured I'm winning so much money that I might as well just uh, call this off. And he looked very unhappy. Like, as soon as the guy fired the turn... Apostle looked super unhappy as if he knew he was losing, but also knew he couldn't fold. Um, then Akar B-Ball said, you gave me what I asked for, fair enough, but you basically gave a spot where he has to call, or else it would seem suspicious. By the way, insulting people in a letter like the one you sent out makes you look really bad. Uh, Jay Carver, referring to Jason Somerville, said nothing against you and you still slandered him. So then Justin says back, see, this is what happened every time. Quote, show me a hand where he calls the river bad. Then, oh, he had to call the river. It would look suspicious. Well, yeah. I mean, when we say show us a hand where he called the river bad, that, that means show us a hand where he called the river bad where he had a choice not to. Not where if, if he didn't, it would look terribly obvious. You said give you an example and you would reconsider. I gave a damn good example and you just explained it away. No. Something would be a damn good example is if, like, someone made a very big bet on the river and all he had was top pair and the person had been representing strong the whole time and possibly called, like, 3000 bucks off with top pair. That still wouldn't prove it because uh, he could be purposely losing sometimes, but it seems like Possible wasn't really doing that. It seems like he was only calling down when he felt like he really had to. So, like, if he called in that spot, I'd say, okay. Or if, let's say Possel did this big re-raise bluff all in on the river when his opponent had the nuts. I would say, okay, these are things to think about. Not totally clear as Possel. He could have been doing this on purpose, but it's something to think about that, yes, here he put a bluff, a huge bluff in, which was going to be snap-called on him. He's going to lose a ton of money. But we can't find one like this. We're not talking about calling very reluctantly on the river. You have two pair against a straight, and you call $1,000. And when I brought this up, they like, oh, what, $1,000 is enough money for you? Well, yeah, it's not enough money for me if he's winning 250000 in the game in a year and a half, in a 1-3 game. Yeah, that's not enough for me. Not in a session where he's up like 10 k already. 
Jeff Bertrand said, literally everyone besides Rounder Life who researched the hands with any kind of depth proved them wrong. Jesus, referring to Rounder Life, Jesus, how inept can you continue to be? Stop lying to people who you want to be employed by if you ever want to be back in this industry. And Correa says, literally no one other than Rounder Life actually researched the hands. What do you mean? Joey sat there for like a week doing this nonstop. Literally no one to date has disproven their work. Even if it's run by Mike Postle's mom, facts are facts. Go disprove them. Well, she's not really. If this is being analyzed by something that is related to Postle, something that, that, that has some closeness to Postle, which it does for sure, then right away that kills some of their credibility, especially a, a publication that isn't really well-known otherwise. It makes it look like it's a propaganda piece for Puzzle. Now, he may say facts are facts, but, but the problem is that any analysis they do, you know, is not being done from the standpoint of neutrality and trying to get to the truth. It's being done from the standpoint of trying to prove him innocent. And that's the big problem. And you say facts are facts, but uh, first of all, they don't disclose the relationship with Puzzle, which is very dishonest on its face, like right away. And second, even if they did... They're not neutral. And uh, they seem to be focusing on a lot of minutia and not on the main facts of everything. Like, who cares about his win rate? So the whole statement was garbage. And his responses on Twitter were defensive, but they weren't up to the level of trolling yet, as you can see. Like I, I read you those responses, and they were kind of uh, combative, but they were not trolling. They weren't trying to get people angry. They weren't trying to get people aggravated. Now, believe me, Justin was very, very unhappy with the response he got. He was not expecting that there was going to be such a consensus of rejection against him. Just nobody wanted anything to do with him. Everyone was saying he's a piece of crap. Everyone was saying his statement sucked. He was just getting hate everywhere. By the way, I'm getting a message that uh, it was taken down, his, his letter. I don't know if it was or not. Let me see. Let me see if I can find if it was taken down. Someone just me- me- messaged me right now that uh, he took down. I-, I thought of that at the time, and I actually – I'll tell you what I did. This wasn't fun, but uh, I actually uh, converted the PDF into text by hand. I didn't even like, run it through an app to do that or anything. I just actually typed it out myself. Because I had a feeling he might remove it at some point, and I wanted to make sure it was preserved. So it's preserved on my site forever. Let me see if uh, if it was taken down, though. i got to find the link to it. It was on uh, Google Drive, and... No, it's still there. Never mind. Well, if it ever goes down, it's, it's on Poker Fraud Alert in that threat about possible in the scam scandals and shadiness form. But that's exactly why I did it. I typed out the whole thing. That's, I don't think there is a place where it's all typed out except for on my site. I think everywhere else just links the PDF. But I, I know better. People like to remove things from the internet. And once they've put out a statement for the public, then uh, it does become the public domain and then I can uh, I can copy it and put it on my site. And this way, if they delete it, it's still there. So it's going to be here. This was a statement for the public, and therefore I am making sure 
that the public always has access to it. Okay, so let's uh, let's go on here. A lot more to say about Justin as this went on. Because remember, he got a bad response. So what did he do? What did he do? He peaced out. He literally peaced out. He found this really obnoxious gif of Spider-Man. <laughs> a Spider-Man doing like a, like a peace out motion. This really obnoxious big gif. And wrote this at the end of the day. September 15th when this is all going on. Well, guys, it's been fun, but I'm moving on with life. I'm willing to give interviews with professional journalists only and looking forward to tell my full story in the upcoming documentary movie with Dave Room. Enjoy the mobbing. And then he has the Spider-Man peace out gif. Brian Paris, has been a poker pro for a long time, tweeted back, the worst part of this is the awful gif. <laughs> He's right. Like When I saw that Spider-Man gif, I go, boy, this is obnoxious. This is just as obnoxious as Justin himself. But that was what appeared to have happened. But that's not actually what happened. Justin appeared to have taken his ball and gone home after making his triumphant return to Twitter with his statement where he wanted sympathy only to get anger from everybody. Only for people to be revolted by him and his attitude. So he peaced out and ran off. So we thought. And we thought that he was, quote, moving on with life and giving up getting back into poker's good graces. And everyone kind of had a chuckle about this. But Justin was not going to be scared away that easily. He slept on it and woke up and decided, no, 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 no. I am not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm returning to Twitter now with a different tone. Now I'm just going to troll everybody. Now keep in mind, throughout that day, September 15th, when he returned, he was trying to speak with everybody in a reasonable tone. When I say reasonably tone, he, like the things he was saying weren't reasonable and he was being arrogant, but he wasn't trying to troll. But I just kept hammering him over and over with the same question, which he wouldn't answer. And he was getting really, really frustrated that I was doing this. I could tell he was really unhappy with his question just repeatedly being thrown at him. And I, I kept asking him, you were told a year ago, or you told us a year ago, that you were given information by Veronica in March of 2019 that there was cheating in the game by Mike Possel. So you said you investigated. What did you do to investigate? And what did you do to monitor Mike Possel's play for the next six months while he was on the stream? And I asked that over and over and over again, like 10 different times, every time he tweeted to somebody else and not answer me. Why didn't he answer me? Well, because there's no answer to that without looking either incompetent or guilty. Because I doubt he did any investigation. If he did, it was a crappy one. And he definitely didn't monitor what Possel was doing for the next six months because possibly all kinds of suspicious things and Justin didn't seem to stop it. So he knows he can't answer that. He doesn't want to answer that because there's no way to answer that and still look good or even decent. So he's been ignoring that. The thing about answering professional journalists was actually kind of a swipe at me because he kept saying that he doesn't want to answer me. Later on, he, he finally gave me an answer. He wouldn't acknowledge me at first, then finally gave me an answer later, the following day, that he won't answer me because I'm not a professional journalist and he only talks to professional journalists. But anyway, he came back. 
He came back the next day and decided he's just going to troll. <laughs> so the first response I got from him when I asked him why he hasn't answered, he tweeted back to me a pinned tweet of his that says, I'm willing to give interviews with professional journalists only and looking forward to telling my full story in the upcoming documentary. So he circled that part about professional journalists only. as a little taunt to me. He also made the Mac Verstandig statement his official background banner profile pic on his Twitter. <laughs> That's actually his picture on his Twitter. Go look at it. At JFK, like Justin F. Caritas, JFK Poker TD. At JFK Poker TD, you'll see his background picture is actually the statement from Mac Verstandig exonerating him. This is exactly why I didn't want Mac doing this. This is exactly why I did not want him making such a statement that's that strong because this just allows people like Justin to do this. This is why you've got to be careful what type of statement you put out. This is exactly what I thought might happen and is happening because you can't count on Justin and Stones to uh, not flaunt this in people's faces. So that was what he sent to me. Then he put to me Hey, Todd would tell us, you will get the full story when everyone else does. Sit quietly and wait, is what he wrote on September 17th in the morning. So he's basically giving everyone the middle finger until the documentary comes out. But it got worse. He wrote to me, uh, let me correct you. I'm only taking questions from people that haven't spent the last year bashing me with their made-up evidence. That means me (laughs) and others. That he feels were bashing you with made up evidence. I, I, no, I wasn't. I said, give me your evidence that exonerates you and I will go to bat for you if you're right. And I've always been fair to everybody. So he, so he goes on to write, is it your style just to rip people and then ask for interviews? Get the fuck out. No, that's not my style. My style is to give you a chance to explain your side. And if you're right or reasonable, I will say so. So I say back, I'm not asking for interviews. I know you won't do an interview with me, nor will anyone, nor, nor will you with anyone in this matter, because you're afraid to answer real questions. I asked you a simple question to where your answer would explain a whole lot. Your avoidance of that question speaks volumes. And it does. Why can't you give that simple answer? What did you do to investigate in March of 2019? And what did you do to watch Possel going forward for the next six months on the stream? Still don't have an answer to that. Then he told me, ask Mac Verstandig. Why should I ask Mac Verstandig? Mac Verstandig's made the only statement he's allowed to make. I can't ask him. He'll tell me I can't say anything further, and he'd be correct. Ask Mac Verstandig. He thinks that's a stupid, prepared statement that Mac was forced to make in order to to get the settlement for his clients exonerates him and answers everything. Okay. Now, if you want a good laugh for a moment, let's, let's take a little time out here to have a little uh, little comic relief. little comic relief here. Sean Deeb has been injecting himself into this somewhat. At one point, Sean Deeb was offering $100,000 to Mike Postle if he will out his co-conspirators, which Mike Postle didn't take. It would have been interesting if he did. Sean Deeb then uh, had a conversation back and forth, a private conversation on Twitter with Justin Kratis. And posted the direct messages, and uh, I'll give Justin credit. He got a good barb in at 
Sean Deeb. He really did. You know, I'll give credit where it's due, Justin. See, I, I'm not I'm not going to only bash you. You said something clever here, so let me read the exchange. So, Sean Deeb wrote to Justin. I don't know if he opened with this or if they were already talking. I don't know why you ignore all the obvious questions. You want to actually clear your name. Stop avoiding the obvious stuff which needs explanation. Now, Sean Deeb's a very poor writer, but he's trying to say, why are you ignoring the obvious and clear questions which could clear your name? And uh, apparently you don't want to do that. That's, that's basically what Sean was saying. So then Justin writes back, oh, my God, you actually think I care what you think about me? Laughing face, laughing face, laughing face. My name is already clear. Even the plaintiff's lawyer, Mac Verstandick, says so. Maybe you should talk to him, Deeb, and the laughing faces. Or laughing faces. So he, here's, here's the little barb that uh, Justin gets in. Sean Deeb says back, I know how courts work, buddy. And then Justin says back, you mean food courts? <laughs> See, because Sean Deeb is fat. I know how courts work. Oh, you mean food courts? Okay. Okay, I'll give you that one. You got him there. So Sean Deeb, to his credit, posted that exchange and said, since other people are posting their DMs with Justin, I feel I could show mine. I will admit he got me good. I had no retort for him. He won this time. (laughs) You mean food courts. See, Justin, if you put as much effort into investigating cheating in your game as you did saying witty things to Sean Deeb in private, we wouldn't be here today. This wouldn't be an issue right now. You'd still be still be in good standing with the poker community. Okay, so let, let's let's get back to serious stuff here. Now Joey Ingram has been quiet. You notice Joey Ingram's been quiet? Why is that? Why has Joey Ingram been quiet? Notice I have not read any tweets from Joey Ingram. Doug Polk spoke out a little bit. But you know, back to Justin. But how come Joey Ingram, who's been the bigger target here, how come he said nothing? I don't have an answer for you. I was told by someone that uh, Joey Ingram just is sick of it. He just doesn't feel like answering. He just doesn't want to get into the mud anymore. Okay, it's his choice. I think he should respond. I mean, you, he injected himself into this very heavily, whether he likes it now or not. He did, so... I wish Joey Ingram would say something. The funny thing is, uh, I'm saying like a lot out there. I've really injected myself in the last two weeks, especially the last week. And somehow, uh, Joey Ingram has been quiet, which is weird. But supposedly Joey Ingram has no reason for this other than just being tired of it, which is his right. He's not bound to do this. But if you're wondering why Joey Ingram has been quiet, that's the reason. Mac Verstandig has been uh, taking some heat. I mentioned before that some people weren't happy with his statement. Sean Deeb wrote, I hope one thing poker players learn is never to use Mac's law firm again. I hope those poker players working under him also bail. Such a joke in every way. Well, that's not really fair. I mean, there's uh, Sean is a great poker player, but he's not... He's not a good writer. He writes like he's still in third grade, and he also uh, isn't all that knowledgeable about a lot of uh, life issues. He kind of reminds me in some ways of uh, Stewie Unger, except uh, Stewie Unger was uh, way too thin, and Sean Deeb is the opposite of that. But 
they do have that in common, that they have a lot of poker talent, but uh, when it th- comes to things that are not poker, uh, they tend to struggle. So Sean Deeb was being unfair to Mac here when, in reality, uh, it's a lot more complicated than Sean understands. Now, Mac knows this. Mac knows that uh, in a debate with Sean about uh, the way he handled this from a legal perspective, he can easily win. So Mac was happy to engage him. Mac had actually gone quiet for a few days after this settlement was announced because I think he saw what was coming. I think he saw the coming storm that people were not going to be happy with that statement. So he kind of went quiet, which was unusual for him. Mac is usually very, very active on Twitter. But he returned. And uh, on September 18th, that's uh, less than 24 hours ago, he wrote, Sean, based on your review of the briefing and court's ruling, I'd welcome your constructive criticism of where you think we erred. So obviously it's kind of sarcastic saying, okay, Sean, uh, let's hear your expert opinion of uh, where our law firm made mistakes, knowing that Sean can barely write a a coherent sentence, that he's going to have a hard time explaining where Mac Verstandig uh, wasn't a competent attorney. So Sean did respond. He said, I'm no expert. But I would have went to the gaming board first and had them fine issue a judgment against Casino for negligence and then use that to win a civil case. It doesn't really work that way. <laughs> also, I would have never written that statement as you for such a small fee if you really believe they they innocent. There's a lot better ways to show it, but it sounds like you were bought and bought cheaply. Let me translate that for you. Seriously, Sirius actually does this. He'll actually like be the official translator for uh, Sean Deeb. He did not translate, so I'll have to translate here. Uh, Sean D was saying, for such the, the amount of money you made on this, you made uh, such little money, if I were in your shoes, I would never have written a statement like this exonerating Stones and Caratus. I, I would have said, uh, forget it. There's uh, a lot better ways to show that they were really innocent if you believe that, and if you didn't believe it, you shouldn't have written that. That's, that's basically what you're saying, and they, they bought you really cheaply. So Mac said back, I'm somewhat restrained on what I can, can and cannot say involving a settlement, but I will share the idea of statements coming with resolution is far from new. And if I had held up a settlement based on my own ego, not my client's interests, I'd have failed at my job. Well, that's true. That is true. He, he can't say I'm not going to do the settlement, as I explained before, if the clients want it. Sean said back, if you think the settlement was the best you could do for your clients, you wasted yours and their time from day one. Taking the case, I think no judgment is better for all parties than that one. I would have happily paid out of pocket for your clients to not take that deal. Again, let me translate. Sean is actually saying that uh, for the amount of money they recovered, 40K, that he would have given the 40K for them to just not take the deal, which I don't know if he would have really done, but possibly. Sean is uh, sometimes kind of free with money. It's possible he might have just said, hey, here's the 40K, don't make the deal. But obviously Mac didn't know that (laughs) when he took the deal. And uh, he was saying that, why did you take this case in the first place if this is the best they were going to do? I have an answer for that. Mac did not know at the beginning this is the best they're going to do. He filed a case for many millions of dollars. He knew he wasn't going to recover many millions of dollars, but he thought he was going to do a lot better than this for himself and the clients. And it turned out California law was immature. And uh, also the judge has to do a certain interpretation. You know, this was not super obvious. This was something where the the judge can has to interpret the law and make certain rulings. So if the judge had ruled in his favor, then they would have been a lot better shape. This particular judge uh, 
did not rule in his favor. And I'm not even saying the judge made a mistake. The the California law is just not good for things like this. So uh, I understand why Mac was reaching for the stars initially and then unfortunately got the cold reality that the case was no longer very good because it, most of it got dismissed. And that, that happens all the time in court. And he said the idea of statements coming with a resolution is far from new. That's also true, that statements, when there is a resolution, are very common. So as I've said many times, I don't blame Mac for making a statement. I just thought the statement didn't have to be like this. It didn't have to go this far. It didn't have to be this strong. And if it did, I I think he should have counseled the clients that uh, maybe they don't want to do this, that there's a lot of downsides to doing this. And as I said, maybe he did, but uh, I don't know for sure. Mac said back, Sean, in Nevada or New Jersey, that would make a lot of sense and prove a good strategy, but since the California gaming regulators don't handle civil disputes with casino patrons, I'm not sure how that could have worked in this case. That's referring to going to gaming. And so Sean just says back, it's not a civil suit when a rigged game is on casino floor. So he just doesn't understand. So obviously Mac won this debate, but uh, it wasn't that hard. Uh, it is interesting that Mac is claiming he would have paid the 40k instead of Stones, but Sean, next time offer that wall of settlements being discussed and that after it's actually been settled, that'd be better. Now, there was a little bit of a, a controversy that sprung from this. Never really got an answer. But Mac has a disgruntled client, Jake Rosenseal. I don't know him. He's at the Jake 427 at the Jake 427 on Twitter. He was one of the non-settling plaintiffs. This is not just a troll on Twitter. This is actually an actual plaintiff who has since been dropped, along with all the other plaintiffs that wouldn't settle. But he wrote, Mac, do you consider lying to clients, telling them that certain people have signed the settlement who have not, to try and persuade them to sign is acting in their best interest? Just curious. If a client called your law firm expressing their dissatisfaction with a settlement offer prior to having enough signatures and that client was lied to and told it was a done deal and they needed to sign if they wanted to get their money, is that in their best interest? Mac didn't respond to this. And that makes sense why he doesn't want to get in the mud with one of his former clients on public social media. Uh, so this is an accusation from Jake. I don't know if this is correct or incorrect. This is Jake's side. I'm sure Mac has his side. He's just not putting out there. Maybe if I heard both sides, I'd be on Jake's side. Maybe I'd be on Mac's side. Maybe I would kind of be in the middle. I don't understand one thing that Jake wrote where he said that there weren't enough clients to have the settlement uh, be valid and that Mac lied and said they had enough clients. Uh, the only number I heard was 65, and they never reached 65, yet the settlement got done. So it looks like there's still not enough clients today, and yet they got done. So I don't know where the lie was. Maybe Mac did have enough. Maybe Stones was willing to accept 50. Maybe they said 65, but they were willing to take 50. Maybe they got, I don't know when Jake talked to him. So it's possible there was no lie, and Jake just thinks there was. He did bring up the thing at the end about is encouraging clients at all to sign a settlement that includes a completely fictitious statement in their best interest. He's, he's basically saying Mac's putting out a statement that none of us agree with and you're you're encouraging us to sign this and I think that's bad. But uh, I'd have to know exactly what discussion was had between Mac and the clients before commenting on that. Uh, that is a possible criticism that the clients were either told it's a good idea to sign or weren't advised enough the downsides of going along with this from the kind of social media and public perception standpoint and the standpoint of what Stones is going to do with this statement once they have it. 
But it's a little interesting side story. I'm not taking sides in this because uh, I don't know enough about their personal thing back and forth. And uh, that's what Jake Rosenstiel put out on public Twitter. I don't blame Mac for not responding. I would not respond either if I were uh, him because uh, you, you never gain anything arguing with uh, clients on Twitter. If the client is very high profile and you not responding would make you look terrible because they have tons of visibility, then yeah. But if it's just uh, someone who isn't that well known who's making these accusations, it's, it's best to ignore them and deal with it privately. So I don't know if he contacted Jake privately after this, but Jake is very unhappy, whoever this is. And uh, I, I only understand part of what he's complaining about. Some of it doesn't make sense to me, as I mentioned. But that that was actually more interesting to me than the Sean D part. The Sean D part, like, I was just Sean not understanding things. Well, Justin then decided, you know, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go hard. I'm just going to go hard and... Uh, I'm just going to troll. I'm just going to outright troll now. So, he did. <laughs> so later on September 18th, actually early on September 18th, Justin just decides he's going to start trolling. He's, he's not even going to take him seriously anymore. So he writes, uh, the only poker podcast I consider doing is Joey Ingram. My rate is 10K per half hour, one hour minimum. <laughs> And then he has conditions, too. Like, like 20K minimum isn't enough. He also has conditions. Must be 100% live. No edits post-production. I get to ask Joey one question for every question he asks me. <laughs> Payment up front in cash and face-to-face in Sacramento. Come on. I mean, that's just straight-up trolling. He does not think that Joey's going to pay him 20K per hour to be on the show. He's putting that out there just to... Get people pissed off, and it worked. You, got, you, you know, he had people who were angry responding back and going off on him, and people were some people were making uh, threats of violence to him or pseudo threats of violence, and then he'd tweet that back to Sacramento PD to arrest the people. No one got arrested, but it's just all he's trying to do is aggravate people at this point. He realized the triumphant return was a fail, and he's just trying to aggravate people. So Justin's just straight up trolling. Okay. So let's move on to the rest of this story. There's so much more to it. There's a woman named Ku Fang. K-H-O-U-F-A-N-G. Ku Fang. She is the one who I refer to as the uh, 48-year-old, actually 47-year-old grandma. She tweets under two different names. And I thought these were two different people, but it's actually one person. It's Ku Fang. She tweets under poker underscore grandma and poker underscore thug. Now, the poker grandma account is the more polite account. I actually thought it was a different person. It was very pro-possible, but it was mostly respectful in the way it would talk and tweet. Poker thug is very aggressive and trollish and writes some really horrible and nasty things, especially to Veronica, but even has written some nasty things to me. They did not claim they were the same person. They would try to imply that they were different people. They both purported to be Asian females, but they made it appear like it was two different people, and then I learned it was the same person, and I accused them of it, and they admitted, yes, they were the same person. 
and then they insulted me. So, uh, under the Poker Thug account, there is a weird tweet on September 2nd. And by the way, you may wonder, is Ku Fang a professional poker player? No, I don't believe she is. She she is a recreational poker player. Uh, some people have told me she's a losing recreational poker player. But uh, I know she has a real job, or at least had a real job. And uh, she has some association with Possel. She has been with him when he's played before. The two of them are friends. Maybe they're more than friends. Whatever it is. Uh, she is very, very pro-Possle and has been defending him very strongly. Some people think that this account is is actually Possle. It's not. Maybe Possle's used it before. I'm not saying he hasn't ever typed on it. But I believe most of the tweets, or maybe all the tweets, on the Poker Thug account are coming from Ku Fang and not from Possle. Though she's almost like a mouthpiece for Possle. On September 2nd, she dropped a cryptic tweet about something that was going to be happening on September 28th, which is not a random date. That's the year anniversary of the date Veronica made the public accusations against Mike Puzzle. On September 2nd, she tweeted, I know you little girls watch my account. Don't worry, September 28th is still three and a half weeks away. We'll be ready. I'll be gentle on who's on the list. Guaranteed Veronica and Joey Ingram are at the top two. Silence is the best offense, but soon Possible be like, and then she did a gif of bombs dropping. That was September 2nd. That was before the settlement was complete. That was before the shit show from Justin this week. This is now uh, almost three weeks ago. September 28th it was referring to, which at the time was 26 days away. But that there's two people on the top of the list, Veronica and Joey Ingram. It's not clear what list or what she's referring to, but that uh, bombs are going to be dropped. Silence is the best offense, but we're going to be ready. And September 28th is the day. I thought that's a weird day. It's exactly one year. Maybe it's symbolic. Maybe it's not symbolic. So I was wondering, hmm, does this have to do with a lawsuit? Because I knew that the statute of limitations for libel and slander in the state of California is one year. So once a year has passed and you have not take action, taken action against uh, what you believe to be libel or slander against you in the state of California, then time's up. Statute's over. So that's uh, maybe what they were referring to, I thought. But uh, I kind of talked myself out of believing that because I thought, well... Why would it be actually September 28th? The deadline would be September 28th to do anything about it, to file a lawsuit, but why would it actually have to be September 28th? It could be any day. It could be tomorrow. It could be uh, it just within a year, not on the year anniversary. So I thought, okay, that's probably not it. And then I thought maybe it's about this documentary, which they talked about. So I figured maybe that's what they're referring to. But then I started to realize the documentary is not coming out September 28th or anywhere near September 28th. So I'm like, okay, what's happening on the 28th? You know, maybe she's making this up, but that's kind of a specific weird thing to say. Like she's going to look like uh, she just has zero credibility if the 28th comes and goes and nothing happens. So I, I was still kind of wondering what's happening on the 28th. Well, we got a little more clarity today. Now, again, this could all be trolling. This could all be posturing. She's been trolling plenty from this Poker Thug account, but she tweeted this little poem here. It's a dumb poem, but I'll read it to you. The storm is a-comin', there's no denying, soon serving summons, and they'll be crying. 
If you're not named, don't fear, don't fret. We know you've defamed. The internet never forgets. Like You're right, the internet never forgets. That's why Justin Corradis didn't do very well with this statement. But, soon be serving summons and they'll be crying. Well, that's really making it seem like a lawsuit's coming. So who would they be serving these summons against? Now, this is assuming she's not just making this up. Well, I would think Veronica is the most likely one they would go after. That's the one they hate the most. That's the one they blame the most for this entire thing. I would think uh, Joey Ingram and Doug Polk would be possible targets since they covered this a lot on their channels and they're accused of doing this to get views. And uh, there are some others that they could be going after, some that have fairly deep pockets, such as Poker News, who did a lot of articles on this. They appear to be doing more uh, news than editorializing, but maybe there were some editorials too, I don't remember. Then ESPN and Scott, Scott Van Pelt, who works at ESPN, because if you remember, Scott Van Pelt did a scathing segment where he called out Postle and actually called him a cheater. So I had actually kind of quietly wondered at the time when Scott Van Pelt put this out there. I was like, wow, that's a pretty bold statement to make that Postle's cheating when they haven't proven it yet. But I figured if required to, they probably could show that there was enough belief that he did and that all the poker experts in the community believed that he did and that there was uh, you know, enough pointing to it to where they could probably get away with saying that. But I, I was wondering, you know, I wonder if there's, there could possibly be any kind of legal action against ESPN since they have deep pockets and that this is a pretty bold thing to say. Usually when this sort of thing is put out in the mass media, it'll be like it's alleged or someone's... He was just outright coming at Apostle there. So I did wonder if anything would ever be done. And so maybe that's going to be one of the targets is ESPN or Scott Van Pelt or both. So maybe the whole point of this lawsuit is kind of like a nuisance lawsuit, both to hassle people like Veronica just for revenge and also to actually recover decent money out of uh, deep-pocketed corporations like ESPN and, and Poker News, especially ESPN. So uh, maybe that's the main point of this, and maybe that's how Postle could have found an attorney to take this on contingency. I guarantee that an attorney is not going to take this on contingency just to sue Veronica, because uh, I don't think Veronica has super deep pockets, and they also wouldn't have a good case against her. So it would be a bad case, and how much money are you going to get out of her? So that would not be worth it for an attorney to take on contingency, Whereas if the attorney thought that they could recover some money out of ESPN out of this, that would be worth taking, even if the case was uh, questionable. Now, there are a lot of hurdles in the way for them to succeed with any kind of libel or slander lawsuit. First of all, Justin Kouradis and Mike Postle could easily be cast as limited-purpose public figures for poker which then would make the libel and slander claims extremely difficult in court if this limited-purpose public figure thing were to be established. A limited-purpose public figure, you may have heard of that or may not have, you probably haven't, but it's uh, defined as one who has gained prominence in a particular limited field but whose celebrity has not reached an all-encompassing level, and uh, it could also mean one who voluntarily becomes a key figure in a particular controversy. Well, I think both of these could apply to Postle. 
Apostle was promoted as being like the god of the stone stream. They even showed him as Jesus in a graphic on the stream. So this stone stream, he was the star. As far as the players were going, he was the star. He was the, the biggest star of the stream, even bigger than the when when actual uh, bigger names in poker would come play on it. He was the bigger attraction because he just destroyed the game constantly. So the way they promoted him was that he was the big star of the game. And you would think that by itself would automatically make him a limited-purpose public figure when it comes to poker. Now, the difference between a limited-purpose public figure and a public figure is that a limited-purpose public figure is only about a certain topic or community. It's not in general. So um, I'll give you an example. Uh, A relief pitcher on the Dodgers could be considered a limited-purpose public figure for baseball, but someone who's not really famous, I'm not talking about someone like Kenley Jansen, who's very well known, but you know, just, just uh, some middle relief pitcher on the Dodgers that baseball fans would know, but everybody else wouldn't. You could say he's a limited purpose public figure for baseball, but not a public figure. So if you were to come out and say that uh, this pitcher uh, is purposely losing games because he, he you think he secretly has bets on it. Uh, if you really thought that, even if you were totally wrong, it would be very hard for this guy to successfully sue you for libel or slander unless he could show you were really just making this up to be malicious. If you just were delusional and thought this was true because it seemed like he was always blowing it in big spots and you were an angry Dodgers fan, uh, he wouldn't win this lawsuit if he were considered a limited-purpose public figure because in order to win a libel or slander lawsuit, if you were a limited-purpose uh, public figure – you have to, or a public figure, or a regular public figure, you have to prove that not only was the statement false, but that the person who made the statement knew it was false when they said it, which is a lot different than just it being false. They have to know they are lying when they say it, which is very hard to prove because you'd have to be in their head. So the only way to really prove it is to have evidence that they knew it was false, like, like some email of them conspiring with their friends to say false things about you, something like that. But just someone being stupid or delusional or paranoid, and making a statement that isn't true about you, but that they actually stupidly believe is, if you're a limited-purpose public figure in the in a certain industry or in relation to a certain story, then you're not going to win a libel or slander case. And this was established in order to prevent uh, people who get commented upon because uh, they're famous in a certain... Uh, niche area of life or that they're part of some kind of news story that uh, they can't just go sue everybody who talks trash about them. Like, like, um, let's say somebody who's in the news for something that uh, otherwise wasn't famous. Let's, I was picking off the top of my head. Uh, Rachel Dolezal, remember the woman who pretended that she was black when she was really white and was part of the uh, NAACP? Uh, remember when that all came out? she became a limited-purpose public figure in relation to that story. So if you were to bash her and even say things about her that weren't true, but you thought were true, uh, she could not get damages from you for libel or slander because uh, she was uh, thrust into the public spotlight through her own actions. Uh, So anyone who's put into the public spotlight through their own actions or someone who uh, just is prominent in a certain area, and that's where the area of things are, are occurring then they, they're not going to win a libel or slander suit against you. 
Now, going back to that baseball example, if you said that that particular middle relief pitcher molests kids, he could sue you and win because that has nothing to do with baseball. He's a limited-purpose public figure as far as baseball, but that accusation would not have to do with baseball. So that's where being a limited-purpose public figure, you couldn't claim that you could have said that even if you believed that to be true, and you were just wrong. So definitely all the statements about Apostle had to do with poker. All the criticism of Apostle and Justin Caritas and even Stones were all poker-related. They were all related to the scandal. They weren't about things outside of this. So if these guys are limited-purpose public figures, it's going to be very hard for them to win a libel or slander suit. And I think they can easily both be established as limited-purpose public figures for a few reasons. First of all, because they were both very prominent on a public stream. This wasn't commentary about their private play at Stones. This This was commentary about a public stream, which is meant to be viewed by the public, which was getting more and more popular which Justin Caritas was the face of running the whole thing, and Mike Postle was kind of the star and promoted as a star. So these two things together, plus this was a very large story that made it into the mainstream media, specifically ESPN and Barstool Sports and the stuff that Caritas himself named in that statement. So once you see it on ESPN... You'd say, okay, well, this this is a national story, which I'm just commenting on. And that becomes a different matter. Once you've been thrust into the national spotlight through a story on ESPN, then uh, at that point, it's very tough for you to be successfully sued for libel or slander when talking about those accusations. And again, it's to protect average citizens who are talking about items in the news. So if you hear something on the news and then repeat it, that you're not uh, opening yourself up to a lawsuit for libel or slander if it turns out the things are not true. So I don't think this could win. Now, you could say, well, Veronica brought this out on September 28th before this is on ESPN. But Veronica brought this out and, like, I'm concerned about what's happening. And that brings me to my next point, that everybody in poker, save for you know, a few people who seem close to Possible, believes that Postle was cheating there. There's a consensus about this like I've never seen before in the poker community. People who normally are at each other's throats, like, for example, Negranu and Polk, agree on this one. Everybody came together with the same view, with the same opinion, even people who detest each other and would love to make each other seem wrong. I'm sure Negranu would love to make Polk seem wrong. I'm sure Polk would love to make Negranu seem wrong here. They were in full agreement here. How often does that happen? The whole community came together because this is so obvious. So if you have all the experts in poker, the respected experts, the very best players, and the very best uh, uh, analysts of poker play, and they're all getting together and saying, independently, we view this, and in our expert opinions, this was cheating, while that may not be enough to win a lawsuit... That's also going to be a very good defense to why people would say, yeah, this was cheating. Because all the experts in the field are indicating that they believe it was. So that's a good defense, too. And Veronica's initial accusations were just like, if you go look at the tone of them, 
they weren't like this is definitely cheating. They were just like, hey, uh, I'm concerned this is happening, and hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong here, but uh, I had to put this out there. And then people looked into it and came out with, yeah, you were right. This looks like cheating. The truth is always a defense. So with pretty much every expert in poker agreeing that this was truth, that's going to be very hard for Postle to claim that he was defamed or libeled or slandered. Also, if this is filed in state court, either California or Nevada, then there's also something called anti-slap, which allows lawsuits like this to easily be dismissed. Any lawsuit that has the appearance of one that is for purpose of chilling criticism or free speech can be easily dismissed if that's what appears to the court is uh, the actual situation. If the, Even if the lawsuit purports to be something else, if the purpose of this seems to be punishing those who are exercising their right to uh, commentary or free speech, uh, it can be dismissed uh, through an anti-slap motion. An anti-slap motion is a quick motion that can be done fairly cheaply that uh, allows the court to examine that uh, even if their claims are true, would the lawsuit succeed or would it be thrown out anyway? And if it looks like it would be thrown out anyway, then it is dismissed right away and the defendant can collect all attorney's fees and costs associated with the lawsuit that was filed against them. So this is meant to dissuade plaintiffs from hitting people with frivolous lawsuits, knowing that uh, it's going to intimidate people because uh, just the whole hassle with being sued and have to hire an attorney and spend all the money and also uh, sweat out what's going to happen and have the, the thing drag out for years because the court system so slow. This is a quick and easy way to get things like this dismissed. This is not in every state, but California and Nevada both have it. Now, if they file this in federal court, this doesn't apply because there is no anti-slap in federal court. So given that such a case would be uh, garbage, in my opinion, it's hard to picture an attorney taking this on contingency for possible. Stones could use their own attorney or afford their own attorney. Uh, I don't think Courageous or Possible could without uh, having a contingency, and a contingency is not going to be done if the attorney thinks that the case is crap, which I'm thinking they would for the reasons I just mentioned. However, as I said, if the main targets are ESPN and Poker News and maybe Doug Polk and Joey Ingram, they may think, hey, look, these, are, these people and entities all have deep pockets, so maybe they'll just settle to do away with this. I have a feeling Doug Polk wouldn't settle. I have a feeling Doug Polk would fight this, and I have a feeling Joey Ingram would fight this. Uh, but you know, with companies, you never know. It's possible ESPN will say, yeah, you know, Scott Van Pelt, we agree with him, but he shouldn't have said this, so fine, here's the money. Like It's very possible that that's why Possible may have found an attorney to take this on contingency. So don't, don't say this isn't happening. It, it could have. And this Kufang... Uh, woman, she seems like she's being pretty specific about everything. September 28th, and about summons are coming. She's going to lose the ability to say things like this if nothing happens. So my opinion is that something is happening. But I'm not sure. It could be trolling. If it's trolling, good job. You got me to talk about it. But uh, this could be happening. But I, I don't think this has any merit. I think this can be dismissed without too much trouble. It'd be a little trouble, but uh, I think, provided ESPN doesn't back down or Poker News doesn't back down, I think uh, 
this isn't going to go anywhere. It just wouldn't make sense that it could. This this is not what libel or slander is about. Uh, libel or slander, like let's say somebody just out of the blues just started saying that uh, I stiffed them out of money, and just I didn't. They just made this up to to trash me, and they just kept posting, "Don't trust Todd. All he does is rip you off." Um, and just kept saying it over and over to try to ruin my name when I have never ripped them off and I can prove it. Uh, that would be a, a decent case for me to bring against them. I still have to show damages, but it would be a decent case for me to bring it against them because this would just be them making something up that is meant to make me look bad and ruin my reputation when it's not true. But th- this is a case where you have every expert in poker, the very best players in the world, the very best poker commentators in the world, all agreeing that this looks just like cheating. So even if it's not quite enough to get a judgment against Possel or a criminal case going against Possel, then uh, just because of that, that, that does not mean that the other side is true and that he could win a libel or slander suit here, especially after this was covered on major uh, news outlets that are outside of poker, like ESPN. So we'll see what happens with that. I guess we'll see, uh, we won't necessarily see by the 28th, because it just has to be filed before the 28th. I'm not even sure about the federal statute limitations for slander or libel. I just know the California ones are a year. There's a documentary that is being made. Not might be made, it is being made, for sure. Dave Broom owns a company called 25-7 Productions. 25-7 25-7 Productions is not some fly-by-night piece of crap company. This is uh, an established company that makes documentaries. They have 25 employees. They have existed for 17 years. They seem to be reputable. They seem to have a decent reputation. They have produced documentaries for Netflix before. So there's a lot to be said for Dave Broom, the owner of 25-7 Productions. This is not just some hack. He is the one who has been cited as the producer of this Possel documentary. And this has really baffled everybody. Possel's bragged about it in the Sacramento Bee. Caritas bragged about it in his statement. They seem very excited about this documentary coming out. But yet... People are wondering why. Why is this documentary coming out? Who Who's going to care about this beyond the poker community? Why is Dave Broom wasting his time with this? I would understand some freelance documentary maker who's uh, yeah, kind of will take anything he can find and is hoping to strike gold somewhere. I could see someone taking a shot at this if uh, they don't have much else going on. But this is a guy with a successful documentary company that has uh, some respect and has been around for 17 years, why would he take this on unless maybe he was hired, if someone was paying him to make it? Now, that was the initial suspicion that maybe this documentary was being bought and paid for by Stones. There are rumors, and I shall say rumors, I'm not saying that I know this to be true, but there are rumors that Stones hired some kind of a PR or crisis management firm to help them with this scandal. And then there were further rumors that this company recommended producing a documentary which is favorable towards them and Possle and Caritas to try to distract everybody from the truth, to put out their version and to make it to where it's confusing enough to everybody trying to observe this that maybe they were innocent after all. Maybe this was all 
about nothing. Maybe it was all false accusations. So that was the initial thought that Stones was behind this. But I decided to just try the direct approach and ask Dave Broom about this directly. So I did. I tweeted at Dave Broom and I asked him uh, what was going on here and if Stones funded this. And he responded to me, which surprised me a little. I wasn't sure if he was going to respond to me, but he did respond to me. And he said to me that uh, Stones is not uh, funding this. Which is interesting because uh, now this doesn't mean for sure that Stones isn't funding this in some backdoor way because it's possible that someone else is paying for this like a PR firm that technically isn't Stones but is on behalf of Stones. So I wasn't sure what to believe with that answer. Dave Broom said to me on September 16th, while playing this out on social media isn't how I typically produce, but I will say to everyone in the poker community, you have the chance to be part of this, for or against Mike. He will show why he's innocent, and those who believe he's not will get their chance too. Well, there's some problems with that statement right there. He will show why he's innocent. That makes it sound like Dave already thinks he's innocent. Not he will show why he claims he's innocent. He'll just show why he's innocent, which is questionable. Also, he didn't answer who was paying for this. But before we get into this further, let's see who's on this phone call. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Todd. It's Veronica. Veronica, welcome to the show. I thought it might be you. I recognize the area code of being from the Bay Area, so I thought there's a good chance it was you, even though I don't know your phone number. So uh, thank you for coming on the show. I know we, I, I thought you might call in because uh, I knew you were listening and, and you had messaged me that you might. So that's she was the person I was referring to who might call. So I'm, I'm glad to have you on here. Yeah, I've been listening the entire time, and uh, this is my favorite show of yours, just based off of the entertainment factor. You've really upped your game. I like the sound effects. Um, I like your reading the tweets, you know, all the backstories. I'm impressed. Oh, thank you. I'm a fan, Todd. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's very, very nice to hear. And uh, Yeah, some people like the sound effects, some don't, but they're going to be here anyway because I like the sound effects. And I'm talking about the documentary here, which is good to your calling in because I know uh, you're part of this uh, story as well with the documentary as you're part of a lot of this. Dave Broom, I know he contacted you initially uh, before you were even familiar with who he was, which I don't blame you. I didn't know of him either until all this. And, uh, and at, at first you didn't even know if he was legitimate. You thought this could be a prank, right? Yeah, I thought either a prank or I was being set up by Mike and Justin somehow. And just to give, and I'm sure your viewers have heard the whole story, but just a little bit of backstory, you know, they're making up constant new accounts to troll me, threatening me with lawsuits and all this stuff, like all those cryptic, cryptic tweets you were reading earlier, you know, the, the, the litigation is coming. They're always like, you know, you just wait, you know, something's going to happen to you. Nothing ever does, but I've grown a little paranoid. So when he contacted me, when he called me, and when I started asking him questions and he didn't have good answers, I started becoming a little skeptical. And then when he told me that Stones and Mike and Justin were participants, willing participants, I became very suspicious because they have not talked to any credible media sources. 
they refuse to speak to Wired magazine. They refuse to speak to you. They refuse to speak to anyone unless they're um, giving them a soft interview like Matasau did or siding with them like the SAC B. Yeah, that's true. And uh, so I was suspicious too. Uh, now, when you mentioned on the on Twitter initially some weeks ago about Dave Broom, right away I looked at him and I'm like, okay, this guy looks legitimate. Like I, my impression was that the guy was legit, but I I did have questions about the motivation. I did have questions about who hired him, uh, what's this about, uh, whose side is he on. I was very suspicious that this might be a pro Postle piece and pro Stones piece and was going to really make people like you and and people in the poker media look bad. So I was concerned about yeah. that. I, I, I'm still concerned about that. But uh, that – so that was a few weeks ago. Uh, so I decided, as, as I was mentioning before you called in, I decided two days ago I'm just going to ask him directly. Like, is Stones funding this or not? Is And I, I wrote to him uh, – so, Mr. Broom, you're not producing a one-sided pro-possible documentary which ignores the tough questions, are you? Any comments? So he gave that answer I had read about how uh, he wants everyone to be part of this. But he still didn't answer who was producing it. So I responded back. Can we please have an answer here? Is Stones paying for any portion of the cost of this documentary? If so, what are their expectations? This should be known before anyone in poker agrees to participate in it. So he responds by saying, this is not a Stones doc, guys, just so everyone understands the scope and scale of the project. Well, that still doesn't totally answer it. He he could say, this is not being paid for in any way by Stones. They have given nothing, and they no one representing them has paid anything. This is totally separate from them. Uh, this is about them somewhat. Like he could have said something like that. This is not a Stones doc guy who doesn't fully answer it. That could be something that's true, but doesn't tell the whole story and leaves out major pieces that would make it kind of like a Stones doc. So I said, okay, that's good to know. But unfortunately, you didn't provide an answer about the funding. Did Stones or its ownership pay anything towards the cost of the documentary, or did they pay you or your company any money? Please clarify. Well, he didn't clarify. Uh, now, he did uh, he did say back to me, Todd, I don't place projects out on social media. I've made an exception here so that everybody can see my transparency. Stones is not funding the project. So that's a little bit more clear, but still not as clear as I'd like. We'll have more announcements in the near future. I want to hear from the poker community in this doc series. Thanks. So it seems like it's not coming out really soon if he's still looking for people to uh, be part of it. There's, there's a lot of post-production. Yeah, and it's not listed anywhere as a pre-production or anything. Apparently, anything that gets approved for production is listed. Yeah. So that's I, – I have to imagine this is a while away. It's a, a long process to making these things. I'm assuming. I'm assuming – the thing is, though, when he called me, he contradicted himself. He first said, like, I'd like to set up a, a video interview with you. I'm going to go to Mike's house and Justin's house and your house on the same day and – uh, I really need to get this done. And it was odd to me because previously he told me he was filming for months. And I'm like, well, why would you need to go to all three of our homes in three different cities and film in one day if you've been filming Mike and Justin for months? Huh. Um, yeah, just he was just kind of saying odd stuff. And he did ask me a few times, have you signed settlement? Are you signing the settlement? 
And that's what triggered me to think, you know, why does he care if I sign the settlement? Is he, you know, what is he up to? Why is he asking me about that? Yeah. No one, ever, no one's ever asked me about that. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing's kind of weird. Uh, he, he, he answered another guy on Twitter, actually, who listens to the show, a person named Will Sheed wrote, uh, do you understand what the general consensus is within the poker community about whether or not Puzzle cheated? Will that consensus be clear in the documentary? And Dave said, yep, I want to tell that side as well. Well, let's think of a very popular documentary that got released this year. Not about poker, but probably the most popular documentary you can think of in 2020, and that would be Tiger King. Tiger King, incredibly popular during the uh, beginning of the coronavirus pandemic when everyone was at home and looking for something to watch. And there, this went viral. Everyone talking about it. And after you watch the whole thing, if you stop and think, wait a minute, how did they get all these different people to go on there and say so much? Especially people like Carol Baskin, yeah. the way they were portrayed. Like, would Carol Baskin have done this if she knew that uh, they were going to imply that she killed her husband? Answer, of course not. But clearly, I mean, Carol Baskin wrote this whole, like, rambling thing on her website claiming she was innocent, which a lot of it I don't believe. But the part I do believe was that they made it seem to her like they were friendly towards her and that they were going to tell her story like that she was a victim uh, of the Tiger King and that she was the good guy in the story and instead uh, she came off as the bad guy. So uh, no one looked great in the story, but she looked pretty bad and she did not intend that. So I wondered with, with Dave Broom if, if this is going on here. If, and so you never know what angle they're really doing. They, they say one thing to you when they make these documentaries, if you're participating in them, but then what they actually show is something else completely. So it's possible they're playing uh, Justin Caritas and Mike Possel and making them think this is going to be a big defense of them and then get them to act like fools and then show the truth and they're going to be furious when it comes out. It's also very possible the other way is going on here to where – this is going to be pro Postle and pro uh, Caritas and pro Stones, and they're trying to get people in poker to participate in it only to make them look stupid. So I would not be part well, of this. Well, I want to ask, what people in poker are they asking to come on this show? Because when I was speaking to him, it didn't sound like he had any of that organized. I said, what professional poker players have you spoken to? He said, none. I'm like, well, who are you going to speak to? And he's like, well... I don't have anyone yet. I don't ha- I don't know. I don't remember exactly if he said I don't have anyone or I don't have anyone yet. If he ever planned to, he didn't talk about that. But yeah. he had no involvement with anyone except for Stones, Justin and Mike. And which that's made me. That's a good point. Nervous. And, and I've thought of this, too. I thought of this near the beginning. Uh, why is it that he has people to speak to on that side? And I'm not hearing of anyone besides you that was asked to be on this. And uh, maybe there were some, and I don't know who they are, but and they haven't said anything about it. But uh, that is weird that it, there should be people that he could go to right away besides you. And as far as I know, he hasn't approached them. So maybe he has and they haven't said anything. But, yeah, that's that's another thing to be suspicious about. But he is insisting that Stones isn't backing this. But then again, maybe he's just saying that because uh, he can technically say it. Maybe it's not directly out of Stones' pockets. And that's the only way to get uh, people to participate in, in, in this documentary on the other side to make it more interesting for viewing. I don't think that Dave Broom is 
an agent of Postle's. I don't think he's like Postle's best friend that's looking to defend him. But it's possible that uh, he's sympathetic for some reason and wants to tell the story from that angle of uh, kind of like the social media mob attacking the poker, uh, the great poker pro that isn't fitting in with the community, isn't part of the community of cool kids. So I actually text him yesterday or this morning. I can't remember which day because these last three days have been insane. But uh, I text him and I said, you're, let's backtrack, Justin retweeted something he tweeted. As soon as I see Justin and Poker Thug and all those people retweeting something, I just know it's a bad, I don't want to be associated with that person. So Justin retweeted him and I text him and I said, you're giving cheaters and cyber bullies leverage and that's terrible. I think I sent you the screenshot. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. And then, and then he responded basically that I have no idea what he's trying to do. He got mad at me for releasing his private information online. I apologized for that. I told him I could not, I was not able to verify that that was him contacting me. And so I thought more than likely he may have not been the right person or the, the person he claimed to be. And so I wanted to put it online. Um, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I interrupted you. No, no problem. He, he sent, so it, it looked like in that screenshot you sent me, so he, he kind of got over that, but, uh, and I, I understand why he was annoyed by that. It was probably a little alarming to have that put out there, but he, he also has to understand this is kind of a, a sensitive issue and you've taken a lot of abuse from all these trolls about this. And uh, that, that right, uh, and I told him that, and he was seemed empathetic. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's or bothered me to watch all this, all these, these, and I've spoken out about it a lot of times. That all these trolls that have harassed you for the no good reason here. But anyway, there's still the big question of who is funding this and why, because there's some reason that he's doing this. Either someone's paying for it. Or he's paying for it and using his company's time for this, which would mean he thinks there's some kind of payday down the road, like uh, Netflix taking it. But I just can't picture that. I can't picture much public interest in this outside of poker. It just is. Yeah, initially the story can be kind of fascinating to listen to for a few minutes if you're outside of poker. But then it gets very boring if you're not part of this whole community. Let's let's think about this from the standpoint of somebody who's not in poker. Yeah, a guy who's playing poker and, and may be able to see whole cards because they're it's being communicated to them in some way and they're making great plays and winning a lot of money. Yeah, that's interesting, but then where do you go from there? You know, like the intricacies of well, it. Well, the thing is about that, about someone watching poker who doesn't understand poker, you can see that there's a percentage of the poker population who actually thinks Mike didn't cheat. Can you imagine someone who doesn't understand what they're looking at? And when Bart, Bart broke down the hands, I thought they were still too technical, even though he laid off on a lot of math and he explained it pretty well. I still thought it was too technical for an average non-poker player. I can't imagine how boring it would be to watch what they don't understand to be cheating or not cheating. Right, and that's that's and that's the problem with this whole thing is it's it's kind of hard to present and be interesting to the general public for anything more than a few minutes because then it's going to start getting into too much detail, which is too hard for the average person who doesn't know poker to understand. So that's that's why I don't think there would be right a lot of points for someone like Dave Broom to fund this himself, thinking okay, I'm going to 
make something really interesting and then sell it. So to me, it does seem like someone is bankrolling this to be made and that Dave Broom has simply been hired to do it. Now, Dave Broom has no association with poker that I can tell. So it doesn't look like that Postle knows him through poker or that uh, Stones knows him through poker. Or Now, it's possible someone knows him from some other source. But uh, I, I think he was probably just found as someone who makes documentaries. And there's been a theory that has been floated by uh, a certain source. And I don't, know if, I don't know if this is true. This is someone who is uh, telling me that they believe this to be true. But it's someone whose reliability, I, I don't know how good it is. So this could all be BS. But uh, it's something that's worth considering. I want you guys to listen to this. An unlikely source may be behind the funding of this whole thing. There is, uh, well, there, there was an interview that was done with comedian Kevin Hart, who also has association with poker and he enjoys playing poker, on August 26th with uh, Jeff Gross. And in this interview, which lasts 36 minutes, in the final two minutes of it, uh, Kevin Hart says something interesting which I'm going to play to you. Now, this doesn't reveal everything. Like, it doesn't, it's not a smoking gun that we figured this out, but it, it's interesting timing. And I had someone bring this to me who said that they really want me to know this and that this has to do with the whole Postle thing. And they don't have any concrete proof, but I will say, at the very least, it's an interesting theory. So I'm going to play you this portion of it, and then... I will discuss this. It's only, again, this is a 36-minute interview. I'm only going to play the final two minutes, and then you guys can tell me uh, what you think of this. I don't know if you'll be able to hear this, Veronica, as I play it, but if not, just uh, sit tight. People from all different, you know, just it's, it's a s'mores board, right? You get everything. Have you taken anything from poker? Have you used in your routines? Is there any stuff you've picked up from the poker table that you use in your comedy routine or apply? I'm working on a project now. Uh, that I think is going to be special. You know, not since Rounders have we had a good, uh, a good, well, no, that's not true. I'm sorry. I thought the last one was pretty good. I know. Molly's game? Molly's game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, loves Molly's game as well. So, you know, it's an intriguing world. And I think, uh, a false, uh, uh, something that's, that's just highlighting the high stakes space and, that world of craziness, you know, it makes for great content. So I'm trying to develop a uh, a series that can just be, you know, a ten episode series that uh, that highlights something in this space. I've been working on it for a while, uh, but if I nail it correctly, it could be special. You gotta get our boy Teddy Chin in there, man. That's my. Okay, let's stop it right here. So he's developing a ten episode series that highlights the world of high stakes poker. That he thinks it's a very interesting world and it's not getting enough uh, publicity, not enough uh, play of all the stuff that goes on there. So he's putting together something he thinks is special, a 10-episode series. So he referred to Rounders. He's referring to Molly's Game. But they, these are theatrical movies. He's not talking about that. He's, he said he's put together a 10-episode series about poker. Well... He is someone who easily could have been behind this. And that's what this person's telling me. Then this person claims they haven't told anyone but me this. They said it's fine if I want to put it out there. And this could be someone setting me up. This could be someone who's just uh, trying to get me to put this thing out there and make myself look stupid. And I, I realize that. So 
Take it with a grain of salt. The person who brought it to me, I, I don't know how reliable they are, and it could be someone screwing with me. But it, I'm curious your thoughts on which one is more likely, that Stones is funding it or that Kevin Hart is funding it? Hmm. See, I was thinking about this Kevin Hart thing. So when this thing was first shown to me, what I said back to that person was, okay, what does this mean? Like, he's talking about a series. What does that have to do with a documentary? And then they kept insisting this has to do with it. And then I thought, you know what? It is possible. What if that, what if Kevin Hart noticed this story and said, hey, this, this would be good for my series. Let's do one episode about it. And so maybe he actually hired Dave Broom's company to make all 10 episodes. And this happens to be just one of them. And we're just not hearing about the other nine because there's no reason to contact us about the other nine. So maybe this just happens to be part of the process of making the series, and Kevin Hart doesn't have any kind of agenda to make Possible look good or to make uh, Kuretis look good or Stones look good. He just thought it was an interesting story, and he wants it covered as part of his uh, 10-episode poker series. Maybe this will be one episode, and maybe Dave Room really is trying to make something objectively, but who knows? So it could be that. I, I agree that's a possibility. This also could be full of crap or someone who's just theorizing based upon something they saw on a YouTube video because this is on YouTube. If you want to see the whole thing, it's called uh, Don't Miss This Exclusive Kevin Hart Interview with Jeff Gross. So you can look this up. It was from August 26th. But as far as the question, do I think this is more likely or Stone's funding it being more likely? Well, I believe uh, Dave, the Dave Room wouldn't just outright lie on public Twitter and say that Stones wasn't funding it when they were. But I do think it's possible he would say that if, like, he's hired by a PR for, firm on behalf of Stones. So right. uh, so that's still possible. And the fact that he wouldn't be super clear about it was kind of annoying. Like, He's not required to tell us who's funding it. He could just say, I'm not telling you who's funding it, that, that I can't reveal that, but it's, it's not Stones or anyone associated with them. It could just be that. Like, if it were Kevin Hart, he's not associated with Stones as far as I know, so that would be a, a true statement if it was Kevin Hart. So I don't know why he can't just be really clear about that if it's not them. The way he responded really made me think there was some kind of Stones association or Apostle Association or Creators Association with the funding that he was trying to dance around, but maybe it was just the way he was putting it. I would say it is more likely that this is stones related in some way. But I, I think there's a fair chance this Kevin Hart thing is a legitimate tip. It's uh, it's legitimate enough to where I covered it here. I was debating whether I should even cover this, but I said, you know what? It actually could make sense. It actually would answer a lot of things. It would answer where, you know, who would have the money to put this together uh, why a professional company like 25-7 is putting it together and they're not just hiring some uh, some cheap freelance documentary maker. Like, it, it would make more sense that someone like Kevin Hart would hire a respected documentary firm that's that's done respected work in recent years to put this together, especially if it's part of a 10-episode series. I have to imagine yeah. Kevin Hart has a, a, a lot of money to put into these things and it seems like he has a passion for this project. If you watch the rest of the interview with Kevin Hart, I watched probably about half of it. Uh, just once I, I started watching it, I kind of just uh, was leaving it on and doing something else in the background. And he was saying, and I think I believe him, that he has a legitimate interest in poker. He just enjoys poker. He likes the community. He likes just the, the game uh, that he's not just doing this so he can get 
sponsorships with with sites. Like there are there are some quote pros who are assigned with sites like Poker Stars or GG Poker who who really don't give a crap about poker and they just have a big name that you know from outside of poker that for marketing purposes. But he's he was trying to say he's not one of those people. He legitimately likes the game and and I believe that. So uh, it, I could totally see where someone who has money, who is famous outside of poker, would like to do a series about poker that he feels that uh, there's a lot of stories to tell. And let's face it, in, in recent years, this is probably the biggest one. So that it does make sense. But who knows? I, I could be taken for a ride here by someone who's just uh, trying to get me to cover it and then laughs in the background as I, as I stupidly... Uh, go along with what they uh, led me on. So I'm cautiously bringing this one out here, but maybe this will turn out to be the case. It, it, w- it would answer some questions that I otherwise would have here. So uh, like, like for example, would stones, re- would it really be worth it for them to spend a lot of money on this documentary? Like how much, how much business do they think they've really lost from this? Like how much is it worth spending? Well, it's hard to tell, I think, because of COVID, right? Yeah, it is. Um, they, I'm pretty sure from September, they've they've seen a drop off. I don't know how considerable it was because a lot of my poker playing friends were still going there. Not Alicia, but um, Jake was still going there. Matt Holdsclaw was still going there. Oh. Um. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's going to go there now. Yeah, they may not. Like, I, th- that's so weird too. Why are they letting some whoever it is, Justin or whoever that is, on on the so, Stones account? Here's bat- my theory. Go off like this. I have a th- yeah, yeah. So, so today, so these last three days, from my perspective, if I were to see him like in the emergency room or something, I would say, oh, his family brought him in. He's in a, in, in a manic phase and he needs some help. He has been tweeting day and night. He has been sitting on a hilltop and arguing with anyone and everyone who goes near him, repeating the same talking points without any substance. And I tweeted out, at him today that you know he needs to get help um i think from my in from my interactions with art who the gen who is the general manager i remember i got into a fight with roger bailey on twitter and he pulled me into his office not roger bailey but he i've argued with roger bailey but art pulled me into his office and he's like veronica this is not helping you. I'm telling you as a friend, you need to just ignore Roger and just, he will stop if you ignore him. Like this is not going to benefit you. We don't want you including stones on your tweets when you're bashing someone or arguing with someone or whatever. And so I think Justin is in this manic phase I mean, there's a spectrum. He could be in a light manic phase compared to someone who's like bipolar in a full manic phase. But I think Justin went rogue. Justin handled those two stones account. I think he just probably logged in and just wanted to (laughs) shove everyone's face in the fucking lawsuit. I honestly think 
although Stones has stood by him the entire time, I think that they want they want everyone to just be quiet and let this pass. And Justin rubbing everyone's face into this, I guarantee you, was not something that they wanted. Yeah, it's, it's so weird. I'm like, pretty sure he went rogue. I, I'm not sure it's I mentioned so this weird. yet. And it's it's so his tweets. It's so, like, with the emojis in there and his, like, stupid little gotcha responses or, well, I didn't know whatever shit he said about Mac and the settlement. Well, I've never seen a lawyer write that kind of verbiage, but who who are we? We're not lawyers or whatever. He said some sarcastic, smug little shit from the Stones account. I think I think he's lost it, and I think he's gone rogue. Yeah, I, I don't think I mentioned it yet on the segment, but uh, what we're referring to here is that uh, the Stones account is also tweeting, and it's not identifying who's on that account, but it looks like it's Justin. And that just started as soon as Justin came on and started all his tweeting. So it really looks like that Justin's going on that too and flaunting in everyone's faces. Oh, look at this uh, statement we got from Mac, and then when people are fighting back, he's actually fighting back with them on the Stones account. Whoever's operating it, probably Justin, is doing this in the Stones account. It's very bizarre because you would think that uh, I thought the whole point of the settlement, aside from saving money on legal expenses, was to uh, get most of the plaintiffs to shut up, that they would basically be agreeing not to defame Stones or, or bring to somebody more and try to just silence people by giving them a token sum of money each. And this isn't being accomplished if Justin's going to go on the Stones account and fight with people. It's very bizarre. You, you would totally think that exactly what they'd want is for this to go away and be forgotten about, not uh, have someone trolling through the Stones account, which is definitely happening. I don't know who's using it. I, it seems like Justin, I agree, but someone's trolling on that account, which is really weird. Well, I will tell you from day one, Justin was the person running the Stones Twitter accounts the entire time. The entire time. He has, I'm sure, the login still. So the it I do everything with probabilities. There's a strong probability that it's Justin. You know, let's let's eliminate what we know it isn't. And we've never seen anyone else use that Twitter handle except maybe when, you know, they did the they tweeted something about the DOJ and being compliant with the DOJ. I don't know who that was, but 99% of the time, it's been Justin. Yeah, and really... Except we, it, since I did the scandal, and then they just put out a few tweets. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. And then going back and forth with people, we're not bragging, merely restating the facts. We haven't had the opportunity to respond up till now. As the 60-plus plaintiffs, including their lead counsel, certified that they had found no evidence that there was cheating at Stones. Here's one of those statements, and that he's putting up that same statement that that uh, was cut the exact same statement as he is in his personal account yeah. so like either two people have the same brain at stones or like justin and someone at stones or it's justin that's the exact same graphic cut the exact same way and then he and then he writes to somebody else uh this is again uh under the under the stones account uh uh, from day one, we've worked our tails off to provide the exact environment you're talking about. Safe for our guests to gamble. 60-plus plaintiffs, including the lead counsel, certified they found no evidence there was cheating at Stones. Here's one of those signed statements. So he writes this again. Like there, there's, it, It's pretty much over and over about here's the signed statement. Uh, 
and then he writes to somebody else who's who said, uh, thanks for the reply, but you didn't answer the question. So I'll ask again, why would a casino who claims to be innocent agree to a monetary settlement with one of the plaintiffs or some of the plaintiffs? I've been wrongly accused and sued before. And since I did nothing wrong, I didn't settle. Explain. And they re- respond back simply an act of good faith. Plus, you are confusing settling with agreeing with a plaintiff rather than a business decision to move forward and put an end to this ridiculous case. Like uh, when lawsuits are settled by companies, this is what they don't do. They don't go on social media then and have back and forths with individuals about it. They, the whole point of settling is to put an end to it and shut the whole thing up. So this really does run counter to what you would think management would want. And I think if, if he is melting down, I think the reason is because he got such a disappointing response to this whole statement he typed up. He really, I believe, thought that it was going to be received well. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. Because it feels like in a vacuum, right? These past three days, if someone doesn't know who he is. But you saw that letter, pictured that, that character, that person, if that letter was a person, picture talking to that person and trying to bring something to them. And if they're not involved, they're completely oblivious to it and think they're too smart you know, and you're dumb and making you feel that way. And if they are involved, they're going to gaslight you. Either way, you you can't win with that person. You can't make sense of anything to that person. There's no rational thinking. You can see what it was like for Casey and I to go to him with anything. Oh, yeah, I, so I can see that. This person, let me just, uh, like, just to describe him as a person, just this, like, this narcissist, this nasty narcissist. And and I always say this, the biggest leak of the narcissist is the lack of empathy, the inability to see anyone else's perspective, thinking that what they are selling us, we're just going to buy blindly. The, the inability to see that people have critical thinking skills. They're not just going to be told something. So when Justin wrote out that letter and I said, not really that sarcastically, I really think he was grinning ear to ear, picturing in his mind this delusion of grandeur of everyone in the poker community embracing him. Thank you for your transparency. Thank you for letting us know and clearing the air on this matter. Thank you for what you've done for the poker community. Were we so blind to not see you for who you really were. I have a feeling that was going on in his mind and, and he would be vindicated and Veronica would be shown to be this horrible human that she is just wanting likes and follows. And then reality kicked him in the fucking face and he didn't know what to do. So what can he do? He can't do anything but fight back and stubbornly stand by his, you know, the cheating allegations or not that there were none. No, there was no cheating because he can't change his mind. If he's involved, which I think most likely he is, he can't change his mind. This is, this is the only default he has. There's no convincing him. Well, and the big problem he has here is it's, it has to do with that question that he wouldn't answer that I kept asking him. And that is that uh, 
either he has to admit that he was wrong about the cheating and that it was brought to him in March and he let it go on for six more months right under his nose, even after it was told to him, hey, there's cheating in your game by Mike Possel, and he let it go on for six more months where he looks stupid and incompetent, or he looks like he was in on it and guilty. Either way, he looks terrible. And so the only way out of this is to refuse to address that and to just blame those that brought it out. Blame you, blame the uh, people in the poker media who publicized it, and try to put all the focus on that, and then try to focus on on stupid there's, minutia of, of uh, small mistakes that could have been made by there's people. There's so much, yeah. There's so much irrational thinking in his in in his brain, and I think that he believes that it's rational. Like to think that vilifying me w- equates to redeeming himself. That's very irrational to think that, oh, because I didn't bring him evidence and I kept putting Mike in my game. That means, you know, Veronica's horrible. And that's irrational too, because if he's saying that, then he's saying, okay, if you thought it, it, it doesn't make sense for him to be cheating and not cheating at the same time when he's telling me he's not cheating. I don't know if I'm making sense because nothing he says makes sense and I can't rationalize it. He, everything he does is to just try to vilify me and he can't, he tries to sway what you're looking at. Don't look at what Mike's doing. Look at what Veronica did and it is not working. Yeah, it's, it's true. It it didn't work at all. It was a complete, a complete failure to come out with, with that statement. And that's why he's just degenerated now into just trolling everybody because he feels like the, the only thing left to do when when nobody has uh, taken you seriously like he thought they would and it, it's got to be very frustrating for him and you could see where he he supposedly left and then came roaring back after he supposedly left because he, he just couldn't stay away he was so mad about the reaction i honestly he think he, i honestly think he's angry that this used to work like this strategy of his used to work. It was in other contexts. He used to be a pastor. I don't know if you know that. No, and he I used to joke that. about like bringing a lot of people to God, and he's an atheist now. But like he he knows these tactics um, of trying to sway people, and I think for so long it worked for him. He converted people. He he you know made employees you know, gaslit employees. And so now these, you know, really well-used, well-rehearsed tactics are no longer viable or working, and it must be infuriating to him. Yeah, but well, it's it's always infuriating when you, th- when you think you have uh, control of everybody. You think you've gotten, you think you're the one who is uh, directing everything that's happening, and then you're not. Everything you try fails, and... Uh, all your manipulation tactics don't work, and and uh, and and you feel like there, there's chaos around you, and and you feel like everything's kind of in control of you and of your fate, and you no longer are the one who's dictating it. So it, it can be a big problem. So that's something that I, I can understand is upsetting him and, and making him uh, just act irrationally like this. And I, I really wonder, like, what what do Stones think about? Like, they think if they're not okay with this stuff being tweeted out from their account. Now, most of this is being said from his own account, but he's still representing them. He still works there. His name is actually like a JFK Stones TD. 
and and he's also he's also probably the one tweeting from that official Stones account or whoever's doing it isn't coming off well. So the, there, there's still some things I just don't understand with this. Like if 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 you're the Stones upper management or ownership and you see all this going on, wouldn't you call him immediately and say, "Cut this out now," and then delete the tweets and and just try to make it look like. You guys have nothing to do with, or even just say like you're working for us. Please stop this. Do you think this? maybe they already did that because he stopped tweeting this afternoon? Oh, I didn't see that. I guess because I was preparing for the show, but yeah, I didn't see that he stopped tweeting this afternoon. Well, we'll see if he comes back tomorrow. Let we'll... me see what time his last tweet was. Nineteen hours ago. Oh, okay. I guess uh, I guess it's been longer than I thought. Yeah, I guess that makes sense because I didn't have much time today prior to the show. Aside oh, from- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. It was about nine hours ago. I'm sorry. Oh, it's still a while. Oh, I, my, my, yeah, my Twitter timeline, um, I'm noticing, isn't always in uh, chronological order. Yeah. Well, well, we'll have to see what happens in the coming days. There, there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff I still can't explain with this whole thing. And uh, the, the documentary, I'm, I'm so curious about that. If, you know, is it really just the one of the Kevin Hart episodes there, or is it, is it being funded by Stones? And and what's the tone of it going to be? And like, is it going to be completely new? Let, let's say it's not funded by Stones. That doesn't mean the tone's not going to be sympathetic to Possible. It still could be. It depends what story that Dave Broom wants to tell. And it it, it could be right. It could and even what's be, the most interesting story? It could even be like like Tiger King, where he wants to make everybody look ridiculous. Like you, you never know. Like it's a it's it's very hard to tell. The documentaries, the whole goal for a lot of these is to just put together the most entertaining story, not uh, tell the 100% accurate story. So I, I'd worry about that too. Uh, I, I would be nervous about being part of anything like this because you don't you don't know what the motivation is. You don't know what the angle is. There's just uh, – like I was part of one documentary, and that was about the UB cheating, and it was put on that – movie runner runner for the like the blue light the blu-ray extra but i knew going into that mm-hmm. that this wasn't going to be some thing where they're going to make me look foolish i knew it was a thing there was a serious piece they were doing on actual cheating in online poker since the movie was about uh somewhat about online poker cheating so they decided to throw that in as an extra and they they called me to come and appear about it i said okay they're, they're just going to interview me about online poker cheating and they did and that's what the, like they didn't do anything misleading at all, and I, that's what I expected. But but this, who knows what to expect? This one, there's well, you know, you're kind of trolling right now, backhandedly trolling, I guess, because Russ Hamilton, I believe, is friends with Mike Postle. Yeah, uh, he he was friends with Mike Postle at least back in the 2000s. I don't know if he's still friends with him, but yeah, that was that was found, and that was. I mentioned that a little earlier offhandedly, but that's that was a weird connection, especially since Mike can't stop bragging about how well he did on UB. I go, oh, that's <laughs> if he's friends with Russ Hamilton and he did so well on UB, because like I don't recall Mike Postle being known as one of the big winners in the 2000s. Now, yes, there were under the radar people. Like I, I know some people who won a ton of money in the 2000s that nobody knows who they are. I like I know their names and I know they really did win, but these are not famous or even semi-famous poker pros that that just well, money you know who quiet. you should get on your show to verify how he actually did throughout his poker career is his ex-wife. 
If she knows, yeah, that's, uh, I, I should see if she'll talk to, I know she talked to you a little bit. Um, so now, she did. now some, pe- some people, uh, one of Apostle's friends tried to turn me against her. It was kind of funny, even though I haven't communicated with his ex-wife, but this person tried to, uh, say all these horrible things about her to me. I will say that I, I heard something about how Mike, like, not from this person, but I heard beforehand that Mike had full custody of his kids, which, like, Whenever I hear that, when a woman doesn't have so, custody of all of her kids, that already looks knowing, a little funny to me. Okay, but knowing Mike, and right now you have the hindsight, knowing Mike and his camp, and now Justin, Justin is way more nasty than I ever thought he could be capable of. Knowing that, do you think Mike would say anything other than horrible things about his ex-wife? No, no, of course. Of course, it was the person who contacted me, it wasn't Mike himself, but it was, it was one of his friends there. That, And I knew it was very biased. I knew it wasn't just a innocent bystander trying to let me know things. But uh, um, I, I did – I had privately wondered before that that if it were true that Mike had full custody of his kids, then like what led to those circumstances? Because it's not common to give zero custody to the mom. The courts really hate doing that. So uh, a lot of times that means the mom is really messed up. So who, I, I wonder what the story is with her. Uh, I, I don't want to judge too much because I know nothing about it. It's even possible she got screwed by the court system. It's even possible that uh, lies were told about her in court and convinced them to take away her custody. Or maybe she does have custody and I heard the wrong thing. So I, I don't want to go into that too much because I don't know that much about it. But uh, I, I would like to hear from her. I mean, I, I don't want to say I wouldn't I just uh, uh, someone already tried to convince me that that she's got all these issues and I'm like well can you show me evidence they're like well you know go go pay money to do this search on these public record sites I'm like I'm not doing this you if you if you want to show me something then show me (laughs) like I'm not I'm not that interested in the story of Mike Postle's ex-wife to do searches on her public records like it wasn't it was interesting she contacted you but like it wasn't interesting enough to delve into her past. It's not that relevant just because she happened to have been married to Postle some years ago. So uh, I, I think that regardless of her past, it doesn't change who Postle is as a person. And when people want to discuss people's past, like Mike Postle's wife, they have to consider that there are people who may have had a bad past and turned their lives around and now are doing better and are constantly having to deal with that judgment of something that they did when they were younger. Yeah. And it sounded like she had really done a lot of work. She didn't tell me what, what was going on. She didn't tell me, I didn't ask her, but, uh, it sounded like she has done a lot of work to make her life improved from what everyone was alluding to. And I don't have no idea what they're alluding to. Oh, the Wired magazine story, that's like been very lightly discussed. What's the story with that? Do you know when that's coming out? So it was supposed to be released this past Tuesday, but stuff kept coming in last minute and um, there was lots of revisions. I had to speak with the fact checkers several times. They also had to speak with many other sources. Um, should be up by Monday at the latest. Okay. They reached out to Mike and Justin and Stones. Um, 
Mike basically told them, you know, they, they actually, everything's going to be in the Wired article. Um, so don't quote me because they, um, the journals just told me like an overview of things. He didn't even tell me everything that's going in the story, but um, Mike basically uh, said, oh yeah, I've got a ton of evidence. I'll send it to you and like never followed through with anything. And like, I'm coming out with, uh, a statement that'll clear me and the world will know and like nothing. Um, and then eventually Mike threatening to sue Wired Magazine. <laughs> that was LOL. Uh, and Justin then s- sent uh, Wired Magazine a Rounders article and said, this is, these are my thoughts on the cheating scandal. <laughs> so... Oh, boy. Well, it's interesting they won't cooperate with this one, but then they're cooperating with uh, Dave Broom. But it's possible that Dave Broom was better at, at presenting it to them, like that he's friendly to them, where maybe Wired just kind of approached this like, hey, do you have any comment? And, and they're like, oh, no, screw it. This is just going to be against me. I don't want to do it. We're... Maybe it was something like that. Uh, there's some reason. So that... the, this journalist was working on this story for months, uh, months. I think the first time I spoke with him was last year, um, around that time. I, I can't remember exactly, but it's been so long. Almost this entire year he's been working on it. And um, it will be really funny if Mike claims that um, that it was an objective or they were you know, undermining him or something because they actually have to find at least two sources to print something like they they have to fact check everything and it's a really well-run organization they don't just put anything in there so they did a lot of work trying to get a lot of credible information for the story yeah that's good i I look forward to it coming out and i'm I'm sure Mike and Justin are going to be upset. They probably won't like the way it's uh, <laughs> it's presented. They, you know, it's funny you mentioned oh, they're going to hate it because I went for a photo shoot and then my face is going to be plastered all over it, and oh. they fucking hate me already. Oh yeah, I know, I know they, uh, they they hate anything in reference to you that isn't negative. But I, when you mentioned that this thing about the promise of proving that. Apostle's innocent. All these hands they're going to send. I, I got this constantly. I all the, Apostle himself has never contacted me, or at least he won't admit it was him. But uh, I've gotten so many contacts from people associated with him, like like Ku Fang and this dog dog boy for life, and they're they're all and, and Rounder Life commenting, yeah, contacting me. They all keep saying they're going to send me. Uh, what's going to show Apostle's innocent, and then they either don't send it or just send some crap or say, well, we don't want to do work for you. You've got, you've got to go find it yourself. You know, Go watch this or go watch this uh, this three-hour stream. You'll find it. I'm like, I'm not doing that a year later. It's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I, I've seen enough, but if you want to change my mind, you show me. You show me that what's... You show me what is going to change my mind here. You show me what I'm missing. You don't make me go do the work to find it. This isn't... Uh, it's not a scavenger hunt here. So... And then they send me some crap that's totally unconvincing. Or they go, oh, see, nothing satisfies you. Whatever whatever we send you say isn't good enough. You come up with an excuse. I go, no, I'm asking for something that's very clear, and you, you give me something that only meets half the criteria. And they 
they can't provide it. I don't I don't believe they can. And they're they're poker's flat earth society at this point. They don't have anything credible. All they can do is vilify or have, you know, the same bullshit for talking points and no one believes anything they say. And they're led by a complete manic maniac. <laughs> and they, okay. they even told me like that I, I'm so biased on this. I'm, not, I'm like, I'm inviting you to come on my show or my forum and you can say all you want about this. You, you can make as long of a statement as you want. You can say all you want. You can present all the evidence you want. I'm not going to censor or block any of it. And I will even promise to be respectful and not attack you, not insult you, uh, not you know, not say anything to be combative, but just let you come out and uh, and and state what you believe and let me ask you questions. And nope, no, none of them will do it. They all have different excuses why they won't do it. So I said, okay, I'm giving you all the chance here. I'm letting you – I'm not just trying to present one point of view. I'm, I'm asking you to come on – and present yours, and you won't do it. So what can I do? I've, I've tried. But they, they don't want that. They don't want a frank discussion because they're, they're going to lose a frank discussion because they, if, if pinned down to answer direct because questions... Because they're fucking cheaters. If, if pinned, <laughs> That's why. If pinned down to ask, answer a direct question, they're going to have a very hard time. If, if they can control the conversation and say, what about this, what about that, and then not, ask, not answer anything you ask them, then, yeah, they, they can appear to be making a good argument if you don't watch too that's, closely. That's why Mike Postle can't do any interviews, because a real poker player would ask him to break down what he was thinking in the hand. And regardless of your skill level, if you're the one making those cognitive decisions based off of your own assessment of the data, you're going to be able to talk through that, regardless of your language or how sophisticated your hand breakdown is we will be able to understand why you made your decisions. If you're making decisions based off of information that's fed to you, you're just a tasked machine at that point, And you are not thinking through those decisions and you won't be able to walk us through your decision-making. He still can't to this day. And he's still not even trying to learn poker. He's just spending this time probably thinking about all the things he's going to do to vilify me and throw me under the bus. Yeah. And that's what they're obsessed with now. Yeah. Well, the good thing is nobody's buying. At least the good thing, I know you're getting trolled constantly and it's got to be frustrating and uh, and there's all these, these accounts they keep making to do it with and and then he's got these few super dedicated friends who do it and I, I don't even know what their motivation is. But uh, at least the good thing is that nobody's buying it. That and, and by the way, I'll tell you, the few people that seem to be buying it are actually... I'm pretty convinced that a lot of them are just saying it because they want to get attention or get a rise out of you. Like I, I've, I've kind of observed some of them, and and some of these people even like like me and listen to this show and are usually fairly reasonable, and yet they act like they believe possible. I think they're just doing it because they they want to be contrarian. I don't even think there's many people who like legitimately believe that. Nothing was wrong in that game. I think they just. I'm not talking about. This the, is the, the only thing bringing Daniel Nograno and Doug Polk together. So at least that's the positive. Yeah, I know. Between between that and the the uh, the, the civil discussion with with planning the game out, they're going to play with each other as the most civil I've seen them in a long time. But uh, yeah, I, I'll even I say. Agree. I'll but, even say I saw people uh, people I don't like. I won't say who they are, but they're when this broke back last year. 
there were people I really don't like in poker. And I saw their analysis of this and I'm like, yeah, he's making a point. Yeah, yeah, this is great. Like, I, I was enjoying tweets from people I really don't like and really hate reading their tweets usually. And about this, I was like, I was happy to, to see it. It was so weird reading their tweets and saying, hey, I agree with them. Hey, this is a good point. Hey, I'm glad they tweeted this. Like, I almost wanted to retweet them. But I'm like, no, 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 I I can't bring myself to do that because I really don't like this person. But <laughs> it, it was funny how much I, I bet that happened a lot with people who were seeing those that they dislike actually tweeting things they totally agree with here because everyone was of one mind here for the most part. Well, I know you do these record eight-hour shows uh, that I can't do, so I'm going to jump off. Okay. And um, I will listen to the rest of your show tomorrow. But thank you so much for taking my call. And, um, yeah, it's my favorite show so far. I mean, before I called in. So yeah, you're, well, you're doing great. I'm a big fan. Well, th- thank you for calling in. And, uh, you know, I, I, you were so much a part of this and the, the description of what's going on is Veronica this, Veronica that. So it's good to actually have you come on here in your own words and, and say it and, uh, you know, be part of the segment about Dave Brewer. Oh, I wanted to stuff. say Jake. You were saying you don't know who Jake is. And I know you said he's a commentator, but he was the first commentator to start Stones Live with me. We were doing Stones Live almost every single night for a, like a, a, at least a year, for a couple years, I believe, before other people started joining. And Jake and I have been witnessing all of this from the beginning together. Okay. So he has a lot of history working with Justin and dealing with Justin and, um, just interacting with Mike. He, he seems pretty unhappy with the, the entire situation. I tried to get him to, I, I tried to say like, look, if you're frustrated with Mac, you know, it's, it's in the public. It's not a good place for it. Um, I don't agree with him on that. I don't agree with him with his anger towards Mac. I've had a few frictional moments with Mac during this time, but nothing would get me unless I knew Mac was like purposely working with Mike, but like, which wouldn't be a possibility, but I would never publicly get mad at Mac at this point. Yeah. I was a little surprised I to see that too. I do feel, I, I've even like, I've even talked to Jamie you know, just discussing, just like throwing. I really trust Jamie and uh, Kerstetter, and I had a long conversation with her, and and I just got some feedback from her, and I just think I didn't understand what the actual capacity of all of this was. Like Mac did the best that he could, given the California laws. I I don't think he was expecting it to go this bad. But I think that he's the only lawyer who received a settlement from a cheating claim or from a from like a gambling claim, because these things aren't ever done in court. They're not you're not able to bring these claims to court. So he did better than any lawyer. And like, I know, I know, um, you know, people will think that that's just like a regurgitated talking point. But I like I really believe that I think he did the best that he could People are angry at the statement. It was the statement they could come to a conclusion to. I 
I wouldn't sign it. People made a choice to sign it. Why are they getting mad? Why did you sign it? 61 people signed it. Why are you getting mad at Mac? He yeah. just I mean, did the th- like, best I, I, he could. He met Stones where the, he could meet them. A lot of people don't understand the way the legal system works, and they uh, they 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 watch lawyers on TV, and they just assume it's it's the way it's portrayed there, and they don't understand the the, the legal process and, and the the duties a lawyer has to their clients. And that's why I was trying to put out on the show to people that understand it, and I, and I said the only criticism that's possibly fair is is. Uh, regarding the statement of did it have to be this strong and it was the room for negotiation and were the plaintiffs really you should have uh, seen what it was before oh, I, i'm sure i'm sure they wanted it much worse than that but uh, and, uh, and you should have seen what the stipulations were before yeah I'm, I'm sure. i mean they i think they even got a better deal on the second time around because mac rejected the first time around yeah i just i just think that like as far as the whole once the thing was dead in the water uh I, I I hope Mac put out to these people that there there were downsides to taking this that it wasn't just it wasn't just take this much money which isn't as much as you thought you'd get but it's it's better than zero. I, I hope it was communicated that there are potential downsides to settling here and having to put out that type of statement. Uh, as far as him putting out a statement and uh, him doing what the clients want, uh, that's his duty to do, and you can't blame him for that. And and he did get a better settlement than was possible even had it been litigated given California law. So all, all that, I think he did a great job. What I'm, what I'm shocked at is how I thought, like you said earlier, everyone's going to shut up and Stone's going to shut up. We're going to move forward. That's what I thought too. <laughs> uh, I didn't, I didn't know that a part of the settlement was just in grabbing, essentially grabbing everyone's face and shoving it at, shoving it in the fucking yes that's being exactly. like, here's what yes. you fucking signed you bitches that's what's happened yes and and what's weird about, this is another weird thing about the settlement i didn't get and that was that uh it looks like from what i can see that this no non-disparagement does not apply to justin it applies to stones but it looks like it doesn't apply to him and that as long as he doesn't reveal what's in the settlement which now has been revealed anyway through poker news that uh, that he can pretty much do anything else, which to me is insane. They should have definitely had him part of it. They should have had it where just nobody involved is going to talk about this. And if someone from if someone who either wouldn't take the settlement or someone from the outside who, who finds out about it wants to talk about it, fine. But that all the people who were involved in making the settlement, Justin Stones and the 61, 62 plaintiffs, uh, are all just going to shut up. That, or other than just saying, yes, there was a statement. And it should have been... Uh, that I, I'm I'm surprised to see what's happening, but on the other hand, I'm not that surprised. So. Yeah, I like I said, uh, I digress to him being in a mentally. It he's in a manic. It seems like he's in a manic, um, just a little bit off his rocker stage. He's there's something wrong with him right now. So anyway, I'm going to bed. Yeah, and, well, thank you for um, up with enjoy us, eh? uh, the rest of your discussion, and uh, yeah, send me an autographed eight by ten, please. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Hey, there's a, re- there's a reason this is an audio show. That's why I, I don't send eight by ten. So you, you don't see me, you only get to hear me. I will let you go to bed. I know it's almost two a.m. And... Next next time we're both at Stones, hopefully we'll uh, say hi to each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in a parallel universe. <laughs> yeah.
Okay. All right. Well, have a good night. All right. Thanks for coming on. Talk to you later. Only thing I still have to say regarding regarding the situation with stones, and then we'll move on to our other topics. I told you this is going to take up most of the show. Bart Hansen released a new video breaking down some of the most egregious possible hands. One problem has been when telling people about the scandal is like like getting across to them how bad some of these hands were, how crazy some of these hands were. And I would say, oh, well, go to Chicago Joey's channel and he has like a ton of videos up there. But then they go there and they've got to go through like hours and hours and hours of footage to get to the good stuff. It, it's hard to do after the fact. It's one thing when you're watching it as it's happening and you're seeing Joey's reaction and it's all new to everybody. A year later, you're trying to tell someone about it, like, go take a look. This is why we're so sure. People aren't going to go through hours and hours of footage like that. So Bart recognized this, and I was talking to him about it, and, and he recognized this, and he told me this is bothering him that there's not like an easy thing to go to where the most egregious hands are just broken down in plain English. So Bart said he's going to put something together. Go, okay, it seems like a lot of work, but he did it. So Bart Hansen released this. I put a, a link to this. In fact, I embedded the video in the thread on Poker Fraud Alert about this, uh, the Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum. But you, you can also search for the video if you like. It is called uh, Examining Mike Postle's Hands. And uh, it's, it's actually, the official title is uh, Mike Postle Cheating Scandal Condensed. Uh, and this is on Bart Hansen's channel, or maybe on the Crush Live Poker channel, which is his uh, training company. So go check it out. It is an hour-long video, and there's a lot packed in there. So you get to see not only a lot of these egregious hands, but you get to hear Bart Hansen breaking it down, which uh, he's very good at doing. So you, if you'd like to remind yourself of this, or if you would like to uh, just see all this for the first time and know what I'm talking about, then that's a good one to watch instead of combing through 30 hours of Chicago Joey footage. You can get this all condensed into one hour. So I thank Bart for making this. And if there is some kind of stupid, frivolous lawsuit that Apostle or Courageous Files, this this will probably be a very good reference source to use to show how outrageous a lot of this is. Because a defense to saying that there was cheating in that game or that Apostle was cheating would be, well, because I and all the other experts believe he was from our expert analysis of the play here. So that's why it was said. And that's actually a pretty good defense. Someone brought up on Twitter, if you ask the 100 uh, top poker players who are aware of this scandal and have watched the hands, if they think Mike Possel was cheating, how many of those 100 would say yes? And probably all 100 or maybe 99 of the 100 would say yes. That's pretty strong. You're not going to find in the poker community this much agreement about anything. And I really mean that. In the poker community, there's... A lot of dissension, but a lot of things. And when they all come together about something, usually it is something very true. And believe me, some of these people would love to disagree with one another and make each other look stupid. But some of these people hate each other, 
And yet they're all of the same mind. Why is that? Matt the Rat, hello. Take your goddamn California fire smoke and send it to Mexico. Well, I, I like that it's been here. I haven't been able to hike or anything. It's strange. Three days ago, Vancouver, B.C. had the um, air quality in the whole world for one day. Worse than Beijing, worse than California, because all of California, Oregon, and Washington, all the fires are blowing up, and it was so fucking bad here, like people were just totally staying inside. Yeah, I've been doing that too, actually. I've been, I've been staying inside for the last, uh, what, two weeks or however long this has been going. And in fact, uh, it, it's gotten better recently. I, I was actually trying to determine this because the weather's actually been surprisingly good here for September. Southern California in September is usually the hottest time here. So, uh, it's usually the hottest month, at least the, the first half of it. So, yeah. uh, it has not been hot. We had a heat wave and then once that passed, it, it cooled down a lot. It would have been very nice weather to go hiking, but that's when the smoke came. So, uh, it was so weird yeah, this... look, looking through my curtains in in the in the morning. It's yellow, like through the curtains, it was actually yellow. And I'm like, "That's such a weird look of the sky." Yeah, you see a lot of pictures where it's it's like um, it's all orange in California, and it's like a, a pop apocalyptic, uh, futuristic. You know, yeah, that was uh, San Francisco. Doom. That's what San Francisco looked like. That here in Southern yeah. California, it was it was yellow. It wasn't like a pop, a pop, but it just looked like a weird yellowish thing, almost like a, a uh, an old picture that 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 uh, that's faded and everything. In it, it looks yellow. It kind of had that look, and uh, and you, you you immediately smell the smoke when you go outside. So today it's substantially better, and it's been for a few days now, like way better than that. But I was trying to determine: is there still smoke in the air to where maybe I don't want to hike? And then I looked out into the hills and. There, there was like smoke hanging in the hills. I'm like, okay, never mind. It's not gone yet. It's better. But yeah, it's not we gone yet. we still have quite a bit of smoke. But like I said, I I couldn't believe that stat. Like for one day in the whole world, we had the worst air quality. And you go outside, and it's just, it's if you picture smog, like everything is gray. But it was like super bad. Like you couldn't even see like five miles down the road, and it smelled like you know a burnt barbecue outside. Yeah. Uh, it was because we're getting all of all three states. The winds just blowing it up to BC, so it was it was really bad. Um, so oh, also how much how much was first in the free roll? Uh, twenty five dollars. Okay, so I won that, so you oh, can I just roll it over. Oh, thank you. Um, there was yeah. So anyway, that was kind of just why I was calling in. That I just I just was tell you guys about the smoke. It's just kind of kind of crazy. Okay, well. Thank you for. I didn't know it got so bad there, but that's that's uh, unfortunate. Too bad for for Canada. It wasn't even their fault. But uh, yeah, California. Yeah, was... we actually don't even have a lot of fires this year. And I remember what was it a couple of years ago? You were coming up, and I had to warn you last minute. Like, there's a ton of forest fires. Yeah, there were. I, I came to BC and Alberta in in the summer of 2017, and yeah. and there were a lot of fires. And it's fine. My my concern coming in was that. Uh, Number one, there were the fires, and it was going to stop me from being able to see what I wanted to see. There's going to be smoke everywhere. I was, like, I, I was concerned about that. I was concerned that I had back spasms for the first time in my life and that that was going to really hinder the trip. And I was concerned that I was developing rapidly a cold that I was afraid was going to get bad. So I all these concerns coming into the trip, of course, I took it anyway. I got there. The back spasms lasted about two days and rapidly got better. The cold fizzled out and never became much. 
It was, it was cold, but it went away very fast. So that was never a problem. And the smoke was nowhere near as bad as I thought it would be. It was, uh, I saw it a little bit, but it, it did not really hinder the trip. So that was all great. What was not great was that I was attacked by mosquitoes mercilessly and also by some other bug that bit my hand that caused a really weird reaction on my hand to where it scared me. And I actually had to track down a doctor in uh, Banff in Alberta. And I had to go there to – I actually went to a Canadian doctor and uh, had them look Did at this. Did it cost you anything or no? Yeah, it cost me like 100 bucks, but uh, Oh, so it wasn't bad. It wasn't terrible, yes. But but I had to take time out of the trip and, and drive all the way to Canmore to do it. And, uh, um, and it was it was concerning because it was uh, a really we- – it wasn't like a normal mosquito bite. It was a really weird reaction and it was like spreading throughout my hand. I'm going, what the hell bit me here? And uh, it was – I did not expect that to be the problem of the trip. The three things I worried about were not a problem at all, and then I ended up having uh, bug bite problems. But boy, those, those yeah. Are- if if you had to go to the hospital, um, well, for you, you know, for us, it's free, right? But um, foreigners, it's if you have to go to the emergency room, like it's only three hundred bucks. So it's it's kind of like no matter what it is, it's just three hundred bucks. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was so that's I not much. Oh, also, just to let you know, it seems like about every ten minutes, the radio. It cuts out for about two seconds. Uh, that's not good. It kind of goes choppy, so. Uh, I hope that's better than that in the archives. But, okay. Thank you, yeah. Matt. And, okay, uh, we'll talk to you later. Volume. Okay. All right. All right. I'm moving on to a different topic. Brad Booth. Let's talk about Brad Booth. Brad Booth is alive. It'll just end it right there. Brad Booth's alive. No, I'll, I'll give you a bit more. I don't have that much more, which is good because I'm running out of energy. But I'm going to give you a little more about Brad Booth from what we know. If you remember, Brad Booth disappeared and it was not looking good. This is actually publicized by Adam Schwartz, who is a listener to the show, also does the DAT Poker Podcast with uh, Daniel Negranu and Terrence Chan, DAT Poker Podcast. And he put out on August 3rd, now a month and a half ago, Brad Booth's friends are very worried for him. He was last seen in Reno on July 13th, told his roommate he was going camping If you have any information, please tweet it. That was from Adam Schwartz on August 3rd about Brad Booth being missing since July 13th. Well, it's been two months, and no one had seen or heard from him. People started to assume the worst, that Brad Booth had passed away. Perhaps it was intentional, perhaps it was unintentional, but uh, something had happened to him, perhaps started to look more and more like this the longer that was passing that we got no information starts to look more and more likely that he was gone as i had mentioned when i did a segment about this in early august i uh i had a friend in high school lost touch with him but uh he's a friend in elementary school and then we kind of Stop being friends and we were friends again in high school. Then we kind of lost touch. But anyway, he went into nature and killed himself when he was in his late 20s. He had a big problems with depression, which I guess showed up after I knew him. He didn't have them in high school, but a lot of times that shows up around uh, college or early 20s. But he uh, had major problems with depression. I'm talking about my high school friend, not Brad Booth. And he uh, he loved Yosemite. So he decided to go into Yosemite and go somewhere that he'd be unlikely to be found for a very long time because he knew the park so well. Took a lot of pills and and killed himself there. And his body was found about a year later. And the pills right next to him. 
It was clear what he did and why. It was very sad, but uh, I thought of that story when I heard, heard about Brad Booth going, quote, camping in the Reno area and then disappearing. But that's not what happened. Brad Booth is still alive. And this came from Brad Booth's family, and it was communicated to uh, poker journalist Jennifer Newell, who also has been covering the the Apostle stuff. She's been a little bit under attack as well by the Apostle side. They they don't like her either. But she put out great news. Brad Booth is safe. A note from his family to the poker community. We want to thank you for your concern and support in trying to locate our family member, Brad Booth, who we've been unable to locate since July 13th. Effective today, September 16th, we have confirmation that Brad is alive and well, and he has been taking some time to himself as anticipated and hoped by many. Again, we cannot thank you enough for your support and well wishes in locating him. Please note, we do not have any further information at this time. 2020 has been a challenging year for everyone. Let's hope it turns around soon. So it sounds like Brad Booth just kind of bailed. Sounds like he life was kind of too tough for him and he just ran off and wanted to be alone. And finally, uh, two months later, he contacted his family and said, oh, uh, yeah, hey, I'm okay. And his family's like, damn it, people have been worried about you. So he's probably like, no, 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 I just want to be by myself. I didn't realize everyone was going to think I'm dead. Sorry about that. And so they put out this statement and that's it. They didn't say any more. Obviously, he's got some problems going on. You don't just disappear, quote, going camping for two months. But uh, it does look like an intentional disappearance that he just ran off. Matt Marafiati, who definitely had psychological problems, from what I could tell, he pulled a similar disappearing act. He was gone for 10 months, and there was... A lot of suspicion, especially because he knew a lot of shady people. There was some suspicion that he was murdered, and a lot of bad stuff was assumed. No, he was alive and well, too. He resurfaced also. But there was concern for a while with him that he had been killed or died in some way. That was not the case either. Sometimes these stories are not as bad as they sound. I started to really think that this was uh, it's a good chance that he had perished. Now, someone on the forum brought up a good point that they actually thought that it was a better chance he was still alive because of one particular detail, which for some reason I didn't know, that his cell phone was turned off immediately the day he disappeared. So he shut off his phone in Reno I don't know if he actually disconnected it or if he uh, just turned it off and never turned it back on again. I think the latter. But that that's kind of a weird thing to happen if you're uh, going to disappear. Like, it was very shortly after he disappeared. So it wasn't like it ran out of battery, it looked like. It really looked like he just uh, intentionally shut it off. Kind of looked, like, according to this, it looks like he said he's going camping and then really fast the cell phone went off and never came back on. So that would more look like he's trying to not be found rather than something happened to him. Something happened to him, it's probably going to be that his cell phone stays on a while until it runs out of battery. 
Now, it could happen that somebody would attack him and then take the cell phone and break it. But someone who would have had to attack him right when he decided he's leaving to go to this camping trip, which would kind of be a coincidence. It's not like he just disappeared one day. He said, I'm going camping. So he's basically saying, hey, I'm leaving. And then cell phone immediately goes off and he doesn't return, which to some people looks like it was intentional and looks like that was correct. So Brad Booth is okay. I don't think we'll hear any more for a while. Good news. It's good news with all this bad news we've received this year about uh, people who have psychological issues in poker that have ended up uh, dying. We've had uh, Charles Zhang, who uh, committed suicide in January, and we had Mark Ari, who's uh, he committed suicide in July. It is sad when people in poker have mental illness that cannot be helped enough to prevent something like that from happening. Good to hear that uh, Brad Booth is still with us. So I'm going to talk about Fedora Cruz, then I'm going to take a break. Fedora Cruz is uh, the he's in the center of a scandal that's breaking. That they've been teasing a scandal's going to be out very soon. This is before it was exposed on Two Plus Two. That's going to be something really huge. It was described as something that's not quite as big or relatable as the Apostle scandal, but close to as big. I wouldn't go that far. I think this is something that's worth discussing, but is not uh, a gigantic story. It does have some implications, which are a little bit disturbing. And it's kind of a bothersome story, but it's not as shocking as the Apostle thing or the... AP thing and UB thing or the Black Friday thing. This one is a much lesser story and it's also a little harder for people to understand. Like with Possel, you can say it's very simple. People believe that he was able to see whole cards somehow through something transmitted to him by an insider. And that's really interesting because everyone's watched poker on TV. But this one's kind of a complicated story, isn't as easily understood by the average fan of poker. So I'm going to try to break it down for you as simply as I can. But it is an interesting matter, and it does further people's distrust of online poker. Now, Fedor Cruz should not be confused with another young European player named Fedor. Fedor Hulse has nothing to do with this. He's not Fedor Cruz. These are two different Fedors. So there's been a lot of talk of Fedor being, oh my God, Fedor Hulse is cheating? No, he's not. He's a, Fedor Hulse has nothing to do with this. Fedor Cruz is a young poker pro who rose through the ranks very quickly. He rose up from playing low-stakes games to crushing at the high-stakes games in a very short amount of time that by itself already made people a bit suspicious he just seemed to get too good too quickly. And in a nutshell, what this scandal is about is that he is accused of having uh, a solver that gave him access to pre-solved situations in cash games where basically any situation that came up, he knew exactly what to do according to the solver. 
it's kind of like a form of using bots, except he's really playing there and just has access to what the solver would tell him what to do. These solvers have become a big problem in poker. They basically uh, run through a ton of simulations of hands and come up with the optimal way to play them. And many people study what solvers claim is the right thing to do and then try to emulate them in their own play. And some modern pros have been very successful, especially online, using the solver approach, even if they're not using the solver while they play, if they use it beforehand to learn from what the solver would do to handle this and that situation, they can start playing the way the solver would. And while they don't play quite as well as the solver, they can get an idea of, of uh, plays to make that they wouldn't have otherwise thought were correct plays, but in reality are profitable. Solvers have the ability to play hands against itself and to analyze hands that, uh, that other people have played. You can feed a lot of data into them and it can spit out a lot of surprising things. And this has solved a lot of things in poker, even even uh, No Limit Hold'em and even PLO, which were thought to be unsolvable. Now, solvers are not infallible when uh, humans try to emulate them. Most notably, Phil Galfond, who did not use solvers and played by feel during his heyday in the early 2010s and late 2000s, when he played against Veni, Veni Vidi uh, and was losing at first, Phil said that what he was trying to do was emulate the solvers. He wasn't using a solver, but he said he was trying to play the way the solvers did because he felt that his opponent probably was doing the same thing, and if he didn't try to emulate that, that he was going to get crushed. Well, he was emulating it, and he was getting crushed. So uh, after he took a break... And it looked very hopeless for him. Phil claims that he just went back to what works. He went back to what worked for him in 2010 and said, screw this. This is not me. I don't play this way. I'm going to go back to my game of playing by feel and sticking to strategies, which were tried and true for me back in 2010. And if they're obsolete, they're obsolete. But I, I, I can't compete trying to play this solver style like these guys are. They're better at that. I'm going to do my own thing and see if it counters the sol- the solver pretty well. Well, it did because he wasn't playing against the solver. He was playing someone who is who has learned from a solver. So Phil had that epic comeback and ended up narrowly beating Veni Vidi, and he ended up beating what was considered to be the tougher op- opponent after Veni Vidi, Action Freak. So Phil ended up uh, he turned around something that looked like a very embarrassing beatdown into winning. And even came back from what looked like an insurmountable uh, deficit. So sometimes humans trying to emulate the way the solvers play doesn't work out if you're up against a very tough opponent. But if you actually have a solver and you just do what it says to do, that's a different story. And that can be impossible to beat. So Fedor Cruz was killing it in online poker. He is a German pro. He's young. I see a picture of him right in front of me here. And there were claims that uh, he had thousands and thousands of simulations of all possible cash game spots 
pre-solved in a well-organized set of folders to be able to just open the sim and follow the advice in every single spot. Now, it would have to be more than thousands, by the way, but uh, maybe the way it's organized, it was thousands, and then it would break down from there. But whatever it was, it was basically that uh, if you're in this spot and this happens, do this. And apparently this was well enough organized where he could quickly bring this up and see the right thing to do. So he's no longer just learning from the solver, he's actually using the solver and apparently this is being done on a second computer. So that he was using two PCs, two sets of keyboards, and two two mice to circumvent the safety and security protocols that were used on sites like uh, PokerStars to try to catch this stuff. That's always been a big vulnerability in online poker, is people using the two-computer trick. It's kind of like a low-tech solution to a high-tech problem, where instead of trying to outsmart the security procedures that are in that are embedded within the poker software you just use a second computer and enter the necessary data or have it be able to scrape the screen in some way without the software being able to detect it but even absent of that you can just enter information quickly and there's really no way for the poker site to detect this is happening so that's what was rumored was happening with him Anyway, it's been kind of implied for like a week or two that something's going to drop involving something like this, but it was never directly said and not that many specifics were provided and Fedora Cruz's name was never put forward until finally someone on 2 Plus 2 showed up and spilled the beans. Well, it turned out that Fedora Cruz was already accused beforehand but was done so through uh, a text file up on the site TextBin. And this is what it said. I, I don't know who the audience of this was. I assume it was other players who were concerned, like other pro players playing against Cruz who was uh, concerned about this. And this was written by a, quote, small group of German poker players. So it says this. This was not posted on 2 plus 2. This was something that was in uh, TextBin, which is like a repository of text files that for sharing and uh, this was written probably to be distributed to people who they knew that wanted to understand the story dear ladies and gentlemen we're a small group of German poker players most of us long term poker stars uh, customers in the last months a lot of us noticed a certain player who is relatively new to the scene rocketing through the toughest of stakes, not only on Poker Stars but on other sites as well. His name is Fedora Cruz, and his nickname on Stars is Glitch System. A lot of us were suspicious because something like this doesn't just happen a lot, and we started our own investigation. Here's some of our findings. And then they listed a bunch of their findings. Uh, they claim that uh, he consistently makes a lot very non-intuitive plays which, to little surprise, are all solver-approved. Basically saying that uh, the weird plays he makes also happen to be weird plays a solver would make. Uh, he also ex- he almost exclusively plays 100 big blinds deep. He plays versus the best and toughest players and m- uh, never fewer than 100 big blinds deep. If he plays short stack, he makes super bad mistakes. This is extremely suspicious because he used to be a tournament regular, which should be very comfortable in shorter stack depth. That's a great point. 
So for those that don't know poker that well or No Limit Hold'em that well, uh, let me explain what they mean by that. I know some of you this will just be elementary and you'll be annoyed hearing me explain this, but we have a wide variety of people in the audience, some of whom understand poker strategy really well and some who are just uh, very casual players. So 100 big blinds deep means that uh, whatever the big blind is on the table, they have 100 times that. So if, if you're playing... Uh, Two five no limit hold'em. A hundred big blinds would mean you have uh, five hundred dollars in front of you. If you're playing ten twenty, a hundred big blinds would, would be that you have uh, two thousand dollars in front of you. So they're saying that he was always playing a hundred big blinds deep, sometimes more, but but never less than that. And that when he didn't have a hundred big blinds in front of him, and was fairly short stacked, that he played very badly. Which is surprising that he played great. He was just crushing everybody 100 big blinds deep. Once he got short stack, he made really bad mistakes like he didn't know what he was doing. And they said that's really strange because he used to play a lot of tournaments, and in tournaments, you're often short stacked and having to make short stack decisions where you're basically going all in pre flop. They're finding he's making like boneheaded mistakes in spots that are pretty easy for somebody who uh, is used to short stack play, especially someone who plays a lot of tournaments. And it doesn't make sense. Uh, they also said that uh, considering his upcoming to even the very, very best players, uh, he did in the fastest time seen so far, only a year ago, he was still playing very low stakes. So he rose through the stakes very quickly and just crushed everybody. Even though we, have, we don't have a big sample on his hands, the ones we have, all his frequencies look very good, which adds up to the suspicion. That is that... Uh, all the stats on his play looked great. Great meaning that he was just very, very skilled and did all the right things. His former roommates have detailed information, which apparently already has been reported to Poker Stars on how he uses a second set of mouse and keyboard to access his second PC where he has all the solves. So apparently his roommates <laughs> reported him to Poker Stars. He did play the 10K. Uh, heads-up championship at uh, the World Series of Poker this year on GG Poker and drew Daniel Negreanu and lost. He used to be a successful Call of Duty player and actually had a fairly successful YouTube channel about gaming. Uh, He had 400,000 subscribers and when he would stream live, he would have about uh, 3,000 viewers on there, which is pretty good for a live stream. The channel was called uh, Fedor I Love Cookies. And the description is always written in German. He transitioned to poker. And uh, he claimed that it was a fellow German high-stakes pro who got him into poker, someone who was a fan of his gaming channels. A lot of conversations were shown where uh, there's a VIP-grinders.com has a story on this. You can also go on 2 Plus 2 and read the whole thing that was brought out over there. Uh, Poker News has uh, uh, a write-up of the whole thing. But they actually had screenshots of conversations he had regarding some of the cheating he was doing because apparently he was doing this... uh, He had some partners with this, uh, maybe people who are bankrolling or whatever, uh, in a series of uh, WhatsApp messages 
his name on there was a YouTube star, which is in reference to the fact that he had a popular YouTube channel, so his name on the WhatsApp conversation was YouTube star. He sent a hand history where he called down two pair on a board with uh, four of one suit, what's called a four flush board, and that uh, someone was hammering it on all the streets and he wasn't folding. So he sent a message saying, I'm curious what you say about it. And then uh, someone else said back, uh, so he said back it was, uh, it was gambled with Solver anyway. And then the friend said, yes, but Sandro and I were both shocked that you can really call 100% there. In this hand that was shown, the player that was shown playing it was Glitch System, which of course is his name on PokerStars. The Sandro they were referring to is someone who plays on PokerStars as no superstar and uh, on PokerStars and Faux Germany or for Germany on uh, GG Poker. Then there's a Discord conversation screenshot shown where uh, Fedor Cruz uh, talked about how he wanted to play 1-2 without the solver. He said that uh, he wants to play 1-2 Zoom games, quote, without machine and won't be using solves, I promise. I'm not sure why he wanted to do that. Maybe he wanted to uh, learn how to play on his own without the machine. There's also a, a Discord conversation where he says that he would be destroyed by regulars in other games if he didn't use the, quote, dream machine. There's a lot of damning stuff on 2 Plus 2 about this, and it got a lot of people pretty outraged. The, the evidence looks pretty strong against him. A lot of screenshots, a lot of things that really look like that he was using this assistance software to basically tell him what to do in every spot. There has long been suspicion that solvers could be used in this way and that people could crush online poker. And I'm not talking about Bart Hansen's training site, but I mean actually crushing online poker through your play simply by using a solver on another machine that will show you uh, what the optimal move is to make. People have said, well, that's not possible. The solvers can't work that fast. You can't enter this information and get the solver to analyze it fast enough to act in time. And that has been the one saving grace, people thought, that the solvers can't work in real time and therefore people can learn from them, but they can't uh, have the solvers basically play for them. But this shows they can. This shows that the solvers were designed, in this case, to analyze what it believed to be every plausible scenario and then if you enter enough information about the hand, the solver will spit out what it has already solved before you've even played. So instead of uh, it computing at the time what the right thing is to do, it looks in its reference of uh, already completed hands it has solved that are very similar to what you're playing now and give you advice based upon that. And that is what Fedor is accused of using. And this is what has allowed him to move up through the ranks so quickly and crush everyone in his path. One of his roommates provided a screenshot of an Excel spreadsheet showing his cash game results because the roommate actually had a piece of the action. Over the course of two weeks, uh, Cruz was uh, at, at first uh, losing at the very beginning. He caught fire on May 24th. He profited about two-thirds of the sessions starting then, and he won uh, 92K in a relatively short time before moving up.
Also, what is damning is that Cruz has not given any response. This has been reported to Poker Stars, has been posted on 2 Plus 2. It's now being said everywhere all over the Internet, and yet Cruz is not responding. Poker player Patrick Leonard said on Twitter that he had spoken to Cruz and that Cruz would be posting his side, but he has not done so yet. It really makes me think that uh, he's guilty and is trying to figure out something to say. If he was not guilty, it would be a very simple response, and that would be, I didn't do it. Think about it. Think if you were a high-stakes poker pro who rose up quickly from low stakes to high stakes and were crushing the games the whole way, and then someone comes out with a bombshell with screenshots and everything that you cheated, but in reality, you didn't do it, and they framed you. Wouldn't you be the first to come out there and go, whoa, 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 this is all made up, this is all manufactured, I did not do it. I mean, you wouldn't be required to, but that would be the natural thing an innocent person would do. They wouldn't sit there quiet for any length of time and let people believe they were guilty. They would come out and deny it and and state this is all fabricated and then possibly offer to agree to play in front of other people watching you that they could see you're not using any solver and you're going to you'll play the same style and have essentially the same results. That would be the logical thing to do if you were not cheating. Think about it. Think think if someone said I was using a limit hold'em solver. Would you ever uh see me quiet about that? It, let's say someone credible, I don't mean just some troll. But let's say someone credible in poker or someone who was known in poker. Said, hey, Todd Wattellis uses a solver to play Limit Hold'em online. I would say, no, I don't. I never have. And if you'd like, you you can send someone to watch me. Uh, you'll see I play the exact same style while your friend's watching me that you've seen me play when I'm online. And I would immediately say I didn't do it and I can prove I didn't do it and I can prove I can play this way without any kind of assistance even if you have one of your buddies watch and make sure. Like that that would be the natural thing to say, right? He didn't say, he said nothing. Whenever there's just like silence, that is almost always a sign of guilt. Now what are the implications of this? Well, the implications of this, and it's very scary to some people, is that maybe online poker, at least at the higher stakes has become unbeatable. Maybe with so many people having access to tools like this, you're drawing dead against the competition. And I don't agree with that fully, and I'll tell you why. If you don't game select much, if you are willing to take on all comers and you're willing to take on the hotshot that's risen through the ranks quickly, yes, you are vulnerable to this. Yes, this will be a big problem. If you're one of these guys that just wants to be king of the hill, you'll probably run into this and then lose and then be pissed off. And rightfully so, but that probably is the reality of the situation. But if you stick to good games, if you stick to game selection where there's a noticeable and clear fish in the game, I know GG Poker will call this bum hunting to ban you, but if you stick to only good games where you know you're considerably better than others at the table, even if not everybody, but a number of people, you're substantially better than them, or maybe one or two big fish in the game, then even if there is someone in the game using a solver or something like that, you're still going to win overall. You're still going to beat it. When you won't beat it is when you are taking on other pros who you arrogantly believe you're better than, and then it turns out that one of them's using a solver and they're actually better than you. 
So, to me, that's what it says. And that's yeah. also another reason why these online bracelets are BS. And you may have the question, did Fedor use the solvers in the last online World Series of Poker that we just had? Answer, possibly. He actually made the final table at one of the bracelet events on GG Poker. He also came in second in a World Series of Poker ring event during the online circuit and got 92K for that. So it's very possible he was using the solvers and almost won a bracelet and almost won a ring. I just do not like those online events. It, it, if you want to have what's called an online bracelet, then great. But these are not equivalent to regular bracelets. There's so many ways that people can win these unethically, where they can multi-account, they can have uh, friends giving them advice, they can even have just a bunch of friends over and you know sitting behind them and people playing kind of as a team that way. People switching off. I mean, you never know. You don't know who's on the other side of that keyboard and what they're doing. So that is one of the reasons I don't think online bracelets are equivalent to real live bracelets like I have. I have a real live bracelet that I had to earn myself with no assistance from anybody except for the poker deck, which gave me very good cards, which allowed me to win a bracelet. Okay, you know what? I am tired, but I'm not going to quit. But I'm going to take a break. So I'm tired. My throat hurts. I could quit on you guys, and I would have every reason to do so, but I'm not going to. I am going to continue forward. And we have some things left on our schedule. We do. I have to go with them alone unless Brandon calls in, but that's okay. I shall. But I will be back. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew. And it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. 
If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then you can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. All right, we're back. I want to move on to the next topic. I want to give you an update on the 21 Blitz story from last week. Now, if you didn't listen last week, this is not going to make much sense to you. And I don't have the patience to tell the whole story again. But basically, there was a lawsuit, and we did a long segment about it last week, that Mac Verstandig was the attorney filing the suit. And uh, it's about the... Skill App 21 Blitz, which is a card game. It's uh, against a company called Skills, which runs the game. It's actually a pretty fun game, and there's uh, a lot of strategy to it. The problem is, it really is gambling, and they frame it as not gambling because you're using the same deck as your opponent. So you it, it, you play it in kind of like a solitaire format, and you get a certain number of points, and your opponent plays that exact same deck, and they get a certain number of points. Whoever has more points wins the match. So for that reason, they call it a game of skill instead of uh, gambling. Gambling has to have an element of chance. They're claiming there is no element of chance because you're both getting the exact same run of cards and using the entire deck that's in the exact same order, and then just whoever does it better wins. The problem is there is a luck factor to it based upon the decisions you make, that uh, causes a difference in the way the cards are going to come out based upon the way you place them. I mean, they'll come out in the same order, but the, what you can do with them are different, and there is a luck factor in that. So there really is luck involved here. The better player doesn't win every time, and when the better player doesn't win, it usually is not because of uh, the better player just playing worse that time, it's because the better player just got unlucky. So... It is in my it is my opinion that that's a skill. It's not a skill game only. It's a skill game with a luck factor in it, much like poker, and that is gambling. But unlike poker, they are able to offer this legally in most states without having to get a license for it because it's considered a competition of skill. Well, there's a lawsuit. That's uh, somewhat about that and also somewhat about uh, the practices of the way they behaved with uh, two of the biggest winners on the site earlier this year and, and late last year. There were two players – this is just a review of last week in case you missed it. There were two players who were among the top players last late last year and, and early this year. One was named Prignum on there who's uh, – Real name is John Prignano. And the other person is uh, named uh, Alyssa Ball, who plays on there as Liz Nico. Liz Nico is not what you would expect to be one of the top players on an app like that. She is 19 years old. She's very pretty. She looks. She has an Instagram page where she looks like an Instagram model. She's from Las Vegas. 
And uh, there were even some suspicions by Brandon last week that she wasn't even who she said she was, that maybe she wasn't uh, the one who's in those Instagram pictures. I mean, she's obviously a real person because Mac Verstandig filed a lawsuit and uh, named her as one of the plaintiffs and stated that she was 19. But uh, we were wondering, is that really her picture? Or maybe is this some girl who doesn't look anything like that, but is really a 19-year-old named Alyssa Ball. Well, I have some updates on this. And by the way, the third plaintiff in this lawsuit is someone who was not a winning player on there, who uh, lost $60,000 due to what Mac claims is uh, deceptive marketing. And I, I agree with him, actually. They, uh, there's a lot of shadiness going on here, both as far as the way they market the game and also the way the two winners were treated, both of whom had their accounts closed and their money confiscated. And also they claim they played against someone who was cheating that they failed to stop. So that's what this lawsuit's about. And we covered this extensively last week. I thought it was a very interesting story. It has not been covered very much in the media, though it was covered in the Las Vegas Review Journal last week. And in fact, it was Mac tweeting out that Review Journal article, which is what got my interest in the story, which actually uh, has been going on since May, because that was when Mac filed the lawsuit. And some poker and gambling outlets covered this in June and have not covered it since. I just found out about it last week, and I covered it really, really extensively, both on this show and on the forum, in the Scam Scandals and Shadiness forum. So now we have the best coverage. We weren't the first, but we're the best. Anyway, I found out some new things since last week. If you want to know more about the story, go listen to our long segment on this last week. But let me give you the updates. First of all, Liz Nico is real. Liz Nico is as hard as it could be to believe. Liz Nico is indeed the girl with uh, the Instagram. She is the one in the pictures. Brandon's assumption, while very reasonable, and while he almost had me convinced, turned out to be incorrect. Despite all the appearances that she's fake, Liz Nico is what she claims to be. How did I determine this? Well, I just went to her Twitter, and I scrolled back, and fortunately she's had a Twitter since like uh, 2015, or maybe even late 2014, something like that. And I was able to scroll back to when she was much younger. Remember, she's 19, so these years really mean a lot. If you go back with me five years, it's not going to mean that much because I'll still be in my 40s. I'll basically be the same guy. I'll look similar. I'll act similar. I'll be in the same spot in life. Not much has changed. But with a girl who's 19 presently, there's a lot of difference when you go back five years. So I did that, and I was able to see that uh, I was able to see her interactions on her Twitter with her friends, with a boyfriend she had at the time. Like, a lot of stuff looked very real. A lot of other accounts that were tweeting at the time, long before she played on 21 Blitz, that had pictures of them together with her looking younger at the time. So even though there were some strange things, like some pictures up there that she looked too old for the age she was supposed to be, like 2015, stuff like that, no, it, she's legit. I think she was kind of an early bloomer, but she's legit. And everything that I saw on the Twitter really points to the fact that Liz Nico is exactly who she says she is. But in case you have further doubt, I actually found a video on YouTube of Liz Nico trying to demonstrate to Skills that she was really the one on the account. She did this after she was suspended but not yet banned 
when they claimed they needed to verify her identity, which really seems like it was just an excuse to get rid of her. Hi, my name is Alyssa Ball. My screen name is Liz Nico. Um, Liz, and then my middle name is Nicole, so that's the Nico. Um, I just downloaded, oh, this is my verification video. Um, I just downloaded Diamond Strike, so this is Diamond Strike. I don't know why she's playing Diamond Strike. There's some other game of theirs. I haven't even tried it. Uh, she spends the first three minutes of this 18-minute video playing Diamond Strike, even though she's trying to prove that she was the player on 21 Blitz, but then at the three-minute mark, she was playing 21 Blitz as well. Not my best, but that's fine. Okay. Okay. Do you want to make sure you get, like, all of me? Okay. She's she's saying to some guy off screen to get all of her and make sure to show it's really her playing, because the, the guy was just showing her hands playing, and that could be anybody, so she'd make sure to get all of me. This is very authentic, like, very realistic looking. You can see at the 310 mark in this video, which you can find in the thread about this on Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum on Poker Fraud Alert, at 3 minutes 10 seconds, if you pause it and zoom and like blow up the screen as big as you can at the highest resolution, at the top right of her phone, you can see her balance, which at the time was uh, $28,700. So she really had that in her account. And very shortly after this video was made, she was uh, permanently banned. And the lawsuit does mention that she was uh, out $28,700 from uh, from that ban. So it looks like that was accurate. Uh, it's definitely the same girl. She has different hair color. She has, like, uh, bleach blonde hair in this picture. But she, she's the same pretty girl from the pictures. So she's real. And she actually has a video of herself playing 21 Blitz for the remainder, like 15 minutes of this video. So, Yeah. Everything's okay with this, Nico. She is who she claims to be from all appearances. But let's talk about some other things that I've learned since uh, the last show. First of all, remember the third plaintiff, that one they called Jane Rowe? They won't name her for some reason. She was a fish on the site and a loser from the start. She lost 60 k on the platform, and uh, the... Part of the suit that involves her claims that 21 Blitz is a gambling app and is being marketed as an app to effortlessly make money. That is true. I have noticed that in their ads as well. They don't make it clear that uh, a lot of people lose, if not most people, if not almost everybody. It just makes it seem like if you spend enough time in the app, you're going to make a lot of money. And there are apps like that. There are apps where you can watch ads or whatever and uh, take surveys and, and you eventually build up money, albeit very slowly. So it kind of implies it's like one of those in the ads, but then in reality it's a, it's a gambling app that also has a skill element where you're very likely to lose. Jane Rowe played on there as Bread and Butter 37. I was not familiar with her when I played the game. As I, I did used to play 21 Blitz. I even interacted with Liz Nico last year, as I mentioned on uh, the show last week. But I was not familiar with this uh, Bread and Butter 37, probably because she didn't make the leaderboard because she was a fish. Liz Nico, I got the date that she joined the app. It was uh, April 25th, 2019, so she got to be good fairly quickly. Keep in mind that video I just played you, where she was demonstrating she, she is who she claims she is, was in January 2020. So she, I, I remember last year she was up on the leaderboard like middle of the year, so she really improved rapidly after initially losing 50K, according to the lawsuit. Now... Remember, Skills has their own side of it, and they were trying to claim that Liz Nico and Prignum were colluding and cheating, and that one of the tricks they were using to do so 
was whenever they get matched to play each other, they would both disconnect on purpose to do cause what's known as a mutual abort, where both of them automatically get their money back because neither of them finished the match. They claim this is a major violation of the terms of service because part of the app is matching you with people of like skill, and if they're always avoiding playing each other, then they get uh, an easier group of people to be matched against because they miss each other and they're two of the best players on the app. Now, I said last week I don't completely agree with that because uh, this really isn't hurting anybody. The only people it's hurting would be uh, skills that they're not paying rake for it because each of these matches you pay a rake and at the high stakes it's a pretty substantial rake. Anyway, skills claims that there's more to it than that. They claim that in addition to using that mutual abort trick to avoid playing each other, that they also did the reverse and threw matches to each other in order to advance on the leaderboard. Now, this would contradict the entire reason they were aborting matches, which was to avoid playing one another and avoid paying rake. So why would they try to play each other and throw matches if that's exactly the opposite of what they were doing with the aborting? My only theory, this is not said in the lawsuit, my only theory of why they might do that would be if one of them is very close to the next spot up on the leaderboard and one of them is like easily entrenched in whatever place they're in. Let's say let's say Prignum is in first by a very wide margin and no one's going to catch him. Then it would make sense if he's colluding with Lisniko to purposely lose matches to her to give her more points to finish higher on the leaderboard and get paid more money. I'm not saying this happened, but that's what Skills seems to be alleging they did. Uh, uh, along with the mutual abort. Skills also claims that Prignum would purposely lose games at lower limits in order to lower his overall rating and get matched with worse players. However, this is a little strange. I'm not sure why he would have done that because the high limit pool is very small anyway, and I don't think they would be matching him with easy players anyway. I think they should be matching him with whoever happens to be on there that's willing to play at that highest stakes. But maybe not. Maybe there was something. But they were claiming that he was, whenever he'd, he'd go down to low stakes and play horribly on purpose so he, and get very few points, so it would match him uh, with easier opponents at the higher stakes. They claim that is also considered cheating because it's him trying to circumvent what they call their fair play algorithm. Also, Skills claims that they banned this Jane Rowe, you know, the fish on there who lost 60K. They claim they banned her after she chunked off 14K but that she lost the remainder by sneaking back on there. They claim they banned her for irresponsibly spending, like uh, basically problem gambling. They just don't say gambling because they want to claim they're not a gambling app. They claim that the way she spent the rest of the money was by sneaking back on under phony identities, and that when they'd catch those, they would quickly ban her as well. But there's only so much they can do if she's going to keep sneaking back on and spending money there. They may actually have a point with that one. The lead attorney in this matter for skills is Elif Reed. Now, who is Elif Reed? I hadn't heard of him before, but uh, had you heard of someone named Reed who was kind of famous in Nevada? And what about Harry Reed? Hmm. Yes, that's Harry Reed's son. And he is an attorney based out of Reno. And he's actually the attorney for skills here. Interesting. A big matter here involves the attempt to compel all three plaintiffs to do this through arbitration because they have agreed to this through the terms of service on the site. They skills is asserting through E. Lee Freed, 
who's the lead attorney, that this should not be decided upon by the courts because all the players have agreed to binding arbitration instead of the court system in the case that disputes arise. However, Mac, while acknowledging that they did agree to this binding arbitration through the terms of service, Mac does raise the fair point that the arbitration term is buried in the terms of service agreement, which rarely anyone notices or reads, and that the terms also cap skills, liability, and anything to a maximum of $50. (laughs) Come on. Mac argues that the terms of service are so one-sided that they allow themselves to do whatever they want without any kind of legal liability if the most damages that could be collected would be $50, which is a good point. He also shows that the terms of service link, in order to read them, is almost hidden under a large next button, which is basically accepts all terms, and that most people would probably miss it. He shows the difference between the size of the next button and the links of the terms of service. It never displays the terms of service unless you click on that link, which he's saying is very small, which I agree as well. So I definitely agree with him morally and all this stuff. Uh, whether this will hold water legally, I do not know. It's possible it will, possible it won't. I'm not an expert on that. Now, this is a very active case. The last filing, and there's, it's possible there's some since then, but the last time I checked, the last filing was actually on September 11th. So we're, we're talking about last week. So this is not one that's dragging through the court system. This one is uh, rapidly moving through. So I will give you... Updates to this as they come. And uh, someone brought up on the forum that the company is really screwing up. This person named Stoic Jester wrote, They have two Americans who are great at the game, one of whom is an attractive young female. They should be marketing the heck out of these two, not continue to use these cheap, these cheap fake lying ads. And then they should lower the rake and fix the pause glitch that was being used, that was being alleged but that other players were using to cheat. This is a fun game. It could be a legit successful game. Well, I think it's already successful, but I, I agree with the rest of what he's saying. Boy, did they screw this one up. This is a huge marketing fail, if you think about it. Prignum, if you remember from last week, he won a Porsche, not from actually like winning in the game. He won this by playing the game. He played at such a high volume that he earned tickets. You earn these tickets every time you play. He earned enough tickets through his high volume play to where he actually earned a Porsche, which they hadn't given away to anybody yet. So instead of saying, congratulations, here's your Porsche. Now let us uh, take pictures of you and distribute it on the site to show that someone won the Porsche by just playing, not even having to win, but just high volume play actually earned them a Porsche. They could have really gotten a lot of mileage out of this, no pun intended. Instead, they've been fighting giving him the Porsche, which is crazy. They should have happily given him the Porsche, but asked if they throw in a little extra if uh, he will allow them to distribute pictures of him for marketing purposes in the Porsche and in front of the Porsche, whatever, whatever. And so here's a guy, from what I remember, he looked like a very average, like, 30s white guy. You have this average-looking, normal everyman who's earned a Porsche on there for playing an app and then also wins money on there. You would think that they would totally promote this, and that's what PokerStars did when Dario Minieri earned a Porsche. 
through the freaking player store. They put it right in the PokerStars blog and really made you realize that this could be done and give you something to shoot for, to become like Dario yourself one day. Except maybe not wear as many scarves as he does. Though, by the way, Dario, he, he got girls. Like, you looked at Dario, he wasn't, like, traditionally good-looking. He's kind of short and skinny and wore weird scarves, and I don't know. Like, he was a good poker player, but he wasn't, like, this, like, good-looking, suave uh, Italian guy that you'd picture from uh, what you might think. But he seemed to get some pretty hot girls in poker, so maybe it was the Porsche. I don't know. He did a good job. But uh, they really screwed that one up with Prignum. And then with Lisnico, they probably screwed up even worse because think of how perfect it would have been that one of the biggest winners on the site was a very pretty 19-year-old girl. So this could have been marketed to both genders very well. They could have marketed her to the men that this is the type of woman you can meet playing uh, 21 Blitz on there, that like that's who's on there. And I think that would have excited a lot of dudes to go on there and hope to interact with someone like that. And then for women, they could have marketed this like, look, this is what this 19-year-old girl was able to do. Look how much money she won here. Look how well she did. And the women will watch this and go, you know, if, if this... 19-year-olds can do this. I can, too. Because a lot of older women, they'll look look at a girl that age and they'll go, okay, this girl, she's not very sophisticated. Like, they would picture that they could do a lot better than she could just by how she looks. That's probably not true, but that's kind of what they think when they look at her. So women will look at this and go, well, okay, this little 19-year-old can pull this off. Yeah, I'm sure I can do it, too. So that could have been another great marketing opportunity, which they just totally threw in the toilet. So this really was marketing malpractice. And I wonder if the marketers just never got wind of either story until it was too late and both of them were banned and already had uh, disputes with upper management. That was a big screw-up on skills part. That's all I have for you. I will let you know as more comes out. Moving on. I have an update on the $1.5 million bad check that was allegedly passed at the Cosmo. Remember, this story was brought to us by Matt the Rat, who called in a little bit earlier. And the story was that someone attempted to buy chips and did buy chips with a bad $1.5 million check since it was a high roller With a good history there, the Cosmo uh, gave him the chips. He knew the check was no good. He chunked off the $1.5 He ran off, and the Cosmo had to try to come after him in some way, which they did. And then he was arrested at McCarran Airport before being able to leave town. Matt the Rat got wind of this. This was not reported anywhere in the media, except for on Poker Fraud Alert. And he's been reporting, he found this out through a friend who's involved in the bail bonds industry. He found out who, uh, yeah, he found out some details that the friend was leaking to him. Well, we found out this week who it is, but I don't have a name yet, but maybe you can figure it out. Reportedly, and this is according to Matt, this has not been verified independently anywhere, and Matt is claiming that his friend told him this. I don't know the reliability factor of Matt's friend and I I know Matt would never knowingly make this up because 
I've known him for several years. He doesn't do that. But, uh, you know, there's a possibility he could have it wrong. So I'm not saying this is a verified thing. But I think there's a good chance there's something to it. The rumor, according to Matt, is that the guy was the owner of eBay Korea. I don't know who that is. You can look it up. I didn't know that eBay Korea has a separate owner, but that's supposedly who it is. It'd be interesting to know if this story is what it's said to be, because we're hearing this all third hand. I'm looking at a link that I found through Google, and it says eBay may have buyer for Korean unit valued at four billion. Wow, who was the buyer? Looks like I think it was something called Coupang. Yeah, Coupang is some company that was looking to buy it. I don't know if it actually ended up buying it. Coupang is a $9 billion e-commerce business that is similar to Amazon in Korea. So I don't know if Coupang ended up actually buying it, but I don't know. If it's said to be the owner of eBay Korea, this sounds like it's a company that owns it, so I, I don't know what to say. Maybe it's one of the owners, maybe it's the CEO. I don't know. Supposedly, it's it's someone who has to do with uh, eBay Korea who has a ton of money. He wrote a, knowingly wrote a $1.5 million bad check to Cosmo and was arrested for it. So we shall see if those charges are valid and if he's convicted and if it is someone who has something to do with eBay in Korea. So I'll keep updating this story as it comes out. Okay, let's talk about the next topic we have here, which is a little controversy, a little political controversy, kind of, on WCB.com, but not what it appeared to be at first glance. So we all know about the very contentious presidential election we have coming up in less than two months here in the United States of uh, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, and I'm not going to get into that, but... uh, I'm going to get into what happened involving something having to do with Trump and WSOP.com. A player named Tim Burt, who is Tim Burt Poker, that's T-I-M-B-U-R-T Poker, on Twitter, who is apparently a Trump supporter, tweeted the following on September 15th. My screen name, Trump 2024, after four years, has suddenly became offensive on WSOP.com. I won't be changing my name. Deal around me. Hashtag Keep America Great 2020. He posted a screenshot of the support message to him, and it says the following. Hey, player. Hey, player. Come on. It, it, it can't say hey, comma, whatever your name is. Uh, it recently came to our attention that your username could be seen as offensive to other players at WSB.com. His name is Trump 2024. Come on. This violates our terms and conditions, and your account has now been closed. Wow. That's a pretty harsh penalty for supporting Trump. We therefore request that you provide us with three alternative usernames within the next 48 hours, ensuring that your new username is not objectionable. And then it gives him some uh, criteria. Uh, once your preferred username is received, your, your WSOP.com account will be updated and reopened accordingly. I don't know what would happen if he took more than 48 hours. What if he just doesn't check his email at that time? Anyway, he did see it within 48 hours. 
He also said that he got a call from WSB.com, and he said uh, WSB.com called me, said they had recently banned all political screen names, also admitted to the poor wording in the email calling my screen name Trump 2024 offensive. It was a good answer, but I'd like to review all the names playing one night and see if what I find offensive. So he's he's saying, okay, I understand why you're banning the political nicknames, but if you're looking to get rid of offensive nicknames, I bet I could find plenty on your platform, and I'm going to be a big pain in the ass and complain about them. <laughs> so it looks like he believes their story, though, which I think I do too, that they're not doing this to target Trump supporters and they're not doing this because they hate Trump. They just made a decision that, given the highly uh, politically charged environment of 2020, that it's best that people don't have screen names that are supportive of one candidate or the other. They just don't want to piss people off. They want everybody to play without seeing reminders that someone supports uh, some political candidate they hate. So they, I guess you can't have Trump anything you can't have biden anything i i wonder what they would do about like kind of pseudo political things like blm nicknames or whatever like i wonder how far this goes but they definitely don't allow uh, political nicknames so even though trump 2024 is impossible he can't run again in 2024 actually i guess he could if he lost i guess that would be one way he could still run is if he lost this election but that was force changed he was told he can't log back in unless they uh, unless he changes his screen name and he had to come up with three alternatives in case they don't like the first one so the wsop actually responded which i'll give them credit here i'm not sure who was the the one responding but uh, they gave a response they wrote uh, wsop.com is dedicated to protecting the integrity of the game and providing a fun safe environment to play online poker in order to cultivate that type of environment we have taken steps to avoid political agendas being displayed to players through usernames. Specifically, we recently updated our username permissions to look for names that are political in nature, regardless of the party, in addition to names that are derogatory, offensive, or misrepresenting. We thank you for your understanding. I mean, okay. I, I think it's going a little too far. Like, Let them have a, an innocuous screen name supporting their candidate. It wouldn't piss me off. I'm, I am I don't like Joe Biden, but I, if so, I saw someone had biden 2020 or biden 2024 i wouldn't get pissed off i said okay someone who likes biden whatever i can handle the fact that people support different candidates than what i do totally fine i don't think uh, it's a good situation if everybody is on one side and everybody supports the same candidate it's good to have competition it's good to have ideological diversity and while I agree on poker sites, that's not really the place to advertise politics or to express support for a political candidate. I think that something as simple as Trump or Biden in your screen name shouldn't get you banned. But apparently now it does. But I will give them credit. It does appear that they are probably doing this fairly and evenly. And if they just simply want to keep politics off their site, given the uh, controversy involved whenever politics come up these days, I can't really blame them. I can't really blame them. I'm always saying... Get the politics out of music, get the politics out of sports, uh, get the politics out of uh, entertainment, and I agree. Things that don't have to do with politics. I'm not talking about political talk shows. Like That's fine if you want to have political talk shows or things like that where people are watching them for the politics or listening to them for the politics. But things that are not supposed to be political should not be political. You should just keep politics out of it. 
remember the Dixie Chicks said, what, we're supposed to shut up and sing? They even made a an album called Shut Up and Sing. That's mocking people uh, turning against them because of stuff they said about George Bush. And I said, yes, actually, yes, shut up and sing. Nothing wrong with saying that. You're not paying money to hear the artist lecture you on politics. At least I don't think you are. Most of us are not. So I don't want actors talking about politics. I don't want uh, musicians talking about politics. I really don't want politics where it doesn't belong. But at the same time, these are just screen names, so who cares? But apparently WSOP.com does because they have removed it. They've really been putting an effort out to stop any kind of controversy between players that you can't chat anymore. They're just really trying to make it a milk toast experience. Looks like these are the decisions of Danielle Burreal, who's in charge there. That would be my guess. I don't know if she's the one who's answering the question on WSOP.com. But if it is, I will give her props that this seems to be applied evenly, and I will give props that whoever's managing the WSOP.com account right now is uh, responding, and they gave an explanation. They didn't take the Bill Reaney approach and just hide from it. So I don't have much criticism here, actually. I think that aside from being a little bit petty and a little bit uh, oversensitive, I think they're they're being even-handed, and their stance is reasonable. So I don't want anyone to take this as a bash of WSOP.com because uh, while I've had issues with other things they've done, this one looks fine to me. Even though at first I thought maybe they were just being biased and trying to take it out on anyone who supports Trump, it looks like that's not the case. Unless they were lying to him, but I think they're telling the truth. Okay. Let's talk about Doug Polk and Daniel Negreanu. Remember they had a heads-up match? Remember we talked about that, and then we kind of forgot about it for a while, didn't we? Everybody forgot about it for a while. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. They're planning it. It looks like a real thing. So here is what's going on with that. Remember, there was this whole drama back and forth about uh, them having this heads-up match and... Daniel was posturing. He's such a big underdog and that he's playing Doug Polk, who's known as the best heads-up, no-limit player in the world, which might be true, but Doug, it turned out, offered that Daniel could throw in some games that he's a lot better at, like specifically limit games, and Daniel turned it down because he Apparently, Daniel is so obsessed with being the underdog, he actually doesn't want to play games he's better at. He actually wants to be the underdog. So this way, if it, if he loses, there's no shame in it. He can say, well, I lost to the best uh, heads-up, no-limit player in the world. What can I say? I'm the underdog. And then if he beats him, then he gets to brag he's the, he's the underdog and he beat him. Like So there's really no downside to it. And as I mentioned on a previous show, I actually discovered this back in junior high school when it came to fighting on the playground. I actually decided I liked fighting with the kids who I was expected to lose to because if I beat them, I got all the credit. And if I lost, everyone was expecting it anyway. If I fought some kid who was smaller than me that I was expected to beat and then I lost, it was very embarrassing. So I actually started to prefer to have fist fights with kids who were perceived 
to be stronger than me. So uh, this way, there's no humiliation in losing and lots of accolades for winning. I didn't want to fight someone who was sure to beat me, but someone who I thought I had, uh, you know, somewhat of a chance to beat in a fight, even if people didn't think so. So I noticed this is a 12 and 13 year old. And Daniel noticed this substantially older and in a different context, but not all that different. So he wants to be the underdog really badly. And they had back and forth about terms. Then it looked like the discussion of it died for some time. But the discussion's back on, and it looks serious. It doesn't look like they're bullshitting here. Like, it really looks like they want to have this match. So props to both of them for making this happen. It's one thing to talk about playing heads up. It's another thing to actually make concrete plans, and they are going in that direction for sure. So Daniel Negreanu yesterday tweeted new. He actually wrote new colon. Probably means like new terms. Match will be played on GG Poker private play money table. No rake. Insert jokes here. At least see this is the, the Daniel I like. See he's he's being self-effacing. Here Doug Polk made fun of him so relentlessly about saying more rake is better, which he kind of did. And instead of being bitter about it in this tweet, Daniel makes a joke about himself. Says no rake parentheses insert jokes here. See this is if this was the Daniel we always got, people wouldn't be like making fun of him and have a hard time with him. It's 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 just like we he he should be this Daniel more often, not angry. Uh, Yelling Daniel and lecturing Daniel and condescending Daniel and like if, if he went back to this, people would like him a lot better. Anyway, legally from home in Las Vegas, is this agreeable to you, sir? A very important detail, obviously. Okay, well, I'll tell you why he's asking for this. I'd always wondered how they're going to do this because GG Poke, if they're going to play on something like GG Poker. They could not be in uh, the U.S. because it's not legal to play on GG Poker from the U.S. for real money. Unless unless they were to play for play money and then just settle up later. Because they don't need the site to manage their money. I, I don't think Doug Polk is going to stiff Negreanu, and I don't think Negreanu is going to stiff Doug Polk. I think whoever loses is going to pay up even after the fact. So... I don't think either worries about that with the other. Each would look terrible. Each would, each has too much to lose about their reputation if they were to stiff the other one. They would basically both kill their reputation forever if whoever were to stiff the other. Nor does any either of them have a history of stiffing people. Daniel and Doug, neither of them have any kind of history of acting shady. So... They really only need to do this to play money, is the truth. So Daniel's saying, hey, we can play on GG Poker, and we could do it at a play money table. And this way there will be no rake. And this way I, we can both play from our own houses in Las Vegas, where they both live. Also, Daniel noted that here's what they've already agreed upon. They've already agreed upon a 25,000 hand match. The losing poker player can quit after twelve thousand five hundred if they want and just declare it a loss. So you're the the match will be twenty five thousand unless at the twenty five hundred mark or the halfway mark twelve thousand five hundred that one player decides he's getting beat so badly he doesn't want to continue because remember they're playing for real money. 
even if they play at a play money table. This is actually they're playing for real money. So if you're getting crushed that maybe you don't want to continue, you'll just call it a loss. If both parties agree, we can raise the stakes on the second half. It will originally start with two tables of 200, 400 blinds, no limit hold'em. Obviously pretty big. We will start with 100 big blind stacks and auto top up. That is that uh, it'll automatically add to their stacks up to 100 big blinds if they lose any off of there and are under 100. So their stacks will obviously grow and grow and grow with one person topping up and with the other one winning chips off the other. So they already agreed to all this. This is stuff they've hashed out back and forth and they have agreed to do this. So Daniel was saying, in addition, he wants it to be in GG poker, play money tables, no rake, and they'll play from their respective homes in Las Vegas. Probably for social distancing reasons for the coronavirus. So what did Doug say to that? What did Doug say to the new things? He says, I'm fine. He said, I prefer to play on a real money table on a neutral legal site. I think WSP.com makes the most sense for this. Obviously, no rake is fine. I don't know how to pull that off if it's on WSP.com. But uh, you can only do no rake if it's for play money. But whatever. He also said, I'm fine playing it from home. I think we should have a caveat that either player can have a neutral judge come watch the other player play for some kind of penalty, like one big blind an hour for game integrity. Now, I think what he's trying to say there, he wasn't totally clear, but I think what he's trying to say is that if either of us suspect that the other is using uh, any kind of helper tool or the Dream Machine solver that Fedora Cruz uses or that they're having friends over ghosting and playing as a team, that if, if one of the two or both suspect something is wrong, that they have a right to send someone over that they judge as neutral to police the other person playing and watch what's going on. So see if anything's on the screen that shouldn't be, all that good stuff. But that whoever chooses to do this has to pay one big blind per hour penalty for having that neutral person come. So it's kind of like, do you want to give up one big blind an hour in order to be able to get a neutral person watching the other guy? And if you don't, then you can save the one big blind an hour. Now, I guess if they both agree to have a neutral guy watching, then there's no penalty because they're both uh, they're both doing it. Uh, it looks like Negranu has agreed to the person that can watch them for game integrity. In fact, Negranu said, totally fine with that, discuss that today. So it sounds like Negranu was also a little concerned. Like, how do we make sure Doug is really playing with no assistance? How do we get this watched? And he was kind of happy that Doug brought this up. Like, if, if one of us wants the other one watched, that they can send someone over there to watch. It, it, but it'll cost them one big blind an hour to do it. So that's kind of an interesting concept. It's not just putting someone to watch the other person. It's uh, that if you want to put someone to watch, you have to pay a little bit of a penalty. So it's not automatic. It's that you've got to decide how much is it worth to have someone there watching for you. I think you probably would be wise to have that watched because one big blind an hour isn't that much. 
and uh, just the value of kind of making the other person nervous, having someone watching them, just kind of having a stranger in their house sitting behind them watching them, I, I would think that would be enough to be worth the one big blind, even if you're not worried at all they're going to cheat. Like, I don't see Daniel bringing, you know, using solvers or, or using uh, any kind of helper solver. It just doesn't seem like that's like something he'd do. And and honestly, I don't think Doug would do it either. I really think if each of them says they're just going to play each other, they're just going to play each other normally. I, I really see that happening. But I can also understand why, since it's online, that they want to have some kind of visibility if there's any reason to suspect that maybe something's wrong. So they, it's funny they both are thinking that about each other. <laughs> now, maybe they're both thinking that about each other because they know that they both don't like each other and that they both really want to win this. So... They probably don't trust the other one, and they're both kind of thinking about each other. Hmm, there's only way to police that damn Doug Paul from screwing me, and, and uh, Doug's thinking, yeah, if only you can police that damn shifty Daniel from screwing me. <laughs> the truth is probably neither's going to screw each other. Like I don't think either of them's going to do it, but they both have that idea, so now they both uh, have agreed to that. Don't know if that'll actually happen. Uh, I, I saw Jared Smith, who played with me last year at the main event, on two different tables. And he cashed to the same amount I did, by the way. He volunteered to be one of the people that watches. He said, I'd be happy to watch either of you should the other one exercise that right. I'm a licensed attorney and a dusty bad re- regular. I think I'm qualified. Actually, he is qualified. I think that uh, Jared likes Doug a lot better, so he's not totally neutral. That's his only problem. But I, I do believe he'd be fair about it. Like, I think that... Jared would be a good one to come over and just watch and just make sure everything's okay. Especially if he's sent to watch Daniel. I don't know about him watching Doug because I I don't know if he's close to Doug, but I kind of get the impression that he's much more pro-Doug than Daniel from what I've seen. So uh, he'd be a good one to be sent over to judge Daniel because he wouldn't feel bad about calling out anything that's wrong. And... I think he'd be honest about what he sees. I think that uh, I don't think he'd falsely accuse Daniel of anything, and he, he's very knowledgeable about, about online poker, and he's a smart guy. So I, I think Jared Smith would be a good choice if uh, it came to it. And he does live in Las Vegas, so we'll see. This is uh, still being hammered out here. I don't blame. Doug for demanding that it has to be on a neutral site that he doesn't want it on GG Poker. That's Daniel's site. GG Poker definitely has a reason to let Daniel win. I'm not saying they would, but GG Poker would really rather that Daniel win than lose this. So Doug has to know that, and Doug really should want this to be on a site that does not have any kind of incentive to see Daniel win. And WSOB.com would be one that I think would meet that description. So, if they played on WCB.com, unless they played at Play Money Tables, then there would be Rake, but that would be negligible compared to the stakes they'd be playing. So, still don't know the date, but this is moving along, and you know what? They're not insulting each other. Like, Daniel insults himself. Doug is very cordial. They're both being very businesslike and respectable. And respectful to each other. Like, 
this is so unlike their usual conversations back and forth, which are just very hostile. And even even when it's not hostile on the surface, there's like a lot of passive aggressive hostility. There's just like a lot, so much hostility between these two, and yet in this conversation, they're able to actually put that aside and just discuss this normally. Pretty amazing. All right, I, I will be interested to see this. I think a lot of us are. Okay, let's get to the coronavirus news. Final topic of the night, and then we'll be done. I know I don't sound like it, but I'm tired. I really am tired. I'm just good at faking not being tired for this show. You know what happened to me last night? I'll tell you what happened to me last night. I was playing on Ignition, and I was tired. I shouldn't have been playing, but I was playing, and I wasn't doing very well. And part of it was I was running really badly against fish. Like, the fish were just torturing me. Uh, I won't get into details, but like I'm talking about legit fish, not ones I just think are fish but are actually pretty good. But uh, I started to notice some other problems. I, I was very tired. I was kind of dozing in between hands. I tend to sometimes fall asleep during a hand. I didn't time out at all, but I came close a few times. I, I should have quit. But uh, something that uh, happened uh, towards the end was... <laughs> I, I was like, I remember I, I raised with pocket nines. I got three bet and then I actually fell asleep. And then I woke up just as I was about to time out and I was able to uh, continue the hand. I don't remember even if I won or lost the damn hand, but uh, the way the session ended was just me and that guy on there who constantly wins. So I didn't even see the second to last hand. The second to last hand was him open folding to me heads up. It broke down to heads up. I didn't realize it because I'd fallen asleep. He open-folded some trash hand to me heads up from the button, so I won the big blind back and and his small blind. I didn't see this. I woke up then <laughs> to see I, I'm in a different position with a different hand. And so I have three-deuce offsuit on the button, so I gave him his money right back by folding that, and... I quit. <laughs> so final two hands are me winning one, literally sleeping the entire hand because it was folded to me. And then the other hand, uh, me waking up just as I'm dealt three deuce off suit and I fold that one. That was a lovely way to end. But I was tired. I was very tired. It was just such a good game. I was unusually good with like two pretty big fish in the game. I just could not win. Too bad. I'd been going well on there recently until that. I mean, I didn't get killed, but I lost. Okay, so here's the, the final topic. And then I'll shut this down. The coronavirus, we may finally have some good news on the coronavirus. This could be something that turns out to be inconsequential and maybe incorrect. Or it could turn out to be a major game changer. This could be the moment where everything was uh, figured out and where we will have something that completely does away or almost completely does away with uh, all the concerns. I have said for a long time, a treatment is better than a vaccine. That is a good treatment is better than a vaccine because you don't have to worry about what if the vaccine fails you get to use the treatment only when you get the disease. And if the treatment's very good, then you don't have to worry about what the disease is going to do to you. 
the biggest problem right now with the coronavirus is you don't know what's going to happen once you get it. You hope you'll be one of the lucky ones to be asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic, but uh, it could go the opposite way and you could die or you could have some permanent damage from it. The University of Pittsburgh, they have scientists there that have been working on the coronavirus and scientists there have isolated a biomolecule that completely neutralizes the virus that causes the coronavirus. They isolated the smallest biological molecule to date, and it neutralizes the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is the coronavirus. It is 10 times smaller than a full-sized antibody and has been used to create a drug known as AB8 for therapeutic and preventative use against uh, the coronavirus. This AB8 that they've tried has been, quote, highly effective in preventing and treating the coronavirus in mice and hamsters. They haven't tried it on people yet, but in mice and hamsters, it's been highly effective in both stopping the coronavirus and preventing from getting in the first place. It looks like it can act as both a vaccine and a treatment. AB8 not only has potential therapy for COVID-19, but it could also be used to keep people from getting the infection in the first place, said John Mellers, who is the chief of the Division of Infectious Diseases at UPMC and uh, University of Pittsburgh. And he said that uh, antibodies of larger size have worked against other infectious diseases and have been well tolerated giving us hope that this can be an effective treatment for patients with COVID-19 and for protection of those who have never had the infection and are not immune. Well, if that really is, is a very effective treatment, like it appears apparently is with mice and hamsters, you may wonder why mice and hamsters. Believe it or not, rodents are similar in many ways to human beings. They don't look similar. But they have a lot of similarities, so that's why they do a lot of testing on rodents. It's not just because rodents are convenient to test on. It's because they have a lot of physiological similarities to humans, even though it doesn't appear that way. So if it really is working well on mice and hamsters, it could work well on humans. By the way, you know that mice and hamsters can catch human colds? And they usually will die if they catch it. They don't handle cold as well as we do. If you have a hamster, you should never handle the hamster when you have a cold or you can kill it. Whereas, like, dogs cannot catch human colds. Dogs have their own colds, and they can transmit to each other. But if you sneeze on your dog, the virus will die inside the dog's body. And if the dog gives you a cold, the virus will die in your body and never become anything. So, with... Hamsters and mice is different. And rats, they can actually get your colds. Anyway, if this actually works in humans, and this is a treatment, then that will be a gigantic game changer, especially if this works for everybody, and not just for a small percentage or some moderate percentage of the population. The reason a treatment is so much better than a vaccine is that the fear of what will happen once you get it is gone. You can go out and confidently live your life, and then once you get the coronavirus, then you could treat it and stop it from becoming anything bad. 
However, this actually is said to also prevent it, so it could be used as a vaccine as well. If they actually were to come through with a breakthrough like this, which was uh, effective for human beings, this would really, really be uh, such a, a big piece of news and really would be the end of all the concern of the coronavirus. You could go back and do everything without fear. So let's hope this is true. Let's hope that this is what they claim it is, and let's hope that it translates to human beings and not just uh, mice and hamsters. It does show there's so much research going on right now on the coronavirus that maybe a cure or a an effective vaccine will come or, will come sooner than we think. There's never been an effort like there is with this to come up with a cure for something. I want to cover one other thing. This is not coronavirus related, but one more thing before I shut down the show. Uh, we talked about the violence in Vegas last week, and uh, unfortunately it struck again tonight. Right in front of Caesar's Palace, apparently there was a shooting. And there's police tape there, and uh, very disturbing for people who are staying at Caesar's Palace. I actually know somebody who is there right now and found out about this, and they saw the police tape everywhere in front of Caesar's, and they're like, what the hell? So there's actually a shooting in front of Caesar's. Pretty bad. They just can't get this violent crime out of, under control there in Vegas. Someone texted me, are you going to edit out all that slurping? Yeah, I, I, I'm drinking, I'll tell you what I'm trying to do, I'm drinking soda right now. I'm, I'm hoping that'll keep me awake a little bit, because <clears throat> I am really struggling here to keep awake. Let me read you some other texts here, aside from the slurping text. Uh... This was about the uh, Caesar's Palace thing. It says, uh, the main valet is completely closed. Someone got stabbed. Oh, not shot. If someone got stabbed outside of Caesar's Palace. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Still taped off in the main valet area. Vegas has gone to shit. <laughs> and then there's a picture of... Uh, people in the main valet area kind of standing around. Yep, I don't have a desire to go the way Vegas has been described recently. I just don't really have a desire to go back. From the 831, Joey Ingram hasn't tweeted much lately at all. Yeah, it's a good point. It's not just about possibly. He just hasn't tweeted much. I wonder what the reason is for that. From the 507, professional journalist, that is who Justin Kouradis wants to talk to, equals someone who doesn't know much about poker and who will softball. Yep. A professional journalist would be a bad person to ask specific questions to Justin or Basel. They wouldn't know the right things to ask. They're not experts on poker. We want a poker journalist to ask him the questions. A respected and intelligent and good poker journalist, not just some hack. I'd be happy to see uh, basically any of the people who they've been complaining about. Of course, Justin would never do an interview with him. But in addition to me, who would be good at interviewing him, I'd be happy to see him be interviewed by Chicago Joey, by Doug Polk, even by someone like Jennifer Newell or uh, Chad Holloway or Mo Nawara of Poker News. Any of these... Uh, 
established uh, poker journalists. Haley Hintz would be a great one. Anyone who knows poker and knows poker journalism very well and could ask, ask all the relevant questions and wouldn't leave anything out. But it's not happening. It will not be happening. Okay, we're done. I'd like to stay longer, but even though I did not wake up early today, I just am very tired. I don't know what it is. Somehow I just don't have the energy tonight. I, I think all that talking about stones wore me out. Justin Kuratis wore me out. What can I say? Mike Postle wore me out, too. By the way, uh, invitation's still open if any of you guys like to appear on here. Justin, Mike, Kufang, that dog boy, Everett Caldwell of Rounder Life. Anyone attached to that scandal or who's supportive of any of the accused, I'd love to have on here and you can express your concerns and your gripes. I will give you the floor, but I'm also going to ask you questions. If you really want, you can ask me questions, by the way. I know that was one of the stipulations that Justin put on, though he wasn't serious. But like, if you want to ask me questions, too, that's fine. I'm not going to refuse to answer anything. Well, what will be the date of the next show? Well, it shall be a week from this show. September 25th. It'll be Friday, September 25th, 2020. Around 9 p.m. or so. Maybe we'll know more about stones in this mystery lawsuit that's being promised. Yom Kippur begins on Sunday, September 27th. I don't think I would have done a show on Yom Kippur. I mean, Sandy Koufax wouldn't even pitch the World Series doing Yom Kippur, so I think I could skip a show, but Friday night's not Yom Kippur, so I can do it. Alrighty. We're done. Thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. We come hard and fast at everybody. That didn't sound good, did it? I'm tired. I have an excuse. Okay. Good night. Shalom. <laughs>